Hi, this is Tom Field with Information Security Media Group, and I want to welcome you to our exclusive insights from security solutions leaders. These are interviews that will shed light on topics of unique interest to banking and security executives. Now, the annual RSA conference is a showplace for the who's who of security solutions vendors. The event showroom is lined with scores of the industry's leading vendors. No one individual could hope to see them all. So the information security media team did the job for you, visiting with more than 60 vendors of particular interest to banking and security leaders. Click on the following links, please, to listen to our exclusive interviews with these vendors, where you can learn who they are, all about their solutions, and most importantly, how their solutions meet your current banking and security needs. Also, please be sure to check out our articles and podcasts from the event's keynote speeches and conference sessions. Okay, so I'm with 86 Technologies now and Eric Lumbaum. And Eric's going to uh, take it away and tell us a little bit more about 86 Technologies for those of our users who don't know what they do and uh, how, per- how they pertain to the financial services industry. So, Eric. Thanks, Mike. Uh, let's say, well, 86 Technologies is uh, a vendor of uh, appliance-based uh, best-of-breed internet filtering uh, services. Uh, we have uh, uh, a professional edition that includes uh, URL filtering appliance and two reporting appliances, and uh, I think really that's the place that, that we can help with the financial services uh, uh, industry is, is in, in the reporting, the long-term reporting and then the real-time reporting. The long-term reporting, our forensic reporter, which we call the enterprise reporter, uh, can store web surfing logs up to a couple of years. We have, we have a couple of customers that, that will go more than two years saving where their employees went on the Internet, and this is a very important thing for compliance. You can go back uh, and reconstruct exactly the surfing habits of an employee that's not even with you anymore, uh, if, if need be. And then we also have a real-time product that, that uh, displays web surfing uh, on customizable gauges and can also uh, uh, implement policy and put in place uh, warnings and, and emails to, to people's bosses when, when they violate company policy. So both of these are very important for, for financial services because you can show what's happened on your network. You actually have an audit trail uh, of, of where your, your employees have, have gone over time and can prove where they went and didn't go, um, you know, sometimes a month, months ahead. Could this be uh, something that's used for, you know, recently we had TJX, we had Society General, is this something that could be used for, um, you know, employee monitoring and sort of uh, we label as insider threat? Actually, uh, you'll, you'll notice uh, on our business card, our tagline is managing the threat from within. Thank you for tying that in, Mike. Um, but, but absolutely, um, the, you know, the network's pretty secure until 9 o'clock in the morning when the employees show up. Sure. And, and, and much of the threats of the last couple of years have been the social engineering threats and the phishing things and, and fooling employees into clicking on the wrong thing. And then, you know, the other side of, of concerns is what, what are employees sending outside the organization. So while our current products would provide an audit trail of where people went, um, where we're looking at future products to, to uh, add to that what people sent out, what what types of data that, that uh, leaves the organization. And we expect to do that in the same fashion that you that you be able to store it as, as uh, time goes on and, and have those audit trails uh, for you. Okay. Who would you say uh, at a financial institution, at your you know local bank or credit union, who's going to be the proponent for um, getting this technology installed? 
Well, there'll be two sides of it. One will be the person in charge of risk, the, the chief risk officer, right? They're, they're, uh, a lot of these technologies uh, don't have a, their own ROI. The ROI is in risk abatement. Right? We're better off. If you don't have a policy and you don't have a tool to prevent something from happening, when it happens, you don't have a case. Right? right? You don't, you don't really, it happened and you did, you did nothing to prevent it. But if you do have a policy and you do have a tool in place and you're able to monitor it and determine exactly what happened, then you know, you're going to have a lot less problems when, when, when uh, the horse leaves the barn, so to speak. Sure. And you mentioned uh, one other person, so your chief risk officer. Who else? Yeah, that, that would be the IT security IT, department. Okay. Right? Okay. If they're asked to do some of the, these these uh, these audit trails right. with bad tools, it'll take them weeks to put together something that right. a product that's designed for it to do quite so. Huge time saving as well. Exactly. Right. Labor saving. One more question for you. Let me know. Uh, are there any um, you know sort of trends or anything that you can uh, sort of pinpoint that's been going on, say the last six months that we're looking forward to over the next year? What can you What can you tell us? Well, uh, half of 86's business is in K through 12 schools, and we learn a lot from uh, K through 12 schools because the kids work very hard to get around our product. Uh, and and the, the latest thing that the corporations haven't caught on to yet is what's called the anonymous proxy. Uh, an end user with, with minimal computer skills can set up a, a proxy, with, uh, which is a little website on their home computer, and they can surf to their home computer from work or from school, and then go anywhere out on the world from that computer. Very interesting. And, and because they just set it up this morning and the IP address didn't exist until then, it can't possibly be part of a list, so it's, it's rather hard to block. Now, we had to take care of that a couple years ago for our education clients, and we have a signature-based technology that recognizes the most common proxies, and so we can stop them, but not all of our of our competitors can. So a nice competitive advantage for you guys. It's been working well for us in education. We expect that corporations will catch on that there's this hole in their firewall as well. Very good. Well, hopefully we can bring this to light for them. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, Eric Lumbaum again with 86 Technologies. Thank you, Mike. I'm speaking now with John Landwer of Adobe Systems, and John's going to tell us a little bit about how Adobe addresses the financial services industry. There are actually several capabilities we provide in PDF as well as the free Adobe Reader to help financial institutions protect information, whether it's personal identifying information of employees or their customers that's being routed in electronic forms, uh, perhaps in PDF. We also provide the ability to persistently encrypt content uh, that would uh, have uh, uh, M&A information in it, uh, other uh, strategic plans of an organization that could be in a variety of formats uh, beyond just PDF, including Microsoft Office, uh, Excel spreadsheets, that sort of thing. Uh, we provide digital signature capabilities so that as banks are moving more of their business processes online, both internally as well as with their customers, that the equivalent of the pen on paper can now be moved to the digital world by providing greater assurances of the authenticity and integrity of that electronic information uh, 
who signed off on it, has it changed since it's been signed, whether it's electronic mortgages, new account enrollments, uh, even uh, protecting information that's being exchanged in the form of electronic statements is another way of, uh, again, persistently protecting that content. So would you say, um, let's say from a, a bank's or a credit union's point of view, if uh, a customer is signing up for a particular service, instead of coming into the branch and dealing with someone in person, could they actually use this to do it online or, or how, how would it actually work for customer enrollment? Yes, that's exactly right. So many of our customers are using our various technologies to help start the enrollment process online with electronic forms. Uh, using our web-based technologies, uh, we have uh, a variety of ways to capture that information electronic forms, uh, submit that securely, uh, also provide a uh, virtual printed document on their screen in the form of a PDF that they can review all the information that they provided and then digitally sign it uh, to sign up and have the bank process that. Uh, and then that's on the uh, new account enrollment side. On the customer correspondence side, uh, to help banks save money, uh, we uh, provide electronic statement capabilities so that they can send out documents in PDF delivered through email and over the web instead of paying for postage and handling and the paper and the printing costs uh, of sending that out, as well as having a, uh, a nice environmental message to take to their customers uh, by uh, reducing paper. Okay, well, one more question for you. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if many of our users would typically think of, you know, Adobe as being a, an information security, quote-unquote, provider. What, do you, what, what advice do you have to offer them, or what can you say about that? Why should they be thinking about you as uh, a core, you know, information security provider? Well, as it turns out, Adobe has probably the most widely distributed security client of any vendor in that we've been doing encryption since Acrobat 2 in 1994. Uh, and over a dozen years later, we have uh, significantly increased the encryption capabilities. It's installed an Adobe Reader on multiple uh, platforms, so Mac and Windows and Linux, providing that foundation for encrypting the content, uh, digitally signing the content, providing stronger authentication, so that as you are exchanging sensitive information, whether it's inside a bank or out to customers, all you need is the free Adobe Reader on the desktop to get those security capabilities and don't have to push out additional desktop software. Very good. Okay, once again, uh, John Landwer of Adobe Systems. Thank you. Speaking with Richard Rushing now from Air Defense, and this is a uh, wireless security company. And Richard's going to tell us a little bit more about the company and how they fit in with the financial services industry. Uh, thank you, Mike. Um, Air Defense has been around since 2001 as a, a wireless security company that is developed for enterprise uh, security for wireless. Uh, we provide an overlay solution for wireless monitoring that allows you to not only monitor for intrusions, activity um, as well, uh, but in cases where wireless is deployed, we can do performance monitoring and management as well, maintaining histories of forensic uh, data so that you can see where devices have been, where devices are going, um, and, and well as what's been actually happening and coercing with the type of devices that are there. Um, along with that, we provide regulatory um, uh, statements and reports for most of the regulations, GLDA, and several others uh, for compliance issues um, in regards to wireless security. Um, we've done um, uh, 
vertical purposes in finance. Uh, so as we have uh, customers that have distinct requirements uh, for the financial community, uh, we work with them to provide not only customized reports, but as well as different compliance issues for the local utilization uh, of the product. In, in regards to security and how we kind of differentiate ourselves in the marketplace from infrastructure and other types of communities, our devices are basically an overlay. We don't require any wireless to be deployed to have information back, um, or if it is deployed, our solution integrates within that, that environment to provide enhanced levels of detail that the infrastructure type of services are not going to provide for you. Um, this, uh, the mainly difference in that is forensic data where we can store data for year, uh, two years at a time for a single device as, a, as it's performed inside of an organization. Um, and along with that, that provides you uh, information to go back in history to actually see not only what has happened, but how did it happen, when did it happen, and the occurrences that it actually happened. So if an incident, such as a rogue device or something else comes out of the network, uh, you can actually completely close loop the security incidents, uh, unlike where you find it just sitting out on a network somewhere and it becomes hard to close because how long has it been there, who does it belong to, how much data was there, did anybody connect to it? All those questions can't be answered by the device itself nor anything on the network. This allows you to be able to take a look at it and see what's actually uh, happened and what, where it's actually resulted in. Um, so this has been pretty much um, our come to forte and why we're deployed uh, very well integrated into the financial community. What can you, uh, Richard, what can you tell us about, um, you know, maybe maybe a, a bit of advice for some of our users from the financial services industry, you know, many of our users are from the local bank or, or credit union. Um, what, what have you been seeing? What kind of trends have you been seeing? Uh, what kind of advice can you offer them when they're dealing with wireless security? Uh, wireless security is one of those things that practice makes perfect. And unfortunately, a lot of times early wireless deployments have issues and everything else, but we're also seeing in some of our recent studies that if you're shying away from deploying wireless or being not very careful with it, the lack of experience that you have does impact the levels of security, does impact the knowledge that how things are put together, is this the best way, um, and a lot of other things go into place that basically as you start deploying it, that the environment needs to change, uh, things need to uh, be fixed, uh, updates need to happen, different kind of authentication. So as you start deploying wireless, it's one of the things that if you start at, at a ground level and say this is the best practices and this is the highest level we can do, three, four months from that, that may not be the case. So it has to continually migrate and move and move forward in a secure manner. And unfortunately, that's a big issue for a lot of organizations is that it doesn't necessarily happen at that level, is that once it's deployed, it's like, oh, this is good enough. And unfortunately, being as a, a banking community and target, you are at a higher level than the average corporation is because you truly do have the gold in the vault. Sure. So it sounds like from what you're saying that um, the initial step is the biggest step to take. Yeah, the initial deployment, the decision to deploy it is kind of the big step. <laughs> wireless is not secure, and we've all known that. It's more of adjusting and 
saying that, okay, we know that it's not going to be secure. Uh, pretty much everybody, nothing's perfect, as, as we all know. Therefore, we have to mitigate those risks as we go forward and apply other products. So thinking of where wireless is not secure and the connection capability and the management capability and filling those up with other types of solutions to, to compensate for those weaknesses. Once again, uh, Richard Rushing with Air Defense. Thank you. Now we're with uh, Algosec, and I'm speaking with Avishai Wolf, and he's going to tell us uh, first who is Algosec and a little bit about the products and services that they offer. Thank you. Um, so Algosec is all about firewall analysis. Um, we look at firewalls from Checkpoint, Juniper, and Cisco, and we bring value in four different areas, uh, risk assessments, change tracking, optimization and cleanup, and compliance. These are like our four major areas of expertise and, and values that we bring to our customers. We have a couple of hundred customers worldwide, uh, many of them in financial industries all over the world, primarily in North America and Europe, um, large banks, small banks, all kinds. And um, like I said, we focus on firewalls. Firewalls are a major part of the security infrastructure of any organization, and especially in the finances where it's highly regulated. Um, firewalls are essential. Organizations have many firewalls, sometimes even hundreds of firewalls in one bank. Um, and it becomes a management issue to control and to uh, get a handle on what these devices are doing, if they're actually enforcing correct policy, appropriate policy, if they are doing so efficiently, um, where can organizations improve both their security posture and the performance of their devices. Um, and like I said, uh, compliance is a major thing for us. Um, compliance is a big business driver, especially um, PCI compliance has become a significant uh, business driver for many of our customers over the last couple of years. Right. Um, Algosec is, by the way, a member of the PCI Council. Um, also in Europe, we're seeing quite a bit of uh, ISO 27001 right. uh, regulations for many organizations. Uh, and one of the things that we do that's pretty unique to us in, in the compliance area is that we provide a pre-populated compliance report for the various regulations and standards that we focus on, specifically Sarbanes-Oxley, PCI, and now ISO 27001. And these um, reports, these pre-populated reports, feed from our risk assessment component and from our change tracking component. And basically, they report on, first of all, how our software is configured to track the changes, for instance, to notify about changes, to track uh, um, risk, etc., and also about what type of risk um, 
um, that a firewall is exposed to, what, what misconfigurations are there. So all this goes into our um, compliance report and it's all formatted according to specifications of the regulations, section items, and um, uh, numbering is exactly as it's supposed to be on the reporting structure. So you can basically take our CI compliance report and hand it to the auditor and it's all there so not much more you have to do yeah I mean in terms of well PCI is very specific about firewalls it tells you you shall have a firewall and you shall have a BMZ and you're not allowed to these types of services shall not pass your firewall in this direction etc right. et it's very very specific and we just check all these things because you know we read all this and we figured out what you need to do and you know whatever we can automatically say yeah you're, you're you get a green check mark for that item we give you the green check mark automatically and wherever you're not in compliance well, we flag that as well and you can take care of it. and you can follow up later and in some areas where there's additional information that's necessary you might need to document something or to provide explanations or whatever so we, we flag that and say well you need to fill this part in that's missing um, but still there's a tremendous savings in time and, and uh, there's a great convenience here filling out all these compliance reports is painstaking very tedious work there's a lot of sure. that you need to follow sure. and, and so we just you know our customers get the benefit of um, having the computer work for you rather than the other way around some automation behind it yeah, yeah one of the things that you mentioned earlier one of the four uh, main areas that you, you guys work with is uh, risk assessments correct so that is um, probably one of the biggest topics on our site has been for, for a while people are uh, definitely interested in risk assessments tell us a little bit more how your product helps with that well what we do is um, we look at the firewall policy we're an offline solution so we don't pump traffic to the firewall we're not a scanner we copy the configuration files over to our server and we do a full offline simulation of what the firewall would have done on any type of traffic it could ever see in all directions and all uh, ports all interfaces all protocols everything we just try all that out and then once we have that information we run a secondary layer on top of it which is uh, based on our knowledge base so we have an uh, 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 out of the box, our software comes with a knowledge base of 130 odd risk items okay. that we extract, extracted out of best practices, um, and we compare what the firewall is doing versus what it's supposed to not do, and we flag all the mismatches, we flag all the risk items that are allowed through and they're not supposed to. Uh, and those are prioritized by severity and by quantity. So we can tell you how many rules uh, contribute to each of these um, uh, risk items. So you get automatic best practices, you know, out of the box. You don't have to write. You don't have to teach the machine what to look for. It knows what to look for. Right. We just provide the data. We'll tell you how well you're doing. It all takes, you know, setup is real quick. You know, maybe an hour and a half, two hours. You can get actual results that you can use in your next upcoming audit or to support your existing processes. Um, plus 
Plus, it's all customizable. If you do have specific things that you need to, let, to check for that are just not part of our standard knowledge base, then you can write your own risk items and teach the system to search for stuff that is appropriate for your business. So it's customizable. It's customizable. So, yeah, that's, and, and we also have a unique view, which is we don't only tell you about the risks, we also give you a view that is what we call the risky rules, which is the same information but organized by the rules. So instead of looking at, you have red risk number such and such that says that, you know, any traffic is allowed from the outside to the DMZ, you get the flip view, which says, well, rules number 13, 47, and 58 are contributing to that risk, and and then you can use this risky rules view as a worksheet right. for the network operations team to go and fix it. Right. Hmm. Very good. Plus, you get quantified information, how many IP addresses are susceptible, how many addresses have access, what ports are open and shouldn't be, which objects are relevant. Um, there's also, you know, explanations for um, less informed people, things are bad for you, which specific guidelines and regulations mandate that you shouldn't be doing what you've been doing. Yeah, so there's like all, and it's all richly interlinked, it's all web-based. So all the reports are on, on a, a built-in web server. Everything is correlated, so you can, you know, navigate and drill down in many, many different ways. Very good. Plus, there's a group report which you can actually look at, you know, a collection of firewalls and aggregate them into one report to get a snapshot of, you know, how well each of your devices is doing. And in one view, see what the risk profile is of all your devices. You know, you can find the ones that are the most poorly configured or the best configured, and you know where to take action. Very good. Okay. Well, once again, I thank you, uh, Avishai Wool from AlgoSec, and thanks for your time. My pleasure. All right, so I'm with Rick Kacha now of ArcSight, and Rick is going to tell our users who may not be aware of who ArcSight is a little bit about what they do and how they relate to the financial services industry. So, Rick? Hi, Mike. Um, well, thanks for the time. ArcSight is an eight-year-old publicly held technology company here in Silicon Valley. Our mission is to protect the business of our customers, and we do that by helping them understand um, the operations that happen in their business. We collect the kind of information that gets generated every day. Um, that may be security information, user information, transaction information. We collect it, we analyze it, and we use that analysis to alert them if there are problems, to produce reports for compliance purposes. Uh, this kind of technology is being used at, uh, broadly at some of the largest financial institutions in the world. Now, we touched on it a little. Um, what is the actual solution? Is it an appliance? Is it software? How is it actually deployed? So the, uh, the solution is available as both software and as an appliance. It depends on the customer's desires. It doesn't really matter. Um, and typically the way it's deployed is there's a, a central server that's deployed in the data center, and then uh, there are either software or other small appliances that are deployed to branch offices or deployed to different places where technology runs. And once those are put into production, they collect the log information from perimeter security devices like firewalls. They collect information from user activity like in databases, file servers, identity management systems. All that is taken together, converted to a common format for analysis, 
and then we have uh, both ad hoc reports and machine learning kinds of reports that run, and they'll produce alerts that say, hey, this happened, this looks funny, uh, we've compared it to historical norms, normally this user looks at this kind of file once a day, now he's looking at it a hundred times a day, hey, I can also correlate it with web activity and say this guy was also looking at hot jobs for a job two days ago, hmm. putting those two together, maybe I've got someone who's going to leave and take customer information with them. Hmm. Okay. Um, before we started recording, we were just reviewing our uh, banking information security survey that we administered last year, and um, you know compliance was a top priority for financial institutions. Uh, no big surprises, but tell us a little bit about how your your solutions kind of fit in with regulatory compliance. Sure, sure. So I think with compliance, uh, one of the big concerns for customers is not only how do I stay in compliance, but how do I show. That I'm in compliance. And so, you can, as you can imagine, as we collect more and more of this operational information and put it aside in our archiving product, um, customers want to be able to produce reports for auditors and do that in an automated way. Um, a couple of years ago, I had a customer and I said, well, what do you do when the auditors ask you for information on your users? He said, well, the first thing we do is um, stall. And then we go and we write custom reports for a couple of weeks and we produce those. And then we just hope that they don't come back again for a couple of years. Hmm. And I won't say who that is, but it's a very large, um, large company. And I think these kind of solutions that ArcSight offers address that sort of problem. You know, how do I collect the information, put it together in a way that's automated, and so I can respond quickly, cheaply, easily. Okay. Now, focusing again on financial institutions, who, who would you say would be mainly responsible? Like, who's who's the main proponent for implementing your technologies? So our, our products are usually purchased by the security group, you know, CISO, um, IT security director. Uh, typically, these projects are funded out of compliance budgets. And the kind of things people are looking to do is to address PCI for customer information, GLBA for customer privacy information, and they want to be able to say, we, we think we've put in an architecture that gives us security. Um, and you want to put in something like ArcSight to help us prove that it's working and demonstrate that it's working. Okay. Very good. Uh, one more question for you before we wrap up. Um, can you tell us about any trends that you've been seeing over the past year coming up in 2008 or any words of wisdom or advice you can give our users? Yeah, yeah sure. So good question. I think there's two trends I see happening. The first is around the notion of security, particularly in financial services. Uh, if you go back a couple of years, it was very much around Protecting the, protecting the perimeter, make sure the firewalls are secure, look at firewall data. And so the first change that I'm seeing is that people are starting to focus on identities and users and not devices and IP addresses. Hmm. That's one. And then the related trend is around fraud. I think we're seeing quite a bit of uptake in people trying to watch their users for fraudulent purposes. It's no longer about worms and hackers from outside. It's about insiders potentially doing something wrong. And the way they find these things is they look at actions that... Each of them may be okay individually, but when you put them together, they shouldn't go together. And so we're seeing people deploy sort of historical pattern matching, real-time pattern matching, and saying, hey, this looks funny. Let me go back to the historical record and see if it's sort of out of tune, out of spec. And if so, let's take action. Very good. Okay, once again, uh, Rick Kasha, Arcsight. Thanks, Mike. I'm with 
Dan Murphy now of Exata Corporation, and Dan's going to tell us a little bit about what the company does and how they pertain to the financial services industry. So, Dan? Thanks, Mike. Um, Exata makes a remote service platform for providing secure access into uh, enterprise data centers, so banking data centers, so people that own multiple equipment servers, storage equipment, router switches, anything that uh, makes up the network, uh, so to speak, for our banking industry. Uh, so what the bank would provide is a connection for all of the third parties and vendors to securely access those components within the data center without having to deploy SSL VPNs or desktop sharing types of technology. From a compliance perspective, what we can do is that the platform will say who came onto the network, what did they touch, and why were they there. And we'll provide a detailed record of that in a compliance report fashion to meet Sarbanes-Oxley or what other types of compliance activities that we need to do. And those come in the form of out-of-the-box canned reports or ad hoc custom reports. So this is all software-based? Yeah, it's a software platform. Uh, the primary portion of it is a software-as-a-service, so customers can connect to this uh, via an on-demand location, which is hosted at a secure data center um, uh, partnered by SAS. Okay. Now, uh, let's take your typical bank or credit union. Who would be most likely the person that's responsible for uh, deploying this, or who's going to be the proponent of getting this technology into the institution? Well, it's usually somebody from the IT or auditing compliance group, and what makes our solution different is you don't need to actually put down a piece of hardware within the data center. You would just access this from a software-as-a-service perspective. So we take subscriptions and promote new users onto the system without having to deploy a new appliance into your data center rack. Okay, very good. And I, I noticed that um, you guys were, uh, you had an assessment done by VeriSign, or there was, was like, can, you, can you explain that? Yeah, so our solution uh, goes into very secure locations. So not only the world's largest financial institutions, but we're also deploying government institutions, um, you know, ATMs, uh, healthcare facilities, hospitals, and it, each one of those facilities needs a level of security that is beyond just your everyday type of solution. Uh, so what we've done is partnered with VeriSign to go ahead and do an audit of our solution and get certified from the security perspective of how we make communications, how we link up to different devices within the network, and how we communicate and store data. Okay. Uh, let me ask you one more question. Um, have you noticed any trends over the last year coming into 2008 or um, any advice you'd like to offer our users? Well, there's a lot of solutions out there. So obviously, this is a large show that we're at today, um, the RSA conference, and there's probably 700 plus vendors. So there's a lot of different ways that people are approaching the remote access problem. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is not only how do you keep the bad guys out, but also how do you let the good guys in, the people that you want to partner with to promote business productivity. And that's what really uh, Exceda is focused on. Okay. Once again, Dan Murphy with Exceda Corporation. We're here with uh, Atri Chatterjee, Senior Vice President of Marketing for Secure Computing. Atri, how are you today? Good, thank you. Fantastic. Listen, uh, maybe if you could give us an idea uh, of what some of the major business drivers are out there, uh, especially as they concern financial institutions for, for information security. Right. So I think uh, the, the key thing to keep in mind is uh, for financial institutions is that uh, today's uh, threat environment is uh, primarily financially motivated. So unlike, uh, say, five or ten years ago when people uh, used to hack into systems to prove that they could get into something, 
um, a large majority, if I would say 95 or 99% of the threat environment today is all about how do I financially benefit from cracking into something and uh, effectively that results in someone gaining at someone else's expense. So financial institutions are unfortunately the targets of most of today's threats, uh, either directly or through their customers. Sure, sure. Well, with them holding the money, obviously, that, that's, a, that's, that's a, a big target. So most definitely we're aware of that. How are you positioning the company and its solutions to you know, address these sort of right. broad issues? Right. So one of the big trends in today's threat environment, and, and uh, in addition to just being financially motivated, is that uh, they, they evolve rapidly. Right, so we call it sort of the evolving threat environment, and and the problem there is that um, uh, every time one comes up with defenses, uh, these folks have been able to figure out ways to thwart those defenses, and so today's uh, predominance of today's uh, activity is um, through uh, using unsuspecting networks of people. So your PC, my PC, others being essentially taken over by uh, someone else remotely uh, and we join something that's known as a botnet. So these evolving threats, what ends up happening is that um, they morph uh, from from one domain to another, from multiple machines, etc. And it's very difficult to use more traditional ways of um, securing your enterprise uh, to guard against this. Um, so you've got multiple problems going on. On the one hand, uh, you've got different attacks coming from different locations, um, coming from innocent machines, for the most part, who have been taken over. And the other one is that sometimes inside your own organization, unknowns to yourself, you may have computers that have fallen victim to this. So it's really important that as we approach these solutions is that we look at this sort of rapidly evolving environment and figure out how best to protect against that. And um, uh, what that ends up being is that, you know, in addition to um, using traditional mechanisms of protection, uh, you have to look at ways in which you can provide immediate protection even without knowing, say, that what the threat is going to look like. So uh, people often call call this proactive protection, anticipatory protection, etc., zero day, etc. And that's very hard to do. Um, and uh, one of the things that we've done is that we've spent a lot of effort in technology that effectively does this, and we call that global reputation technology. Uh, and and effectively, what that does is augments existing local technology to also provide this reputation protection. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe you could just briefly expound on, on right. what that global reputation uh, protection entails. Yeah. I mean, how is that accomplished? Right. I think the easiest way to think about global reputation is that think about it as sort of a satellite early warning system and a, a satellite defense mechanism. Um, the way it uh, we have a product or, or a system called Trusted Source, uh, it's probably the biggest global reputation network in the market today. And really, it's quite straightforward. The way it works is that it sort of has a view of all the network traffic going on on the Internet. The way it collects this is through lots of different sources. Um, traditionally, uh, ISPs provide information, different uh, uh, you know, collector information uh, uh, pools out there provide that information. But our own security appliances that are deployed in companies provide this information. And over time, what we've done is we've got 
we've got a real-time view of where uh, traffic is originating on the internet, particularly malicious traffic, and um, what ends up happening is that all of our security appliances that protect corporate networks refer to the global reputation system and uh, ask it, you know, have you seen bad traffic originating from this IP address or from this domain or from this URL? And depending on what the reputation system tells it, it could either block the traffic or let it go in for future analysis, right? So this global reputation system is not a substitute for localized protection, but it augments localized protection. And here's where it really comes in useful. Think about this botnet environment where, you know, you've got these armies of sort of like unknown computers basically getting shanghaied by other people, sure. uh, by malicious people, and being used to launch an attack. Uh, what the global reputation system, where it comes in is that it can immediately see patterns of traffic that are suddenly changing in real time and e inoculate all of these different uh, appliances that we have running in front of corporate networks and say, you know, we see a lot of like a surge in activity from these particular nodes and uh, you should exercise caution and immediately block traffic or quarantine traffic coming from those locations. Now, you can't do this without a global reputation network, and the reason for that is that because um, more traditional approaches involve signatures. So you have to see an attack, you have to try to look at the attack, characterize it, develop an antidote for that, and that typically takes hours, days, and so on. You don't have that time now. And what you need is to be able to notice strange patterns developing, just like an early warning weather system, and inoculate immediately or quarantine immediately so that you can do future analysis uh, on that quarantine stuff before it gets into your network. So that's an example of sort of like global reputation being a unique sort of capability and, and really necessary in the way we've got these evolving threats and how to protect against these evolving threats. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you started to address my next question, which was how this solution is differentiated from you know, other offerings out mm -hmm. there, but is there anything you want to add as far as yeah. how, how it is? I think, I think there are a couple of, you know, if you look at the secret sauce that we have in our company, we've got sort of three things that really are our keys to um, our, our success here. One is uh, the global reputation system, and that has been incorporated into all of our products. So all of our security solutions that sit on the enterprise uh, uh, network use these global use the global reputation system. Uh, so be they our anti-spam email uh, appliances, our uh, web security appliances, our firewalls. Also, we're the only company in the world that has a firewall that uses global reputation uh, to to do connection control at the firewall level. So if mm -hmm. clearly bad traffic is coming in. Uh, say from a you know known botnet in Russia or something, we'll stop that traffic without even letting it into your network. So that's one thing. Right. The other key piece is uh, in today's world of Web 2.0, which is this whole sort of interactive nature of the web. Um, the concept of you know browsing the internet is quite different now. You've got live content that's actually uh, running around on the internet. Your browser, effectively un unknowns to you, is actually probably executing JavaScript or small pieces of code on your desktop. And what that has done is also enabled a new type of threat to come in called malware. And typically what that is is in the form of JavaScript or ActiveX or whatever that comes into your network. One of the other key pieces of technology that we have is what we call anti-malware. The ability to detect based on behavior, behavior of the, of the content that's coming in, 
whether it could be potentially bad or not. Um, so in addition to global reputation, we've got this anti-malware uh, capability. And the third thing that is really key to us is that, you know, we've sort of taken this whole concept of traditional firewalling to the next level where we actually also look at application traffic. So firewalls typically just dealt with network traffic. They looked at, you know, sort of what types of bytes were coming in, but they really didn't try to see what types of applications were running on your network and to really control those applications. And our firewall is called an application-level firewall because it does that. So in today's world, once again, you've got live content, you've got applications that are running on a network. Think about all the companies that are enabling, and say in the financial world, banks that are enable, enabling customers to get access to their accounts, get enabling customers to do various things. So those are actually sophisticated applications. Back there, there's a database running inside the bank that is making this information available, etc. What that also means is that you can have all sorts of malicious things happening that could try to take advantage and, and you know, try to cripple that database or try to, you know, uh, overflow the database or extract data from that database. That involves, uh, you know, different types of, say, SQL commands and things like that that are sent over. Our system knows how to basically protect against that also. So once again, you're talking about global reputation, anti-malware, and application-level protection, uh, which has gone beyond just simple network-level protection. Those are sort of the three core things that we look at as protection in today's enterprise gateway. That's fantastic. Do you have any um, advice for financial institutions in particular as far as uh, sort of grappling with these issues? Any, any parting words? On yeah. I think here's a couple of things to look at. One is clearly there's no substitute for process and procedure because no amount of technology is going to solve everything. So I think it's important for security practitioners inside financial institutions to, one, you know, keep their processes and procedures up to date and make sure that their users follow certain guidelines, etc. And user training is a very important part of that. Right. But the second one is also to keep in mind the fact that, you know, people are going to use the latest technology that's available to them. So think about this Web 2.0 environment, right? You can't really stop people from using Web 2.0 because it's prevalent all around us. So rather than trying to, um, while I think it's important to educate people and set up processes and procedures, it's also important to make sure that you get uh, the appropriate level of protection commensurate with the types of technology people are using, right? So um, a lot of people will, uh, you know, we've done a study with Forrester Research recently that uh, where people, a lot of IT um, environments thought that they didn't have a lot of Web 2.0 being used inside their environment. But when an actual audit was done, it was found that, unbeknownst to them, a lot of the things that they people were using were actually utilizing Web 2.0 technologies. Things as simple as going to Yahoo or or going to Google, right. where you know um, you know there was a lot of use of Web 2.0 technologies in there, and really a lot of openings for malware to come into their environment. So really, what they need to do is saying, okay. Let's assume that Web 2.0 types of things are being used in my environment. How do I protect against it? Because I'm not able to, like, you know, you know, just uh, do so by just pe telling people not to not to use it. Sure, sounds like good advice. Yeah, Atri, uh, thanks for your time. Have a good show. Great, thanks, Nick. All right, bye. -bye. Speaking.
speaking with Scott McCarley now of Beyond Trust, and Scott's going to tell us a little bit about the company and how they pertain to the financial services industry. So, Scott? Hi. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. So, Beyond Trust, uh, we're all about making sure that users log into their, their local desktops as a standard user, someone without local admin rights. So, we want to make sure that no one in an organization, financial organization in particular, outside of the administrators group, has admin rights. With admin rights, people can do things like install any software they want, disable existing security settings, change a standard desktop configuration if you've defined one. So there's a lot of uh, cost reasons that you want to take away admin rights. You know, freeze up help desk time, fewer calls. Uh, but most importantly, it's a huge security measure. So it's a big security gain to make sure everyone's a standard user, preserving a, a standard security configuration and guaranteeing that they're not a portal for any malware that could come through them and install itself on the desktop. But the problem with taking away admin rights is that it turns out people need some elevated privileges in order to do some of their day-to-day activities for their job. So at a financial institution, you might have a few pieces of software that each user uses that requires some elevated privileges, whether it's an accounting app, maybe an application checking stocks, stock pricing, maybe an application that's just looking at enterprise you know, resource planning. So all of these applications uh, might have a little bit of need for elevated privileges. So you might use our product, Privilege Manager, to solve that. So you make everyone a standard user, and then use our product, Privilege Manager, to define policies stating that when these users, a group of users, or a specific user, runs an application, that that will elevate the application process. So we'll grant the application the additional privileges it needs to run properly while keeping the user a lockdown standard user. So they can't use their these, these privileges to do anything but run that application. Um, that's it in a nutshell. Why don't uh, Why don't we talk a bit about uh, compliance issues? You know, sure. regulatory compliance seems to Absolutely. be a major priority for financial institutions. How does your product help with that? Well, in Sarbanes-Oxley, a lot of uh, internal audits uh, it specifically states that users should be running with as few privileges as necessary. It's just a great general best practice. People should be uh, granted only the amount of privileges necessary to do their job. So that's really what our product is helping to do. So you should only have the privileges, the additional privileges, when you have a task that you need to perform. You shouldn't always be operating as an administrator, but only be given elevated privileges when you're performing something that requires it. Okay. Um, let me ask you one more question. What, what have you seen as far as uh, trends go? I know that we talked to you last year. What has sort of changed since 2007? What do you see moving forward, and, and what kind of advice can you offer our users? Yeah. Well, you know, one, thing, one thing that we see a tremendous amount of is recognition that people need to remove admin rights. Um, you look at Windows Vista, and then standard user, and by default, they're trying to promote a standard user model. It's great. So Microsoft's taken a good security measure there, and it's brought the attention, a lot of attention to the fact that there are great security benefits by removing admin rights and making everyone a standard user. And now people are just becoming aware of, well, if we make everyone a standard user, we have some problems. We still need, they still need to be able to do some, some additional activities for their job. And so for us, it's been a great, great, uh, great year in terms of being able to work with companies, uh, large financial institutions, small financial institutions, 100 users to 60,000 users, to help them remove admin rights and still let their users do what they need to do for their jobs. Very good. Once again, uh, Scott McCarley, Beyond Trust. All right. Thank you, Mike. 
I'm speaking now with Mark Upson of BioPassword, and uh, Mark's going to let our users know who may not be aware of who BioPassword is a little bit more about their company and uh, how they work with the financial services industry. So, uh, Mark, take it away. Great. Thanks, Mike. So, yes, we have a risk-based authentication for the web offering that allows you to have your online banking. The users come in. We're checking their digital identity as they come in. We're looking at a, a key, unique typing biometric around uh, them uniquely and how they're typing their username and password. We're also checking a series of other factors in terms of what device they're coming in from and then using out-of-band factors if we're seeing what appears to be a mismatch between the security level and the confidence in the digital identity. And from there, we're able to issue an out-of-band factor, which could either be a challenge question or a one-time password to their registered cell phone. And then we're able to make sure that that right person is accessing the right information. Okay. Um, you know, many of our users are aware we just did our, our uh, state of information security, state of banking information security survey, and uh, compliance was the uh, number one priority for our users going into 2008. And I know we talked a little bit about uh, the ID theft red flags guidance that came out and also uh, the FFIEC guidance from a couple years ago. Tell us a little bit more about um, compliance and how your solution works in and what our users might uh, uh, should probably be focused on as far as the ID theft red flags. Are concerned. No, that's great. Uh, the ID uh, and red red flag rule very interesting because a lot of systems that are out there today they generate a lot of false positives. So the, the system can't adequately identify you. Maybe you're at a kiosk. Maybe you're traveling. Uh, you know, maybe you're at, just imagine all the people are going to be in China for the Olympics and are they going to be able to get to their online banking? Uh, probably not, given all those IP addresses are blocked. So what happens is every time those are generated with the red flag rule, the institution is going to have to report it, number one, and they got to notify the user. So now you've got a user who's been blocked, who's now getting an alert that their accounts may have been compromised, and there's a report going to the federal government around this. So so this is going to put a lot of pressure on banks to lower their the false positive rate so that they can not, uh, not impact the brand experience the user is getting. So I think uh, the, the banks and institutions are really just getting their arms around this, trying to understand it, but uh, if you look at us, our core thing is we're trying to use a biometric so you can become in from China from a kiosk, and we can still identify distinctly that it's you. So uh, that's a distinct value proposition for us. Okay. Now, we also talked about, um, you know, responsibilities, responsibilities for uh, customers and consumers uh, as far as keeping their PC secure and, um, you know, sort of uh, banks and credit unions take the responsibility of uh, making sure that, um, you know, someone comes in, uh, they have an issue with their PC, Many times they can't access their internet banking account. It turns out to be the bank's fault. It's not really their fault, but customers end up blaming the bank that they can't get into their account. How do you guys address that? Yeah, well, two sides to that. First of all, they, they can't get in because they've got malware on their machine. But then secondly, the bank's worried about the, the Trojan that might be there that's going to siphon off information out of the bank account. So so we're going to be, you'll see us be one of the first vendors to really address this whole endpoint analysis so that it's, I call it in-session protection. So that, in fact, you know, you're logging in and we're checking for, uh, for known uh, key loggers, known Trojans that can be detected. And so quarantine that machine off and either al- allow them to have uh, some antivirus protection added uh, for that session um, or, in fact, then notify them that their machine's been compromised and they need to have protection before they can come onto the, uh, the online banking system. That's protection on both sides. Uh, no one's really addressing that yet in the authentication space. We'll be one of the first people to really come out to a, a complete offering in that area. Very good. Uh, one more question for you. Um, 
What can you tell our users about any trends that you're noticing? Anything that's come about over the past year since the FFIEC guidance or any words of what advice you could give our users? Well, I think two things. One is uh, survey your users on the brand experience because a lot of them, if you look at, I'll, I'll pick on Bank of America. I mean, so Bank of America, everyone who has Bank of America account has at one point complained about the experience. You're, you hit challenge questions. You're, you know, you're, you're picking a picture, but you're not explaining what the picture does for you. Uh, there's a series of hoops you're going through, and you don't understand why. Uh, so I think you look at uh, their brand experience has suffered as a result. So I think be very careful about you know about your brand experience, and also think about do you want to allow your users to start to set some of their own security factors so they have some more control over their account. So in fact, they can increase their security on their account above just compliance, which is the, the minimum bar. I mean, there's some users who would say, hey, you know, I only come in for my home PC, so so lock that down. So only allow that one in. So, but but you should give give choices and also give a level of education to the users so that they know what's going on. Very good. Okay, once again, uh, Mark Upson with BioPassword. Right now I'm speaking with Tom Clare of Bluecoat. And uh, for those of our users who are unaware of uh, who Bluecoat is, he's going to give us a little bit of a background and how their products and services fit in with the finance industry. Yeah, Bluecoat is a uh, leading proxy technology. It's actually ranked as the leader in the magic quadrant with Gartner Group. So if you look up Secure Web Gateways with Gartner Group, you'll see Bluecoat as a leader. And as a proxy, we provide a layered defense for malware. As we're now seeing the web as the predominant threat vector over email, there's a lot more attention to what can I do with HTTP. HPS, FTP, all of my web-based protocols, including IM and P2P and streaming media and all that content. It used to be a productivity issue. It used to be objectionable content, adult content. We kind of had the internet as a big time sink, a time waster. Now we're seeing the web protocols as the number one threat vector. So we offer a five-layer malware defense architecture. And what we're known for is performance and scalability. Our boxes handle some of the largest financial institutions out there. So if you have I mean, several big customers, up over 175,000 users. So we provide the performance and the scale, a very small footprint with a few boxes to handle that performance load, the logging, the reporting, to allow them to work that. We're also started out, our history has been with internet service providers. So from the beginning of the company, we've always worked with very large user populations, having performance, scale, and manageability built in the product. What we really don't service would be an account with like 1,000 users or less. That's not our market. Okay. So if you're a small bank and you've got 500 users, there's a lot of great little uh, UTMs out there, smaller boxes. But if you've got around 3,000 users or more, Bluecoat has a very nice system with a lot of elaborate policy controls to give you that visibility of what people are doing, the control, and those layered malware defenses to clean up the, uh, the web protocols for you. Well, I think uh, the majority of our users probably are going to have quite a few um, Internet banking customers. And and um, when, I, when, when I bring that up, um, many of the community banks and credit unions may actually be writing their Internet applications in-house. So how is this going to kind of uh, make sure that those are secure? Well, you just kind of hit a key point. Two of the biggest vulnerabilities in Internet today is the browser itself. So like Firefox, its current edition today, has a very vulnerable Java library. It's actually more vulnerable today than IE is. 
Shazai is actually behind one of its upgrades. So sounds uh, sure, you know, sure. credit, credit to Microsoft for being late with a product delivery, yeah. but it's actually more secure as browser. The thing that you just mentioned is most important is that the web applications being built, if they're not built securely with, again, vulnerability analysis, penetration testing, and that is built with security in mind from the beginning, they become candidates for attacks. So either they're going to host some type of malware to be downloaded, that is, they're a source, or they're going to become an infector, that is, putting pointers out into multiple websites, and they could be one of these pointer sites where, again, you're going to redirect people to a malware source. And you don't want that. It's going to ruin your reputation and brand. Now, Blue Code itself is focused on your users heading out to the Internet. So what you just described is customers coming in. Okay. So you're going to want to work with the folks that are in the web application security. As a matter of fact, I'll give credit to SANS. SANS is a security organization, and they offer classes where your web developers can get training right. to do secure web design. Okay. And, uh, so, so Blue Code is more focused on um, your employees? Yep. Okay. We do, uh, you know, we do educational institutions, universities, large corporations, internet service providers. Our job is to stop the bad, remove all the things that are bad, and also accelerate the good. So as a proxy, we cache things, we speed things up. So we want to make the internet experience faster for the user. There's a lot of proprietary stuff in there that's pretty neat, like object caching, object pipelining, ways we can get the content faster, we can serve it up quicker, and make the user experience faster. At the same time, remove the objectionable content, the unwanted content, unproductive stuff, and now even more so since the second half of 2007, a lot of these malware sources and mobile malicious code that are now so dominant we see on the web the web vectors and the web protocols. Very good. Okay. Well, thank you once again. Uh, Tom Clare with uh, Bluco. Thanks. Appreciate your time. We're here at RSA with Julian Waits, the president and CEO of Brabion. Julian, how are you today? Doing just fine. Thank you, Nick. Fantastic. Uh, listen, maybe you can give our readers a sense of uh, what the biggest business drivers are out there, especially for financial institutions around GRC. Well, you know, the drivers have changed a little. A year ago, I would have told you it's all about consolidation and communication. Today, it's about consolidation, communication, and leveraging the data over the long haul in terms of what you're trying to do for compliance, mostly because of what's going on in the mortgage industry. Right. So big question that we have, the pain point that we see when we're talking to most of the people that we work with in the banking community, it's all focused around how can we be compliant with, you know, SOX, HIPAA, more, more specifically PCI and GLEBA these days. Right, right. And how do we communicate it? And because of changing personnel, how do we have something in place that we can use over and over again for whoever needs the information? Sure. It's not going to be disrupted because people are leaving. You got it. Okay. So uh, given that uh, sort of backdrop in, in terms of business drivers, how are you guys approaching the, the solution? So our approach is, I consider it to be simple. First, you have to start with a foundation. Today in the market, many people that we compete with and just the way the process has worked in the past, it's always been very reactive. Right. Risk and compliance has been a reactive process. When it all needs to start with a firm set of policies, standards, and a controlled design program. Right. All mapped back to the regs that really concern you, and then you need to measure it. So it's all about being able to put the foundation in and then putting in a system that allows you to measure how you're doing against the program. Sure. No, that makes good sense. So uh, how does that differentiate you guys in the market compared to what other folks are doing? Yeah, so most of the people that we compete against do one or the other. 
Okay. They either do a very good job of giving you a toolkit that allows you to create very robust policies and standards, or on the other side, you get a, a system that's all designed around metrics gathering. But if you don't put the two together, what good is either one? Sure, you need to measure one against the other. Absolutely. Okay, okay. And uh, what advice in general do you have for FIs out there that are sort of grappling with these uh, issues? Yeah, so the advice would always be the same. Work on the foundation first. There's so many things that are hitting these people right now. Changing personnel requirements, risk is increasing because you're having all of these changes. But unless you can put a good base in place that you work from, nothing else will ever work. Fantastic. I appreciate your time. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. I'm speaking now with Mike Pierce of Breach Security, and uh, Mike is going to tell us a little bit more about uh, who their company is and how they address the financial services industry. So, Mike, take it away. Thank you very much, Mike. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Breach Security is in the web application security business. We protect web applications and the private data in them and keep it secure. So, as more businesses, particularly financial institutions, do business over the internet the bad guys are focused on that same uh, that same target audience sure. so the the risk go up which means the protection must go up okay to, to tell me a little bit more about um, you know how, how it's actually done I mean is this an appliance that's installed is it software how does it work we're a software company we deliver our solution on an appliance we find that that's the easiest way to sit in front of the web application so we can snap in we're not an inline solution so that we can go into a production environment immediately so we can start adding value within an hour in organizations. We have two things that make us unique. One, we do sit out of line, yet we can provide blocking because we're able to do that through resets. It's a very interesting technology. And two, not only do we have a negative uh, model like other network appliances have, we build a positive model. So we look at the application the way it's running in production, and we know how the application is supposed to run. And then we compare the traffic between the negative and the positive model, which reduces our false positive rates to a very low number. What would you say to, um, you know, a lot of our users might be from uh, some smaller community banks and credit unions. They may be developing, you know, web applications in-house. How does how can your product help, you know, make sure that they're secure, those applications? That's an excellent question. We can be used in what we call a secure development lifecycle. We can use, our, our technology can be used in the testing and staging parts of the development, and that's where the positive model in our engine could start to harden and start to learn because the testers and the developers could run test cases against it so that when you move into production, we could transfer that model, and it already, already knows how this application is supposed to work. So before it's actually deployed, you're, you're sort of uh, training the system. That's what exactly right. Very interesting. Okay. Um, who, would be, who would you say at a financial institution, who would be the main uh, proponent for you know getting this sort of technology installed? There's two there's two groups that support us. There's the business owner, the person that's that's, that's rolling out the, the new IRA service or the 401k service or somebody that owns the checking or the uh, savings accounts online. And then we work with the security folks within the IT organization. Okay, so, so line of business and security. Okay. Um, IT would mainly be responsible for implementation. Correct. Okay. Um, one more question for you. What would you say if you have you noticed um, 
you know, any trends, let's say over the past year or coming down in 2008, what are what are financial institutions looking for? What do they expect out of, you know, their web applications or, or how are they making sure that things are secure? What we see with financial institutions is the way they differentiate now is through the services they offer online. And so that's a very competitive space. So getting a new application out sooner so that you've got advanced checking or, or a super savings account or whatever that might be, getting out ahead of your competition is very important. So as applications get out sooner, the business is pushing them quicker. There's less time for testing. So the the uh, the uh, opportunity for errors or code that isn't fully tested being in production is higher. And that's where we can come in as we can detect the errors and dynamically block them and then feed that information back to development. So the the institution and the customer's data is safe. It sounds like it's um, sort of uh, helping with the business process. You know, banks are constantly in competition to, um, you know, retain users, bring on new users, and they do that many, many times through the services that they offer. So this will help get those services out quicker, make sure that they're secure, and hopefully bring on more customers. That's exactly right. And breaches uh, breaches in the business of making that whole life cycle more secure, more scalable, and repeatable. Very good. Okay, once again, uh, Mike Pierce with Breach Security. Thank you, Mike. I'm with Jordan Smith now from Cloakware, and they have an ID and access management system uh, that is geared for administrators, and he's going to tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about uh, what Cloakware does. Sure. We handle the uh, identity and access management problem for the data center. So if you think about all those administrative users who sit in your data center and administer your um, your switches, your Cisco routers, your uh, Oracle databases, they all have passwords that they use to access those systems and administer them. Uh, there's also another category of passwords that are embedded or hard-coded into your scripts and applications, which talk to other applications in your data center, and those passwords also need to be managed. If you're like most organizations, you write those passwords down on a piece of paper and you store them in a locked box. When you want to log into a machine, you go to the box, you pull out your piece of paper, look up the password, and uh, log into your machine. So what Cloakware does is we take those things off the piece of paper and put them into a secure database and then release those passwords to administrators or applications based on some kind of predefined policy uh, that uh, that lets you meet compliance standards of your industry, like PCI. Now, uh, I, was, I was just going to bring that up. Um, most of our users are aware that we just did our State of Information Security Survey, and the number one uh, topic for this year was uh, regulatory compliance. Um, we all know PCI has been a big uh, buzzword with TJX and Hanover. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how this, this kind of works into that? Yeah, people are getting beaten over the head with uh, with compliance, and I think the issue is is how do you comply? Organizations know that they need to comply, but but it's finding the right tools to do that. So that's what Cloakware is doing with this password management is we've worked with organizations to figure out what the compliance issues are, and we've built that into an engine which lets you um, effectively apply that policy um, to passwords in the data center. Now, this is a software piece, or is it an appliance? Yes, or? it's software. Okay. Fits into pretty much any system, I mean. Uh-huh. We have a uh, connector-based architecture that, uh, that out of the box will plug into um, 
typical data center systems. We can also uh, we provide you with the tools so you can write your own connectors, and uh, it's a web-based interface. It's very easy to use. Okay. Um, all right. Sounds good. Let me ask you uh, one more question. If, if you could, um, what, what do you think are some of the, the or what's the major trend that you see? You know, an ID and access management, I guess, not from the um, you know end user or customer standpoint, but from the uh, you know administrator standpoint. What, what, what's going on? What, what can we expect for the coming year? I think uh, companies are starting to recognize that they really need to protect their brand and that protecting your brand means protecting access to the data that, that drives a company. And you've got a lot of administrators and, and people inside your organization with privileged access to that information. How do you control that? How do you control who gets at that critical data which uh, which defines your brand? And that's where Cloakware comes in with a solution to, to, to provide some policy-driven uh, control over that brand and that, that data which, which underpins your organization. Very good. Okay. Thanks again. Uh, once again, Jordan Smith with Cloakware. Thanks very much. I'm speaking now with Crossroads and Anique Turgeon, and she's going to tell us a little bit about uh, what the company does and how they pertain to the financial services industry. So, Anique? Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, Crossroads is a fantastic company. We have been in business for a long time, 11 years. We are a publicly traded company. We have got very large companies that we have been selling our solutions through, HP, IBM, Sun, EMC. If you you have a type library, you are using our products. We are the routing devices that has been doing your access control. So the basis of your security has always been offered to you by Crossroads System. You just didn't know about it. So we are the Maytag. We don't break down. We are very reliable. And what we have done over the last two years is that we have offered uh, new solutions in data protection and data security. Knowing that we own the IP on the access control and we own the technology, the RMI, routing messaging technology, we are able to support large banks, large financial institutions, and that's why all of the major stock exchanges around the world, as well as large banks, are using Crossroads right now as part of their backup strategy with the virtual tape service. New York Stock Exchange works that way, does that. They depend on a vendor that within 20 minutes will get them back and running, no matter what is the incident. You've got a hurricane, you've got a tornado, mudslide, whatever. You need to keep up in business. And the data of your customers need to be protected to that level that nobody can break in. So we do have now data encryption type of solution pervasively throughout your architecture. No matter where your data is being stored as a data address type of solution, you need to be able to protect it. So we have the encryption solutions that I talked about, and we also have health management, environmental, and audit tracking uh, type of solution. For bank, it's important to know when someone's breaking in and changing the bank, uh, your, like your data, financial information, your, where is mo your money being moved to. It may be done accidentally. It may be done maliciously, you need to be able to prevent that and also have a full track audit log for your IT auditors at the end of the day of what has 
been happening. And that's what we have solutions at the database layer for that. We have solutions at the tape layer. And we're coming up with full central console management for all of your solutions. Our products are mostly appliance-based. We do have some, lots of software solutions too to maximize your the management of your data, reduce the cost in your environment, and automate a lot of functions. We know that people in banks have got, in the IT department, lots of responsibilities. So we automate the processes and make sure that you have the audit logs at the end of the day that your auditors will be able to use. We also provide backup type of solutions for your remote branch offices. And that's particularly important uh, for a lot of the centralized data that you want to integrate together into your fiscal reports at the end of the year. And it's also important to get that information, especially if you have also information being stored on laptops of your executives of your company. Banks, at the end of the year, they need to be able to deliver a report. What happens if they're, like, the hard drive of a CEO crashes? Well, you need to be able to, like, add it up. I know my CEO needs to do his earning calls on a quarterly basis. He keeps all his data on his computer because he travels all the time. It's important to be able to be back up within five minutes in his case. So that's the type of solution that we offer. Very good. So once again, uh, Anik Turgeon with uh, Crossroads. Thank you. Now I'm speaking with Jim Fulton of Digital Persona, and they have a biometric solution, and Jim's going to tell us a little bit about uh, Digital Persona and how their product pertains to the financial services industry. Well, thank you. Uh, Digital Persona provides software uh, for really being able to link actual people to specific solutions so that with our fingerprint authentication software, you're able to ensure that employees and, and others are performing the actions that, that you expect so that you're able to, for example, uh, ensure that whenever a cash drawer is accessed, that it is that specific employee, not somebody else who has you know, borrowed a, a card or a token or a password. You're able to track whether a manager override uh, on a particular transaction was performed by the person who really intended to. Our software gives you centralized control so that you're able to control the the behavior and functionality uh, of all of your, your users from one central location. And the thing that, that is really working out well in a lot of credit unions and financial institutions is that our technology is so instinctively easy and fast to use that people don't even have to think about it. That you know, they can, with a simple touch, verify that they are who they say they are and provide that proof of presence for every single transaction. So I noticed you have a number of, um, I guess they're all fingerprint scanners here. Is that the main product? It's, it's fingerprint scanning technology? It's software, it's software principally that works with fingerprint hardware from a variety of different vendors. So our server-based software works with client software that you put on your PCs that provides the ability to log into Windows with your fingerprint, to log 
into web-based applications, Citrix applications, or legacy green screen applications, as well as to, to be integrated with your own custom applications so that you can do that transaction level authentication so that with, uh, with our software, you're able to, to be able to really track what people are doing at, at every step. And because fingerprints are so fast and easy to use, people really don't even have to think about it so that if, if they're going to, for example, uh, access a customer record, they can simply touch a fingerprint sensor and in less than a second uh, be able to prove that, that it is them who's accessing and to be able to get, get that permission. So that there's no more fumbling around with, with tokens or with cards. There's no more worries about uh, having to remember long passwords. So that with our, with our technology, you can you know, add that, that proof of presence and be able to do some interesting things like uh, you can deploy long passwords that auditors are, are for example, requiring on, on systems. Because with, with our, our software, by touching the, the fingerprint reader, employees can automatically have that long, that secure password attached to their automatically entered. And, in fact, you can then have you know, different types of passwords for different applications. The employee never has to worry about remembering or typing passwords, and so they really like the solution. On the IT side, you get the centralized control security and compliance that, for the first time, uses user behavior, you know, the desire to have that convenience and security, and for the first time, it aligns it with the corporate needs for strong security. So you get rid of things like you know, password problems, calls to help desks, sticky notes with, with passwords written on them. You also get better security because rather than just trying to secure people's login, you're actually able to secure the transactions that really matter the most so that you can prove who accessed a client record at, at every single stage. Okay? I know uh, biometrics is uh, definitely something that's of uh, great interest with our users right now. It seems to be uh, sort of as time goes on increasingly more so interesting to our users. What separates you from the competition? Really, it's, it's our software. Uh, the, the ability to centrally manage the, the whole biometric experience. So it, ultimately, it's not about the biometrics. It's about providing that control, security, and compliance for being able to, to, to prove who you say you are, to know that, that it was Bob who, who uh, opened that, that account for someone, that it was Jane who authorized uh, a transfer, you know, or it was Fred who, who did a particular brokerage transaction. And so with, with what we provide, that is almost so invisible and it's so easy to the end user, but it provides that power to the, the bank or to the credit union or the brokerage because it allows them to truly link that person to that action, not just, oh, the person who happened to you know, know that password or someone who had the, the card that got passed around. The only it, It's Fred, it's Bob, it's Jane, it's you. It almost sounds like a, an ID and access management solution, it, kind of, absolutely. to the power of 10 or something, you know, because you can get down to, you know, who's doing what and so exact actions that they've taken. Exact actions, who they are, where they are, when they're doing it, and knowing for sure. Not, well, we think it's that person, but knowing for sure. Right. Okay. Well, once again, uh, Jim Fulton, uh, Digital Persona. Well, thank you very much. We're here at RSA with Scott Olson from iOvation. 
Scott, how are you doing today? Doing great, thanks. Fantastic. Uh, listen, what is uh, happening out there in fraud management? What are the major uh, business trends? Well, the, the the major business trends are, first of all, the fraudsters are getting more organized. They're working together. A lot more organized fraud uh, occurring against not only the banking industry, but all industries. Sure. Um, and on the technology side, people are looking at uh, technologies that they can add to their existing techniques that would allow them to not only catch more fraud, but reduce their operational costs and protect their brand. Right. Right. Well, how is Iovation approaching this problem, especially for financial institutions, which you know uh, is our audience, really? Yeah. Well, what we do this a little bit different is that for most financial institutions, they're already very, they use all the latest and greatest techniques for combating fraud. But uh, many of those techniques, when it comes to credit issuance and identifying fraud rings and, and organized crime, uh, deal with identity-based systems that are either uh, with authentication or checking backgrounds of people uh, through their government IDs, right. credit-based systems which look at you know, their credit card history or you know, do they have a good credit rating or uh, if they're purchasing something, is that credit card valid? And what we add to the mix is we add a device-based reputation system that we can track histories of fraud and abuse that are associated with a particular device. And so, as an example, to a bank we could tell them this person that you're getting a credit card application from has used the device that they're applying for online ten times today to apply for ten other credit card applications using different personal information. So that's right. valuable. Right. So for organized crime, when they use the same devices to commit these uh, fraudulent acts, you can track them through the device, basically. Exactly. And not only through one device, but we can identify associations when they share accounts so we can identify multiple devices that are uh, involved in that fraud rings and make the links, what we call a web of association between those uh, organized crime units, fraudsters, etc. Fantastic. Well, how is that differentiated from uh, other solutions in the marketplace right now? Right now, device-based systems are pretty new, and so the ability for us to fingerprint, identify, and re-identify a device and then apply that to a fraud-based management system is new. We also do it as a service, so we are actually processing you know, 2 million uh, reputation requests per day for our devices that we track. Uh, and we share that information among all of our customers so that one bank can benefit from the fact that another bank identified fraud, even if it's a customer that they've never seen before. Right, so you're enabling them to join together to fight fraud. Exactly. Just like the fraudsters have organized, then we allow the banks to organize, track histories of fraud and abuse on a particular device, and identify those associations between accounts and device that were previously invisible. Fantastic. What advice do you have for the FIs that are visiting our site? For the FIs, I would just say uh, most of them typically look at all the best practices, and that this is a, you know, security is a process, not an event, and so this is one of the one of the techniques that can actually add a significant uplift to their fraud uh, management techniques. Fantastic. Well, thanks for taking the time. Great. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. So I'm speaking now with Maury Haber of EI Digital Security, and uh, Maury's going to tell us a little bit more about their company and how they deal with the financial services industry. Maury? Thank you. Um, basically, EI Digital Security is a pioneer for vulnerability assessment and management. 
We're basically an integrated threat management vendor. So what we're providing with clients is vulnerability assessment and endpoint protection for their hosts to ensure that there are no uh, data leakages, places that there could be loss of data. Um, we were talking about some of the smaller and mid-sized institutions that might be writing some of their internet applications in-house. How do you guys sort of deal with that or how can you help with that? Certainly. So EI traditionally was is a vulnerability assessment company. Our flagship product, Retina Network Security Scanner, allows us to scan for network-based vulnerabilities, operating system vulnerabilities, and application. What we're seeing as a trend in the industry is applications moving more to a web-based model, whether it be SaaS or MSP-based. Just like you would have a client come in and pay a bill online or access their account, how do you know that the development of those applications don't have flaws? How do you prove that someone can't go to that site, maliciously enter in wrong information, and cause SQL injection or cross-site scripting flaw to divulge inappropriate information? So EI has developed the Retina Web Security Scanner as a complement to our offering to test those websites for common vulnerabilities and exploits to prove that the application you're rolling out does not suffer from flaws that can be used maliciously. This can be used publicly on the Internet or it can be used anything internal. Basically, any website that you use that offers data or could potentially offer critical data to an employee or to a consumer can be tested to prove whether it can be penetrated or not. Now, would you say uh, specifically for financial institutions, um, when you deploy something like this, do you find many vulnerabilities? I mean, is it... It is surprising. Um, if this was done manually, you're talking thousands of man hours to physically go through and test these applications, especially when you're talking about a search field or entering a credit card or anything like that. So the amount of combinations that you can do could be quite unyielding if it was manually done. You need a tool that's intelligent. It has to first crawl the entire website and learn all the places that you would potentially be able to extract the information from and then test that. In addition, we provide you the parameters to test with email addresses, bogus credit card information, birthdays, things like that, so that you can track how that information actually flows, flows to the back end of your system, where it goes. So let's say I have a credit card information or a social security number. If I have a key bogus one, a 555 number, and I now want to flag through all my IPS systems, all my databases, where it actually resides, I can then search for that bogus number every place and then look to see where it traversed my network and document. PCI requires that you know where all your critical information is going. By intentionally putting faulty information in or a key that you know, you can then trace it throughout your network. The web application scanner covers Section 6 of PCI compliance in its entirety so that you actually can get a good management result from the information that you do. And then finally, one of the reports that comes out is a strictly a privacy report. It will identify every place that you are putting credit cards, birthdays, social security numbers, any type of personal information, and then document it for you. So when you're dealing with the largest of large sites and you don't know every place that someone could be potentially putting information, you now have the tracking and ability to say, yes, I'm putting it here, I'm putting it here. Wait, why is this form asking for this information? Hmm, that should not be. And then track down why it was added. Is it an old web page? Should it even be there? Everything that you would need to cover yourself. Okay, let's talk for a bit about um, deployment. I know that you said uh, maybe originally this was software-based, but now you guys are offering an actual appliance. That's correct. So EI has traditionally been a software-based solution. What we have found is that clients need a turnkey of quicker ROI on their investment. In addition, when you're dealing with medium to large clients, you're not just dealing with one location where you can send a pro-serve guy in for one day. We can pre-configure the boxes, we load the operating systems, we harden the operating system, uh, we're providing all the supporting database um, 
licenses, etc., so that you can plug it in and within 15 minutes of an IP, you're up and scanning and running. Our newest appliance is the 651. That includes Retina as a vulnerability assessment scanner, Iris as a network traffic analyzer, and a local copy of Blink, which is our host-based intrusion prevention. The reason this is different than a traditional vulnerability assessment solution is that Iris allows you to get distribution, packet distribution or statistics from your network to say, I'm seeing the bulk of my traffic in this format going to this website, going to these IP addresses. The appliance has dual gigabit NICs, so I can be scanning on one side and then sniffing through a span port on the other. So if I'm worried about why traffic is going to a certain IP address, I can collect that information and then report on it. So you're doing the forensics as well as you're doing the vulnerability assessment of one small appliance. The appliance itself also ships in a backpack, a small backpack for convenience. It's about the size of a shoebox. You could then put it in a branch office on a shelf, but if you have a small location or a, you're a one-man shop for security, it's something that you can throw on your back, carry to the location, do your assessment, pack back up, and walk to the next place. And a lot of the smaller institutions, financial institutions, may not have the dedicated resources, but have the regulatory compliance to get there, and this provides a very viable alternative for them to be Okay. Once again, uh, Maury Haber with EI Digital Security. Thank you. I'm here with Yuval Ben Itzak with Finjin, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about who Finjin is and how they fit in with the financial services industry. Hi. Finjin is a web security company. Uh, we provide uh, the financial uh, industry with web security solutions to protect against the threat, against the cyber crime that is out there that's targeting their resource and data. Finjin provides appliances uh, that are installed in the network and in real time inspect the content for malicious uh, uh, information. Finjin technology is not using signatures, it's not antivirus, it's not using database of URL, it's not URL filtering, it's using real-time content inspection, basically identifying malicious code based on what it does, and that's what you make Finjin so unique versus any other uh, vendor in the industry. Uh, we're operating in the U.S., having a headquarter in San Jose, but also having a business in Europe, uh, so we're very strong in these two uh, markets. Can you speak a little bit about how um, you know this might be deployed in your uh, typical community bank or credit union? Yeah, the products uh, are installed in the network of the bank, uh, protecting the incoming traffic. So, for example, if the bank employees uh, uh, want to browse to CNN.com or any other uh, banking information, and if malicious code is coming from there, the Finjan appliance will inspect the incoming and outgoing traffic, make sure no malicious code uh, will go inside the bank, and if malicious code is already there, it will be able to identify it when it's tried to phone home and send it. Uh, information. In addition to that, uh, the banks uh, are having problems to secure their customers because if the customer machine is that infected and this Trojan host that will be installed there will watch for the passwords and for other things that uh, the user is doing online, it's, it's increased the risk for the bank for doing business. So Finjan, uh, with, with the web security technology that we have, can secure uh, the bank customers as well to make sure that when they browse the internet, even not just on the bank side, just to browse the internet in general, they will remain safe so when they go and do their online uh, banking transaction, these transactions will have uh, uh, a low uh, 
risk level or low risk, and that's the benefit of the bank. Okay. Um, let's talk about a, a bit, if we can, uh, regulatory compliance. That's a major issue with um, you know our users. It was indicated in our survey that we did state of information security as being the number one driver, uh, number one priority for financial institutions this year in 2008. What can you tell me about how FinGen helps satisfy regulatory compliance? Yeah, FinGen enable compliance. If you want to be a compliance, you need FinGen because uh, you need to make sure that you secure your data. You need to make sure that the data is not going out, is not leaving your network, and you need to make sure that uh, these type of criminals will not be able to infiltrate uh, their malicious code and steal the data. So the compliance gives you some of the minimum requirements that you need in order to, you know, to be compliant, and things just enable that because we can detect this information, we can detect what is happening, we can make sure that everything is secure, everything is under control, and provided the reports. Uh, and, and we did that several times already uh, with auditing the network, making sure this information is, is secure and no one is touching it, no one is sending it in the wire. And the reports clearly shows you, hey, you are okay, you are compliant uh, with what you need to do. Let me ask you another question. Um, you know, what, what, what have you seen maybe in the past six months or, or what's coming up in the near future? What are some trends that you, you think are coming out for financial services industry? Yeah, uh, things that just released here in RSA are uh, Q1 2008 trend report. And we issue these reports on a quality basis. They're available on the Fingen.com website. Uh, you can download them. And this, this is where we highlight what's coming next. Well, what's the uh, next attack or next method these criminals are going to use to steal our data and basically sell it online. So we started to see uh, a new trend that uh, these criminals can provide you with a service that they will go and attack someone for you and they can steal the data for you. So you don't need to know to have any uh, security background, you don't need to have any computer science skill. But let's say you want to impact a customer of Bank X. So if uh, these criminals know what are the sites these uh, people are visiting, for example, if they are uh, uh, in, I don't know, in Texas, so they will go infect websites in Texas. So all people visiting this site will start to get infected with Trojan horses and online bank uh, banking data, like the PIN numbers and the username and passwords, will be stolen. And so you, now you can get it. So believe it or not, these type of services already exist, already there. And the report just provide more information how they operate, what they're doing, and how people are taking uh, benefit of that. That's very interesting. So uh, cybercrime and grimer in general now turn to be a service and not just as a specific attack targeting someone. Very good. Okay. Once again, uh, you've all been exact with Fingen. Thank you very much. We're here at RSA with John Bromhead, who's product marketing for the Terrari content processors at uh, LSI. John, how are you today? Doing well. Thanks for coming. Fantastic. Hey, John, uh, give us an idea of what you're seeing out there as the biggest business drivers, uh, you know, particularly to financial institutions and information security today. Right. Well, one of the things we're seeing is that it's not just protecting data that's coming into a bank, you know, the viruses and the intrusions and that. There's a big market now growing for the compliance side of things, watching everything as it leaves a bank. And our, our silicon allows you to check every bit of every packet leaving or entering a bank. 
and so you can do quite a bit of uh, scanning for uh, data leakage, for credit card information leaving, as well as viruses coming in. Fantastic. So it's it's actually positioned at, at both ends, uh, checking things in and, and coming out. Exactly. And uh, some people call that intrusion and extrusion. Some sure. people call it data leakage protection, DLP. I've heard many different terms. Um, but the, the whole compliance, you know, company confidential data. It could be, you know, banking records for somebody. You get a lot of knowledge by if you know how much money they're transacting. Sure. You know how their businesses are doing, so you can get a lot of competitive information. You may not be stealing money, but you get competitive advantage, or you know that they're weak and they could be bought, or it's various things. So there's a huge amount of things you've got to be careful of, you know, just getting bank details available to people that shouldn't be getting them. Sure, no doubt financial institutions want to protect this data on both ends. Yeah. Um, so how, how is your solution sort of positioned in the marketplace? I know you, you don't sell uh, directly to the banks. Uh, how, how does that work? Right. We sell silicon chips that go into equipment that the banks would buy and the sure. financial institutions would buy with uh, customers like Secure Computing, Cisco, Alcatel, many, many, many uh, suppliers across the world. Fantastic. And they'll be actually putting the silicon into um, high-end, you know, uh, main enterprise class at company headquarters, but now with driving the pricing down on the chips, you can actually put security and compliance in local branch branch, uh, branches, because now you can put the silicon in, you know, a $2,000, $5,000 router. Fantastic. So the smaller banks that, to this point, maybe haven't been able to implement this, they they can actually consider it now. Exactly. They may they probably have a router or a connected connection to the internet and they're running a VPN tunnel or something like that back to headquarters. Maybe they had a simple firewall, but with our silicon they can add a con- deep content inspection. They can look at every bit of every packet, either incoming or outgoing, and make decisions on whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Fantastic. So how is this um, situated against other people that are, are trying to accomplish this? Today, most people are trying to use software. They're okay. using, you know, like a Xeon, an Intel processor, Xeon, 3 gigahertz quad Xeon, can only do about a quarter of a, a, a gigabit per second. And with our technology, we support multi-gigabits per second. So within a branch branch, instead of slowing down all the computers because you're going through a bottleneck, they can run at full speed. Fantastic. That's a good differentiator. Uh, so, in general, uh, it, it sounds like a, a great product line. What advice do you have uh, for financial institutions out there that are, that are grappling with these issues? They haven't implemented these uh, solutions on the lower end. I would definitely advise them to look to the the top sort of vendors that are suppliers in the unified threat management market and the intrusion protection market, and look at the ones that are actually taking advantage of silicon. So companies like Fortinet, SonicWall, Cisco, Juniper, Secure Computing, they're the top five according to IDC, and they're really driving the price down, yet giving great protection, great compliance at, at you know very good prices. Fantastic. John, thanks for meeting with us. No problem. I'm speaking now with Forescout and Ray Wisbowski, and he's going to tell us a little bit about their products and services and how they fit in with the finance industry. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Forescout Technologies is a network access control appliance that provides functionality to allow uh, institutions to control who gains access to what on a particular network. Uh, 
how we've seen this play in the finance industry in particular is, is along the compliance front. So we have issues, initiatives like PCI compliance or Sarbanes-Oxley, and overseas we see you know, Basel 1, Basel 2. A lot of the different compliance initiatives which dictate and uh, ensure that institutions are deploying proper access control technologies. So from a Forescout perspective, we have five different ways that we do that, and I'm, I'm not going to go into great detail on this, but just to give you a brief overview, one of the things is, is visibility. That's absolutely critical to understanding who's coming onto your network, what devices are currently plugged into your network, and, and not just having that be limited to uh, user-based devices, but all devices that are attached to the network. Uh, as many people know that things like printers or VoIP phones can be a point of, of infiltration into your network because you have the issue of them being attached to the network and someone can come along, unplug that, and then plug a, a user-based device like a laptop into that port and gain access behind the firewall to the actual, the, the, the key, the, the critical data of the network. Right. So having having the ability to detect and to see all that traffic is a critical point of view. We're an out-of-band clientless appliance, so we deploy next to a distribution layer switch typically. We don't require uh, any form of code to reside on those endpoints. So whether that's a user device or a, uh, a printer or a VoIP phone or a piece of man manufacturing equipment, we're going to see that device simply by its presence on the on the network. So from that point, there's a couple things that are very critical to, to do. Once you've seen the device and know exactly what the topology and the, the, the breadth of the network is, the next thing is being able to understand the level of compliance of that device. If it's a user-based device, for example, a contractor or a managed user, an employee who's plugged into the network, you want to make sure that they have a base security posture. So things like antivirus on and up to date, the latest security patches. One of our, our larger financial institutions, New York-based financial institution, has a disk encryption uh, software that has to be running before that, that device can connect to the network. So we check for that before it's allowed onto the network. Uh, from that point, the, 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 the big challenge with network access control in this particular segment is that I can a lot of people can see the devices. A lot of people can tell you what's wrong with them, but very few can actually fix the problem. So fixing the problem becomes a key point of differentiation when it comes to technology and a key point of differentiation for Forescout and our Counteract uh, family of products. So being able to do something, whether that's remediate that device, if, if it's a, a patch that's not, that, that's not on a particular endpoint, being able to queue the, the patching services or actually make sure that that device begins a process of updating itself is, is pretty critical to making sure that those devices remain compliant or are compliant at the point of connection and they can continue to remain compliant post-connection. So that leads us to the next point, which is actually monitoring the, the network for that continued compliance. I've made sure every device that's coming onto the network is compliant with my security policies, but I want to keep them compliant over a period of time. So as, as they live on, on the network for you know, maybe a day or a couple days, depending on, on the type of device that we're talking about, then I continually monitor that device for, number one, self-propagating threats. So has somebody downloaded something, opened an attachment, you know, launched some sort of attack? Well, I want to see that in real time. We'll continue to monitor in real time for that type of traffic. But I also want to look for the antivirus on and up to date. Those other security posture uh, metrics that you would want to have enforced. So I'm going to do that schedule. You know, every hour, every four hours, every day, depending on, on what you know, the, the administrator wants to do for their particular security posture. And then the final step of, of this whole process is I've got to tell 
exactly what's taking place. I've got to be able to actually report on the, the, the metrics. In an audit trail. I'll leave an audit trail. So audit trail, but also telling my boss what I've done. You know, to say, I invested in this tool, and this tool is going to, to it, it's delivered value because here's all the events that we saw took place. Here's how the, the device automatically enforced against that or remediated that problem. And that gives me my PCI audit trail. It gives me my SOX audit trail. Uh, we have some customers who are using it for 404 attestation for Sarbanes-Oxley. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of different functionality when it comes to that reporting mechanism. We also we, we allow our, our customers to do that automated so they can send an HTML email to uh, you know, a supervisor or their supervisor uh, so that they can get a real, you know, some sort of a, a weekly or monthly or quarterly update depending on how they want to pre- present that information. So a lot of different ways of, of actually seeing that information. So from our perspective, that's how we, we look at the uh, uh, providing that access control functionality to the financial markets and being able to contribute to an overall solid compliance stance that's going to help you get past those security audits. What um is there is there anything you can tell us about uh, trends or anything interesting uh, specific to the finance industry that you uh, as far as network access control goes for the past six months or anything that you see over the next year or anything? What's 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 going to be the next big thing in network access control? So yeah, I don't know that it's the next big thing in network access control, but what what I uh, let me tell you a story. That's the, the best way to, to do is we have a, a, a very large customer, Fortune 100 uh, company based out of New York that is in the process of going through all their PCI audits. And we have a technology called Virtual Firewall, which allows us to uh, look at every session and block the sessions that are, are not appropriate to a specific resource. Why that's important is because for PCI, PCI requirement number one is you must have a firewall in place. And it's a, the brain dead. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so of course I should have a firewall in place. But what that, that means for an IT administrator is that if I've got a database that has cardholder information, I have to remove that from its physical location. I have to firewall the whole thing with, with inline firewalls that are going to block traffic to that device. What this company has done, and I, I can't uh, share the name unfortunately, but what this company has done has used our virtual firewall technology, set a policy saying, I don't want any traffic, unauthorized traffic, coming from the network to this database. And so they've set this virtual firewall policy. Well, what that's done for them is they don't have to touch the physical infrastructure. They can do this all through virtual segmentation. So now they're segmenting that database, and they've passed the, the initial phase of their audit using this technology without having to deploy new technology, without having to put in physical firewalls, and without having to re-architect their network. So from a cost and time savings, it's, it's a fantastic uh, trend when it comes to actually looking at the how you're, you're enforcing against uh, against these, these compliance initiatives, but using technology that, that allows you to virtualize the security front. Okay. Once again, uh, Ray Wisbowski with Scout Technologies. Great. Thanks, Mike. Rob Rockwald now of Fortify Software, and Rob's going to tell our users who may not be aware of who Fortify Software is and how they address the financial services industry. 
Unify software provides companies with 360 degree protection for the applications that they build. So we have something that will help your developers write uh, code securely during uh, development, do Q security testing during QA, as well as uh, runtime protection. But more importantly, what we also do is complement our products with uh, services that will help companies mobilize more effectively from a process standpoint towards uh, a secure infrastructure around secure applications. Okay. Uh, maybe, Rob, uh, you know, before we started, we were talking a little bit about uh, regulatory compliance being a main priority for uh, financial institutions and our users. In 2008, can you tell us a little bit more about how you address regulatory compliance? We address regulatory compliance in a number of different ways. So, for example, uh, things like FFIEC does require that you implement secure coding practices and actually build security from uh, from the inside out. So we provide a number of capabilities that help uh, developers write code securely as well as train them from a services standpoint so that they understand what, um, uh, what secure coding is all about. But we also address some other regulatory things. For example, Sarbanes-Oxley is something else that uh, a number of our customers have used to uh, show during uh, audits, during the, the audit process, that, uh, that in fact uh, they have addressed all the risk within the company. Say, uh, similarly, uh, GLBA is another driver for a number of our cu uh, customers as well, and that's another reason why uh, we actually have a pretty good uh, footprint inside the financial services industry. <laughs> and Rob, who would you say at a financial institution would be the main proponent for um, getting your technology? implemented? Like, who's going to be responsible for, you know, making the decision to go with you guys? Well, I would say from uh, a business standpoint, obviously anybody who's in charge of compliance, so that could be, you know, the board of directors who are, in some cases, responsible, or even uh, the lawyers who have to understand what the risks are and advise people what the risks are uh, within the company. Uh, but then there's also, you know, slightly more technical side, which could be the security team and the chief information uh, security officer as well. So they would probably do some of the evaluation uh, of the products um, and then the implementation and the usage as well, whereas you know, more on the, the, the legal side they're going to try to understand how that translates into supporting a specific uh, mandate. Okay. And uh, one more question for you. Um, can you tell us about any maybe trends you've noticed over the past year or going into 2008 or uh, any words of advice you'd like to offer our, our users? I'd say the main trend that people are starting to recognize in uh, uh, the software industry in general, but it's really been led by the, uh, some of the, the, the top financial institutions, is really taking an inside-out approach as opposed to an outside-in approach. So in the past, when you went about security, you would try to build a wall, whether it's a firewall or something like that, and really what the, the hackers are going after is some of the data and some of the, 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 the things that are core within the application. So if you build your software to be strong from the inside out as opposed to trying to put a wall around something that's inherently weak. That's a big change and it's a big shift and that's what we're seeing uh, taking place uh, and it's being spearheaded by a number of leading financial institutions that are um, uh, Fortify customers. Very good. Once again, uh, Rob Rockwald with Fortify Software. Thank you.
I'm with Tom Miltenberger now of Guardian Analytics, and Tom is going to tell our audience, for those who aren't familiar, a little bit more about what Guardian Analytics does and how they work in with the financial services industry. So, Tom? Sure. Hi. Thanks, Mike. So, Guardian Analytics provides solutions to help prevent online fraud. Particularly, we're looking at account takeover fraud, where someone's stolen your credentials. We're very unique in our approach. Basically, it's we fit into the whole layered approach. We provide strong back-end analytics tools that can operate in real time. They can identify when there's suspicious activity going on on someone's account. So they've gotten past your, your authentication system. We can tie into authentication. We can strengthen the authentication system. But what we also do is if they have gotten around your authentication system, is there suspicious activity happening on that account? We can look at the actual session generation, actually the logging in. We can also look at the transactional behavior and actually activity behavior, not just financial transactions with other things the person does on account. We're unique in two aspects. First is the strength of our analytics. We have some proprietary technology called dynamic account modeling that allows us to, uh, of course, detect fraud, but with a very, very low false alarm rate, orders of magnitude lower false alarm rates than anyone else in the industry. And we also have, I think our vision is much more risk management approach to fraud prevention. So it's not just authentication. It's really an application that gives you, across your organization, deep insight into what's happening online so you can prevent fraud. So tools that help your fraud analyst team rapidly respond to events, uh, do quick investigations, do deep forensics, monitor what's happening, decide what the appropriate response is, help your risk management team understand what is the level of risk that you're under today. Is it increasing? Is it decreasing? Are your current fraud fraud controls effective or not being effective? So really a more holistic risk management approach that goes across the organization um, and very strong analytics. Uh, We've seen this. We're deployed with a number of customers, primarily focusing on the financial services industry, banks, credit unions, brokerages. Um, And they're seeing us not being able, also being able to prevent online fraud, but really being able to crack this multi-channel fraud problem as well, too, where we're seeing online breaches, and that online breach is really a a reconnaissance mission to collect information, and then subsequent offline transactions as well. So even though we're focusing on online today, it's really turning out to be a multi-channel solution even today, and preventing this multi-channel fraud problem that's growing in the industry. So, so you know, what is is this an appliance? Is it software? Like, how how is this actually deployed in an institution? It it is software. Uh, You can sort of think of it like a virus protection model in the sense that it is software. It goes, it sits next to your online banking system. It processes the data in real time, so it can actually feedback and intervene in the session itself. And then it provides you this rich application. So all your data is within your organization. Uh, We then also, the the system can talk back, so we can kind of network information across banks and basically look for patterns and look for cross-correlations and feed that back into our models and then provide regular updates to the models and the algorithms that are actually deployed in the field as well, too. Let me ask you a question. Who would be, um, you know, the main proponent at an institution to actually get this technology deployed? What would be the person that's mostly responsible? Sure. Well, it's really uh, a shared. It really comes from the business owner of the online channel uh, because that we really see this as a top-line function as much as a fraud prevention function. How do you actually instill trust in the online channel? How do you offer new features and, and capabilities to your customers because now you can protect them? Now you can protect real-time wire transfers where before you couldn't. So it's really the business owner of the online channel, but then it's also the, the chief information security officer who's usually tasked with what is the solution, what is the right technology to put in place. And of course, you know, we, we will 
we'll touch on the fraud loss people, the risk management, but the the online channel manager and the CISO are really the two people that are that are driving the project in house. One more question for you: um, Can you tell us about any trends that you've seen over the past year, coming up in 2008, or any words of advice you could offer our users? Uh, I think the trend that we've seen, and I think that has really surprised our customer, is this multi-channel fraud issue. That fraudsters are being very creative, not just purely from the technology point of view, but from a process point of view, where they can steal little bits and pieces of information from various different places and then figure out how to monetize it. So your online channel, I think a lot of people say, gosh, I'm not necessarily losing a lot of dollars on my online channel from fraud, but what you are losing that you probably don't know about is a lot of information about your customer, and you're losing money somewhere else, and you're not being able to correlate those two effects together. So I think this multi-channel, using the online channel as an information source and being able to stop that is really where we're seeing a, a lot of need in the marketplace. Very good. Okay, once again, Tom Miltenberger with Guardian Analytics. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Tom Field with Information Security Media Group. I'm here at the RSA conference talking with Gary Lefkowitz, Marketing Director with HP Secure Advantage. Hey, Gary, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to be with you, Tom. Gary, give me a sense of, um, in terms of financial services, what are the biggest challenges that your customers are dealing with today? Well, I think there's two. There's a two-fold challenge here. Number one is um, there's a lot of concern on our customers' part about the investment that they have in capital equipment. Um, there's, uh, there's, there's certainly um, a concern about security breaches and the, the impact that they'll have on their operations. Uh, no one wants to essentially provide for any in, uninterrupted kind of uh, service. Uh, so there's a lot of concern about uh, either insider or external threats from the security side, protecting the, the uh, resources that they have a significant investment in, but also the data itself. The data is uh, data elements today are being traded for cash, and we're in a different day. So stolen credit card da databases, they all exist. They're in eBay-like environments. And it's important to be able to address this issue of how to lock down on the data, okay, protect that data. And then finally, uh, they're also concerned about being able to, to demonstrate their compliance and prove what they've done to management as part of their compliance evidence, for example, PCI and so on. So that's, that's really what's uh, concerning them from a security standpoint. As these spectacular hacks happen, uh, and they are publicized because of uh, cardholder uh, awareness and uh, uh, notification laws like California State Bill 1386, they need tools and they need know-how and they need services uh, and capabilities to really uh, help them comply and deal with the compliance challenge. Okay, so people know the HP brand. Give us a sense of what some of the specific solutions are that you're deploying that are helping your financial services customers to tackle these challenges. Well, that sounds great. We actually have a lot of uh, technologies that, and services that are geared to the specific requirements of the financial services industry. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of uh, specific mandates in that, uh, in that industry. It's very evolved in terms of how to be able to, to, for example, move money through networks. That's, that's a very uh, evolved sort of uh, mandate, and, and the standards are there. The interoperability is there. Uh, organizationally, they're ready for those kinds of uh, products and services. Um, from, a, uh, from a new product standpoint, we, we introduced uh, a lot of encryption as part of our security products roadmaps throughout the breadth of products that HP has to offer. And uh, with that encryption, there's also the necessity to manage encrypting keys effectively because 
if you don't manage keys effectively, um, your encryption is sort of for not. If, if you misplace those keys, you lose control of those keys, um, you can either lose the data or worse, um, could be subject to either insider or external type threats. So uh, we introduced a secure key manager for our StorageWorks uh, LTO4 product lines. That complements the native encryption capability on those LTO4 drives. Uh, the next thing that we introduced is actually a, um, the ability to take the access control logs from that SKM product and incorporate that as part of your compliance evidence. And we use a product that does uh, log event collection and analysis called the Compliance Log Warehouse. So one of the things that we're featuring here at RSA is the interoperability between those two products. So that, again, you can deploy the Secure Key Manager, and then you can use all of the access control laws as part of your payment card industry compliance evidence. Now, what are your customers, what kind of results are they getting for the business, and what are you learning from the results that they're communicating back to you? Well, that's, a, that's an excellent point. I think overall, I think... Um, what we've been uh, out here at RSA promoting is the fact that um, HP really has a lot of products, services, know-how, and we're not talking about specific conversations on point products. We're talking about all of their security and compliance issues and being able to deploy the full breadth of our portfolio to solve some of those problems. Now, you're in the financial services business here. What kind of trends do you see sort of emanating up this year? What are people talking to you about at the show? Well, again, I think we've been talking about the fact that uh, data elements are being traded for cash now. So I think that has a huge impact on just about everywhere where um, elements of your identity, um, various other data elements are exposed or can be um, stolen or um, uh, subject to um, uh, any sort of security breach and that kind of thing. So I think uh, more and more we're seeing point products. We're seeing the, uh, these spectacular hacks like numerous uh, pick up the hack du jour kind of thing. And then as a result, we're seeing the regulatory environment getting ratcheted up. So again, our customers need tools, they need know-how, they need products and services uh, to be able to comply and uh, lock down their environments. Uh, well said. You're certainly speaking to the, the sweet spot of our constituency. Mm -hmm. Gary Lefkowitz with HP, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure. It's for Information Security Media Group. This is Tom Field. Thank you. We're here at RSA with John Bromhead, who's product marketing for the Terrari content processors at uh, LSI. John, how are you today? Doing well. Thanks for coming. Fantastic. Hey, John, uh, give us an idea of what you're seeing out there as the biggest business drivers, uh, you know, particularly to financial institutions and information security today. Right. Well, one of the things we're seeing is that it's not just protecting data that's coming into a bank, you know, the viruses and the intrusions to that. There's a big market now growing for the compliance side of things, watching everything as it leaves a bank. And our, our silicon allows you to check every bit of every packet leaving or entering a bank. And so you can do quite a bit of uh, scanning for uh, data leakage, for credit card information leaving, as well as viruses coming in. Fantastic. So it's, it's actually positioned at, at both ends, uh, checking things in and, and coming out. Exactly. And uh, some people call that intrusion and extrusion. Some sure. people call it data leakage protection, DLP. I've heard many different terms. Um, but the, the whole compliance, you know, company confidential data. It could be, you know, banking records for somebody. You get a lot of knowledge by if you know how much money they're transacting, sure. you know how their businesses are doing, so you can get a lot of competitive information. You may not be stealing 
money, but you get competitive advantage, or you know that they're weak and they could be bought, or various things. So there's a huge amount of things you've got to be careful of, you know, just getting bank details available to people that shouldn't be getting them. Sure, no doubt financial institutions want to protect this data on both ends. Yeah. Um, so how, how is your solution sort of positioned in the marketplace? I know you, you don't sell uh, directly to the banks. Uh, how, how does that work? Right. We sell silicon chips that go into equipment that the banks would buy and the sure. financial institutions would buy with uh, customers like Secure Computing, Cisco, Alcatel, many, many, many uh, suppliers across the world. Fantastic. And they'll be actually putting the silicon into um, high-end, you know, uh, main enterprise class at company headquarters, but right. now with driving the pricing down on the chips, you can actually put security and compliance in local branch, branch uh, branches, because now you can put the silicon in you know, a $2,000, $5,000 router. Fantastic. So the smaller banks that, to this point, maybe haven't been able to implement this, they, they can actually consider it. Exactly. They, may, they probably have a router or a connected connection to the Internet, and they're running a VPN tunnel or something like that back to headquarters. Maybe they had a simple firewall. But with our silicon, they can add uh, con- deep content inspection. They can look at every bit of every packet, either incoming or outgoing, and make decisions on whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Fantastic. So how is this um, situated against other people that are, are trying to accomplish this? Today, most people are trying to use software. They're okay. using, you know, like a Xeon, an Intel processor, Xeon, 3 gigahertz quad Xeon, can only do about a quarter of a, a, a gigabit per second. And with our technology, we support multi-gigabits per second. So within a branch branch, instead of slowing down all the computers because you're going through a bottleneck, they can run at full speed. Fantastic. That's a good differentiator. Uh, so, in general, uh, it, it sounds like a, a great product line. What advice do you have uh, for financial institutions out there that are, that are grappling with these issues? They haven't implemented these uh, solutions on the lower end. I would definitely advise them to look to the the top sort of vendors that are suppliers in the unified threat management market and the intrusion protection market, and look at the ones that are actually taking advantage of silicon. So companies like Fortinet, SonicWall, Cisco, Juniper, Secure Computing, they're the top five according to IDC, and they're really driving the price down, yet giving great protection, great compliance at, at you know very good prices. Fantastic. John, thanks for meeting with us. No problem. Hi, this is Tom Field with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today talking with Joshua Corman, Principal Strategist, Security and Privacy, Internet Security Systems with IBM Global Technology Services. Joshua, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk with you about financial services. You see financial services customers, banks, credit unions, etc. What are some of the big challenges you see them grappling with right now? There's really a it's a perfect storm of two sets of evolution. We're seeing a rapid evolution in the threat, far, far more sophisticated attacks. They're heading beyond network vulnerabilities and software vulnerabilities up the stack into web application vulnerabilities. They're also heading up into the human stack, where the dominance and, and effectiveness of storm, like the storm botnet or the Kraken uh, morphing version of the botnet are really flourishing based on social engineering. In fact, we've heard of phishing, maybe even spear phishing, and one of the newer terms is farming, where they're targeting uh, not only employees of a specific company or financial institution, but the executives, the big fish. Uh, so it's a rapidly evolving threat landscape, uh, more targeted, more financially motivated, 
But the other part of the storm is that the security industry itself is going through several changes and consolidations and conversions. At this show alone, we're seeing uh, a push towards far fewer players, far larger players, which are trying to bring a little order in a, a fairly fragmented security space. So one of the largest topics I have with my financial institution clients is how can I reduce the cost and complexity of security across the five different domains of application security, data security, people security, infrastructure security, and physical security. Uh, many of the security uh, assets and services and companies grew up organically in these stovepipes. The horizontal business challenges like PCI compliance or data security really require pretty tight collaboration across those different disciplines. It's very difficult to find a single organization that can handle, that has prowess and strength and assets and expertise in all of them. So uh, we're really aligning with IGM for that driver. In addition to the evolving threat, it's more about how can security enable business. In fact, Val Ramani is a keynote here. Uh, tongue-in-cheek said that IBM is getting out of the security business because we want to transform security from being a cost or a distraction into being something that transforms into business sustainability. Security isn't the means, I mean the ends, it's the means to the end. And uh, it also has to transform from something where uh, security is what you can't, can't do to security becoming an enabler. So if you have a business goal that isn't outsourcing, you can't currently do that securely. How can security enable you to do your business imperative? So it's really both. It's a conversation about how can you protect me against these increasingly sophisticated and effective attacks, and uh, how can you help me reduce the cost and complexity of my current solutions. I've actually heard some of the CMC suites say, I won't get my uh, bonus this year unless I reduce my vendors by X, literally. Um, they say they spend more time managing their vendors than they do their security solutions. So we're looking to introduce uh, simplification, but not just oversimplification, but responsible simplification as people try to embrace this, this effort to reduce that cost of complexity. And that's going to be done by getting back to risk management, by understanding your business processes, and not just responding to the latest threat. If it, you don't want to have a virus or buy any virus, and spyware or buy anti-spyware, and root kits and buy anti-root kits, and when food comes out next year, I hope we don't make an anti-food. So we have to get out of playing checkers start playing chess. I believe that uh, we're, we're introducing that kind of scope of leadership. What are some of the key solutions that IBM is offering right now that would be of interest to financial institutions in overcoming some of these challenges? Well, part of this is that we always say as security professionals that security is about people, process, and technology, and yet we always go right for the technology. So IBM is really integrating professional, professional security services, managed security services, and capable hardware and software assets that we can help. A statistic I used recently uh, to explain this to my mother-in-law, she goes, well, why do you do these conferences and why do you do these talks and what are you actually saying to people? Can't they just buy products? And I said, well, you know, our two-year-old daughter has got a new car seat for her. And there's a statistic that says 80% of car seats are installed improperly and they don't actually protect you the way they're designed. Uh, at least my town offers the fire department one call it expertly to make sure that it, it achieves the goal for which it was purchased. It's very similar for, in a, at a highly complex scale. When you look at something like data security, it's such a holistic change to our overall security process because we're not looking to find the evil bit or the evil file or the evil network packet. It's not evil. It's your vital mission-critical data. It has to flow. It's not about finding it and stopping it. So it's very difficult to simply say we're going to buy technology and throw it at the problem. 
is it's far more about understanding your business, understanding your business process flow, securing it and enabling it. It's really not about stopping and clamping down. It's about enabling the valuable collaboration that our organizations need while mitigating risk. So what are some of the business results that you're hearing financial service executives come back and report to you from uh, deploying some of these solutions? Well, uh, the financial services, on the, for the most part, have been ahead of the curve. They've been adopting more of the necessary technologies for evolving threat, and they're benefiting from more of the professional services and the expert. And what it does is it's not that they couldn't do it on their own given enough time. It's that some of these challenges are three to five years in scope to design and deploy. And what we're doing is we're accelerating their ability to realize the benefits uh, by making sure that we can help them with our expertise and augment their own. It's also, uh, in some cases, um, a matter of there's so many security topics, uh, there are opportunities to uh, outsource or allow many security services for the, the mundane tasks so you can get a different headcount cost model. I mean, the other part that I, over, that I glossed over is it's not often the technology that costs the money. It's the headcount to operate the technology. So there's some attractive and lucrative cost models where you can outsource the mundane or the incredibly difficult and allow your, your teams to focus on the things that they know best, which is your company, your business. Um, I'm also seeing the adoption for other financial incentives of the Green Data Center initiatives from IBM and others. There's just so much financial incentive to, to go green. Uh, it's a collateral benefit that it's uh, also good for the environment. But there's so much cost savings in going to the Green Data Center. And what they're doing is they're baking in security from the start so that we can take these new, we actually announced at the show here, Project Phantom, which is our secure virtualization initiative. And uh, as they go green to save the cost of capital expenditure, cooling, energy, space, et cetera, they can use this as an opportunity to bake security and right from the beginning. So they know they're going to be protected against those evolving threats. They're going to save some money. Uh, and they're going to embrace the benefits of virtualization green without increasing the risk unnecessarily. Joshua, one of the things that credit unions and banks are, are being put to the test to now is on vendor management. Now, they're, they're being examined more strictly on how they manage vendors. What is something that IBM can do to help them improve their vendor management? You know, our credit unions are an excellent case because they have all the attack surface and all the regulatory compliance pressure that a very large financial institution will have without a dedicated 25-person to 50-person security team and without having been doing this for as long as they have. So they have the same level of risk um, and a lot less of a head start. So IBM's uh, specifically going to be of tremendous value there where they have to meet the challenge of that risk and meet the challenge of those compliance audits. Um, but need to do it very, very quickly. So they're an excellent case where doing it uh, in an uh, inefficient, highly costly way, like we've all done organically, is something they simply can't afford. So they're going to leverage the efficiencies that we could bring to that. One last question for you. What are some of the trends that you're seeing right now that are of particular interest to, to financial service industries? Companies? Uh, in the threat landscape, I'd say... Um, they're watching the, the distributed botnet phenomena very carefully. I think they're very concerned that they know that they, they use fairly sophisticated tools to tell if their systems are infected. And they feel fairly, at least my, my financial institution customers feel fairly confident that they're not compromised on the inside. But they're very concerned that that population out there, the leper colony, my mother-in-law's system, my cousin's system, represents a very real danger in the distributed denial of service type attack. 
So their their boards are asking them, how would we? What is our disaster recovery plan if we were a victim of a targeted DDoS attack? Um, another very top of mind issue for them is transactional fraud. Um, they're doing business with their clients, they're doing business with their partners, and in an environment where the base assumption needs to be that the other end of that transaction is a massively infected system. And even though it's not their responsibility to protect my mother-in-law's computer, it's still their problem. Because their brand and their identity, their differentiation comes from the ability to have trusted transactions. So we're seeing tremendous interest. And we've done some research and we have partnerships and we have service offerings we've built specifically to ensure that you can have secure transactions uh, for B2B, B2C, or e-commerce with the base assumption that you can't protect that and know that you can protect the transaction anyhow. Well said, Josh. I appreciate your time and your insight today, and uh, enjoy your show and safe travels home. Thank you. Hi, this is Tom Field with Information Security Media Group. I'm visiting today with the IDA Singapore. And sir, if you can introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and what you're doing here at the RSA conference. Hey, my name is uh, Eklim Lo. I'm the Deputy Director of the Enterprise Development Group in IDA. IDA has three primary functions. And obviously, first of all, IDA is a government agency that is dedicated to developing the IT industry in Singapore. We have three main functions. First one, we have we're the telecoms regulator, so it's uh, what we do very much like what FCC does here in the USA. Second, we're the government chief information officer, so uh, in that function, we basically do the architecting, the master planning, the procuring uh, of basically all IT services uh, throughout the whole government of Singapore. Uh, so half of IDA, we have a thousand one strong, but half of IDA is... Uh, basically forms the IT divisions of all the ministries, right? And then finally, and the purpose why we're bringing nine Singapore IT companies here to the RSA show is as an industry developer. And this, we work with, with uh, multinationals that are based out of Singapore, making sure that, you know, they are uh, doing uh, development activities in Singapore. That range from uh, doing... Uh, initiatives that uh, partner local enterprises, R&D activities in Singapore, and of course in this, for the purposes of this show we're bringing Singapore IT companies who are looking to export their solutions to the global market. And in this uh, particular event here, obviously we're bringing the IT security solution providers. And uh, I think we'll, we'll see that uh, in the tour later uh, that we're going to meet uh, several of these IT companies from Singapore that are servicing financial institutions. Of course, Singapore is a financial hub, as many people know. Uh, and we've seen the activity picked up tremendously over the last 24 months. So Citibank, for example, has set up their global wealth management center. They moved it out from New York. And they're based it out of Singapore. And we can have numerous banks that have been done in that same direction. And even for the IT shared services functions, you see that uh, a lot of them, you know, uh, Credit Suisse, uh, Deutsche Bank, have uh, done a big IT shared services operations out of uh, Singapore to serve the rest of Asia. So you'll find that a lot of our local enterprises have uh, cut their teeth, you'd say, you know, um, in this manner. 
service servicing the banks uh, in Singapore that are based out of Singapore and hopefully you'll see that uh, some of this have really have cutting edge uh, technology some of them one of them particularly is, is a red herring uh, finalist so I, I think that testifies to the innovations that are coming out from Singapore for our banking and credit union executives that come to our site what are the selling points to Singapore and Singapore businesses you mentioned Citibank and other institutions that are coming there what's the value proposition for them uh, obviously I think Singapore is a well recognized as a business hub. You know, you take any third party rankings, whether it's the World Economic Forum, whether it's uh, economists, they have consistently ranked us very favorably, you know, um, as a business, uh, in terms of favorable business environment to operate in. And I think it helps, at least for where IT infrastructure is concerned, that Singapore continues to upgrade our infrastructure. We're in the midst of rolling out uh, our next generation broadband network that will provide up to one gigabit per second uh, connectivity to the homes and for businesses. And in terms of wireless connectivity, again, we have a large population base that is very savvy, very familiar with the wireless uh, environment. We've got a beneficiary of well, about 110%. And um, we have uh, also a new initiative that we've taken uh, that's that was announced about two years ago. Right now, we've got about 8,000 hotspots throughout Singapore. So you're going to find that uh, in terms of working, in terms of connecting, getting information, you know, working out any cafeteria, not just Starbucks, right? You know, anywhere in Singapore, you can really find connectivity. And I think that business environment, obviously, uh, is, is important. And obviously, a lot of importance attached to security. So that making sure that our infrastructure is robust, is secure, and that's important, I think, for all financial institutions. What has been the Singapore government's approach to information security? Well, we have um, we announced back in 2005, I think, uh, the IT master plan for security. Uh, so that involves uh, making sure that at least for government, our information infrastructure is secure, is robust, that can withstand, uh, obviously, increasing threats of uh, cyber attacks. We have uh, we set up a, a cyber watch and monitoring center. That's, again, a first in Asia, at least that we, as far as we know. Uh, again, I think here's a case where the government has been very proactive to ensure that uh, where government uh, information is concerned, we want to we protect it, we want to make sure it's robust. And then we're working with industry. You know, we're in the midst of rolling out um, the second master plan. We are announcing that uh, next week, actually. Um, so that would envelop and also involves a lot of industry involvement. We are looking to build up capabilities for local industry. We are looking to do more R&D. So I think here where it's a case where we are working with various verticals, whether it's healthcare, whether it's financial services, to ensure that our infrastructure is robust and our environment is secure. Let me ask you to come a little closer here. What are some of the the companies you brought with you to this show? Who are they, and what interest would there be to to our audience, to banking and credit union executives? Right. Well, like I said, I think many of the companies that we've brought in, I mean, they range in size. Some of them are part of a huge conglomerate in Singapore, but by and large, you find that uh, most of the companies here are very niche solution providers. They've got uh, blue chip uh, reference customers, HSBC, Citibank, who are using their solutions. And I think that some of this, uh, what they have done, I think will be of interest to, to the financial uh, institutions, uh, customers here in the U.S. What, is, uh, what do you find is misunderstood about Singapore, about doing business within the country? 
that maybe we can clarify for some of our audience that, that is falling victim to some of these uh, misunderstandings. Wow. Well, hopefully, you know, uh, we are we are familiar enough to most of your audience. But certainly, I mean, again, I think we stand uh, recognized by many, many third parties. Uh, you know, re- ranking bodies, whether it's the World Economic Forum or The Economist or Accenture, but consistently ranks Singapore as being a very competitive economy, as having a favorable business environment to work in, and obviously for, for banks, that, that is important, the stability of a government, the, uh, how business friendly the government is, and obviously the, the fact that uh, is it an open economy, and I think the World Economic Forum, the World Economic Competitiveness Report have always ranked us at least first uh, in Asia. So I think we're highly competitive, we're an open economy, we welcome all businesses, about 8,000 multinationals uh, based uh, their operations in Singapore, of which 60% of them um, have their Asia-Pacific headquarters based out of Singapore. So I think that really gives uh, any, any uh, you know, any of your audience really some degree of confidence that doing business in Singapore is, is easy. We, we are a government that's pro-business, that want to make it make uh, it succeed for you in Singapore. So, you know, again, whether it's IDA or the Economic Development Board of Singapore, I think we strive to be as friendly as we can to make sure that, uh, you know, you operate successfully in Singapore. Very good. We appreciate your insight today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. <laughs> this is Tom Field with Information Security Media Group. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm speaking now with Omar Hussein of Improvada. Um, he's going to tell us a little bit more about uh, who the company is, and uh, as I understand, they have some interesting authentication and sign-on solutions. So, Omar, why don't you take it away? Thanks. Uh, Improvada is one of the fastest-growing uh, access and authentication management companies uh, today, and one of our biggest success factors has been in the financial industry, particularly in small mid-market banks. Uh, we have over 150 banks today that are using our solution to address a lot of the compliance requirements that are out there, i.e. knowing who your users are by having better and more effective forms of authentication, what they accessed, how they accessed it, when they accessed it, and uh, we find that single sign-on and you know authentication of any strong authentication of biometrics or smart cards is becoming very, very commonplace. Most of the solutions that have traditionally been in this industry have really been focused on the large Fortune 100 type banks, and yet all the compliance regulations are ubiquitous. They affect companies of all sizes. Sure. And it's usually the smaller, mid-sized exactly. companies that need the most help. And they need the most help, and they can't solve it. I mean, one of our uh, early customers was Eagle Bank, and a uh, small community bank in Lexington, Massachusetts. And, okay. you know, one day I was talking to the IT director, and she said something that's so true, is when the compliance problem hit them, you know, while they only have, like, you know, 400 employees, they also only have two or three people in IT to support right. them. So they right. need productized solutions that can quickly and effectively help these banks address very important regulatory requirements and be able to report and have better security around their internal users and what they can access. So what what can you tell me? You know, I know a couple years ago, you know, the FFIEC guidance was a major issue. We had uh, tons of users that were interested in that. What's happened since then? 
I think people, it's wake, it's wake, it's a wake-up call, right? So people woke up, they started to look at the solutions, and we've suddenly seen a surge, particularly in credit unions and uh, you know, smaller regional banks that have started to look at solutions that they want to implement around that. And, you know, you, you always find newer, uh, uh, what I call real-life examples of things like, you know, this whole, uh, uh, what's that, um, the bank that just had the big fraud, uh, uh, Society General. Society General, right? Oh, yeah. What oh, yeah. was Society General? The whole fraud was an IT problem where an, in, an employee, a trader, sure. had passwords to other people's accounts and it created bank accounts right. and could internally transact trades. So right. these are just wake-up calls that people do. And the bank regulations of the FFIEC that came out were started towards external users and uh, taking an interest for banks to focus on internal users, right? And now we'll see more and more of that stuff starting to happen. Very good. A lot of these regulations also roll out over time in terms that they tell you to do it today and right. you have a grace period of a couple of years. Right, to sure, sure, by the time they right. get around to you exactly. and they actually get examined. One of the other interesting ones that's come out is PCI. Sure. So PCI has a new reg that goes into effect, uh, I think it's uh, May or summer of this year, yep. and the new class of them, Section 9, deals with having authentication requirements to people who can see credit card information to users on credit card. And in fact, they're so onerous, some of them, it's even to tie it to location, that you should have tied who can see information to whether they were granted access to a particular location wow. in the bank to be able to see that, right? Okay. So if you're not allowed to be in the computer room, you shouldn't be able to turn on a machine and access any records in it. Sure, yeah. sure. Now, what would you say, you know, uh, someone that's going to implement a solution such as yours, who's usually the main proponent at a financial institution that's responsible for that? Chief, chief security officers, you know, IT directors that are focused on security, the internal user side. Would you say when, when something like this is implemented, it is mainly to satisfy regulatory compliance issues? No. There are two big benefits with what we do. One is user convenience, because believe it or not, one of the biggest problems that users today have is that they have to multiple log-on events in a day. So an average bank employee is continuously, one of our customers, Enterprise Trust, said that it actually improved their productivity because the user's time to open up an application while the loan, you know, someone applying for a loan is sitting in the same, you know, right, across right. from them. So one is it improves efficiency and user convenience. Users don't have to remember multiple passwords. They want authentication. They log on and they're done, right? The second is actual cost. There is a hard ROI cost when it comes to single sign-on because when people forget passwords, someone has to validate that identity of the person and reset the passwords. If the average bank has 10 to 12 applications that all have a password change policy, they are changing probably hundreds of you know, passwords sure, sure. in any given month or any given year. And you know, this is a well-documented uh, fact that an average password reset call costs anywhere from $30 on a minimum to $50. Wow. So you do the math and tell me that, you know, so this is not just the security of regulatory compliance. That may be the driver. The real economic benefits and user productivity benefits that come out of this.
and there are very few security solutions that actually provide that. Most security solutions sit on a perimeter and no one actually sure. knows that there's a benefit, right? right? But if you don't have to remember passwords anymore, you simply log on and you have a security and the bank at the same time is saving money on resetting, you know, password reset calls. And when the regulatory, you know, regulatory agency walks in and says, let me know where someone, what machine, what they access, were they in the building, you have press an audit one trail. button and you have a forensic trail. Sure. That's a win-win. Very good. That's what our customers find. Okay. Once again, uh, Omar Hussein with Improvana. Thanks a lot, Mike. So I'm with Pam Casal now of IntelliTactics, and Pam is going to tell us a little bit more about the company for those of our users who are not aware. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Um, IntelliTactics is a company that's been in the information security management business for about 11 years. We have some of the largest global financial institutions as customers. Uh, we provide the logging storage of logs, event management, alerting and incident response solutions uh, with software and appliances. Hmm. Okay. Um, before we started recording, you were, uh, I know that you deal with a lot of the larger institutions. Um, tell us about how you can work in with the smaller and mid-sized, you know, your community banks, typical right. credit unions. Great. That's a good question. In fact, at the RSA show this week, we're introducing a new line of appliances. And we've basically taken all of the SIM capabilities that the largest organizations in the world have been using for years, and we've radically simplified them, put them on an appliance form factor so that every organization, regardless of size or purchasing power, can get the same good results to protect uh, sensitive information and also be compliant. Okay. And who, who would you say, um, we were just going through our uh, state of information security survey and we saw that uh, many institutions, uh, in many institutions, the information security officer role is oftentimes a part-time uh, uh, function or a part-time duty. Who at a financial institution would be your main proponent for implementing this sort of technology? That's really a good question. And uh, the reason I like the question is, Every organization is a little bit different. So when I saw that data in your survey, I wasn't really surprised by it. Um, security is the concern of everyone in the organization. So while one person may be defining policy, everybody in IT, everybody in the compliance group is accountable for enforcing those policies. So with our product, we provide a user interface that can be personalized regardless of what your role is. So if you're the person who is primarily responsible for the firewall or your edge security, you can configure your dashboard, your view of logs and events, your reports to reflect the work that you do. If you're the head of IT, a CIO or a VP of IT, you can get a view of security across all the functions in your organization, the people that are responsible for the database, the operating systems, your third-party applications, and even your custom applications. You take those logs, uh, actually find the relevant information in the logs, bubble that up so that you can take action. Okay. Very good. Um, uh 
one more question for you. What, what can you tell us about, um, you know, maybe any trends that you're seeing or maybe any words of advice for uh, financial institutions, you know, coming up throughout the rest of this year in 2008? Okay, great. Um, lately, we've been looking a lot at fraud detection and fraud management. Um, we offer in our product the capability to obviously do a lot of monitoring and event management um, relative to fraudulent activity, but we also partner with a number of companies that are passively monitoring the behavior of every inside user of hmm. your okay. application. So insider threat is a exactly. Um, you know, we're, we hear from our banking customers that insider threat is uh, has the worst um, egregious kinds of attacks represent sure. the most egregious attacks and um, m- even more than the sophisticated external hackers so working with these other vendors we can accelerate investigation by integrating with those other products that you may be investing in and uh, this lets you optimize the investment in those other products and even get more value from your centralized security information and event management Okay. Well, once again, uh, Pam Casal with IntelliTactics. Thanks, Mike. I'm speaking now with Ron Hale of ISACA. Um, he's going to tell us a little bit more about ISACA, who ISACA is for those of our users who do not know. He'll tell us a little bit about their certifications that are relevant to the finance industry. So, Ron, take it away. Hey, Mike. Uh, ISACA is an organization. We're an international membership organization with 80,000 members around the world and chapters in 120 different cities. Um, our membership is really made up of people that we describe as IT governance. So it's people that do IT audits. There's people that do information security management, and then people that are involved in IT governance, so it's the CIO and people report to him, as well as probably some of the business people that really had to be more focused on IT and the delivery of services and things. Tell me, um, tell me a little bit about, I know before we started recording, you said you had, um, I guess, three main certifications that were, you know, relevant to the finance industry. Tell us a little bit more about those. Hey Mike, we have, yeah, we have three certifications. Our, our oldest and largest is the Certified Information Systems Auditor, and this is a certification. Um, there are about 50,000 people around the world that have that. Those are the professionals that go out and do audits specifically on IT systems. So they have a credential that really talks to the ability to do audits, but would do technical audits, which is very important. Uh, the other certification we have is our, our Certified Information Security Manager. So those are people, we have a great many in, in banking and financial institutions that really lead the charge towards securing information. So they may be the CISO, CSO, manager of security, uh, people that have management responsibilities that, that need to demonstrate their skills and capabilities. ISACA right now is launching a new credential uh, certified in the governance of IT, um, and that's really intended for people who are involved with governance and IT that uh, are looking for a credential that really talk to their skills and capabilities. That certification right now is, is available only in grandfathering, 
and uh, in December we'll have our first exam offered for that. So that's something new and kind of exciting we're getting involved in. Very good. Um, why don't we take a step back now? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about the importance of certifications. You know, why why um, do people bother getting certified, and how does it help you uh, maybe advance your career within finance specifically? Yeah, well, certification is very important. Like, there's a lot of certifications out there. It's, it's important that you have the certification to look for, be recognized, and uh, really advance your career. What we've seen, uh, Certification Magazine has done an, does an annual survey, and the five top IT-related certifications, our CISA is number two, and our CISM, I think, was number five. So the people are getting these certifications because they can demonstrate skills, capabilities that employers want, um, are getting bonuses, they're getting more money than people who are on, not certified. So for the people looking for certification, that's real important. Um, the other thing is they really kind of attest to the skill and capability you're bringing to a position. So when people are looking to hire, or if you're looking to demonstrate uh, your capabilities and knowledge within your workplace, it's good to have a certification that says that. And I think the third thing that's important about certification is that it really brings you into a community of like-minded professionals. So ISACA does a lot of research. We produce uh, reports and products for our certification holders that specifically help them in their careers. And those are things that really you know, provide value and build their credibility in organizations. So I think certification is something that, uh, that our members have seen to be very useful and very effective in advancing their careers. Many of those people are in financial services. Okay. Once again, uh, Ron Hale with ISACA. Thank you, Mike. We're here at RSA with Jared Sickett, Senior Vice President and General Manager, Sales and Marketing at Netronome. How are you, Jared? Very good, thank you. Good, fantastic. Hey, listen, uh, give us a sense of uh, what, from your end of things, are the major business drivers in information security, in particular to financial institutions. Yes, I think across the board, the two primary things that we see customers in banking and finance uh, come to us uh, is a, a, a clear need to meet two objectives, compliance, uh, both internal and corporate compliance, as well as government regulation. And there are a large number of products and technologies that provide security solutions, but at the end of the day, they're looking at it from the other side, tops down. How do we meet the business goals of which the security is an underpinning? Right. And uh, in, in both of those cases, it comes down to not only protecting their networks from threats from the outside, mm -hmm. as well as securing the network from either accidental or intentional leakage from the inside. Fantastic. Um, you know, considering that as the backdrop, uh, you know, how are you guys approaching the, these issues that uh, banks have to deal with? Yeah. What's your solution all about? If you could... Yeah. Uh, we, we recognize that these banking and finance institutions um, have made a number of uh, enterprise security and architecture decisions around how they're going to both protect their data and secure it in both directions, both in and out of the network. Um, and those type of solutions include a number of products, a uh, number of security products like intrusion detection, intrusion prevention, uh, unified threat management, uh, network forensics, and network behavior analysis. And those products all provide very important solutions to the managers and operators of these networks to ensure that data is protected and secure. Unfortunately, at the same time, a, a large percentage of the communications on these networks are now encrypted, um, either by their own design or the, the, the independent use by users within the network. Sure. Users on the inside and the outside coming in. 
And these many security appliances that I just mentioned uh, are essentially blind to that traffic. They only handle uh, basic and standard communications. So as you encrypt more and more traffic to conceal it, you also that, that concealing prevents those very important security devices from helping banks and, and other financial institutions from meeting their compliance and regulatory goals. So, so for banks that have to do a lot of encryption, this is going to enable them to monitor that, that traffic and make sure that... Uh... That's exactly right. Our solution, the SSL Inspector Appliance, sure. allows uh, these type of institutions who have a steady and heavy volume of encrypted communications to continue to use the security appliances that they've rightfully needed, needed in their design. Um, but with a slight augmentation our product, it allows those devices to continue to provide the security benefits of threat mitigation, virus control, uh, attack detection and prevention. All of those things can continue to happen now, not only with the plain text traffic, but also with the very important encrypted communications. And so it allows them to meet the conflicting requirements to encrypt traffic and at the same time prevent traffic without having to trade off between visibility and control. Fantastic. So is anyone else offering something like this? I mean, how are you guys positioned in the marketplace against, uh, you know, other companies that are attempting to yeah. solve the same problem? Yeah, there are a number of uh, competitors who offer products um, in this particular product space. It would be called an SSL proxy. Um, historically, those devices are based on very simple software applications that run on a, a standard computing device. Uh, what's unique about our product is it is a purpose-built hardware device that operates at gigabit Ethernet line rate speeds. So as you employ a product to do this SSL inspection in your network, in your data centers, or at your high-speed WAN boundaries, right. you now have a potential bottleneck by doing this inspection. So what we allow people to do is quickly and easily deploy it in the network mm -hmm. and continue to have the network run at those high speeds. Uh, a second unique attribute is the fact that it's completely transparent. So it's not a device that you have to put into the network and configure and then tell your clients and their applications to use it as a proxy. So the fact that it's hidden from them not only eases the IT burden of configuration and deployment, but there's an argument that it actually makes the network more secure because you're inspecting things without telling the users that you're inspecting their traffic by letting them know you essentially alter their behavior. Right, right, that makes sense. Um, so in general, as sort of a parting note, um, you know, what advice do you have for, for financial institutions in general when they're sort of grappling with these issues you've laid out? Yep. I think uh, many of the, those folks that manage those very uh, strict requirements at the organizations probably know much better than us about the threats that they face, but I think the one that is of most interest are the, the things that are changing around them that they can't control, like the number of websites, external locations, and user applications that are embedding more and more encrypted traffic. So it's kind of the threat that you don't know it's there until it's too late. Right. Um, you've done the right thing. You've deployed security products. You've met your regulatory compliance with a checkbox. And what you may not know right now is that a very large percentage of your traffic is actually not under compliance or not being regulated. And uh, it's just something that we recommend people take a look at. Good point. I think that's good advice. Right. Hey, Jared, thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right. Super.
We're now speaking with Philip Lieberman of Lieberman Software Corporation, and uh, he's going to tell us a little bit more about who the company is and how they address the financial services industry. So, Phil, take it away. Great. Thanks, Mike. Well, what Lieberman Software does as a company is we make management tools that are used by large enterprises to manage the security of their local workstations and servers. Specifically, what we deal with is we deal with uh, not only the end users within your own organization, we also deal with the back-end infrastructure that's used for your servers. For example, for the server infrastructure, we make tools to manage service accounts. For most companies, what they want to do is they would like to change their service accounts, say, every 30 to 90 days. But if you have any kind of server farm that's more than about 10 servers, changing those service accounts is a real problem. So we make one tool called Service Account Manager that gives you the ability to manage all the service accounts at one time. So changing 100 or 500 or 1,000 servers to a new account to maintain regulatory compliance is nothing more than a few mouse clicks. Even if you're distributed globally, where all of your offices are, say, separated on a uh, wide area network, our tools do a great job of dealing with that. A second pervasive problem we also deal with is that a lot of organizations have set all of their workstations within their enterprise, as well as their servers, to the same common administrator account and password, or let's call it the same root account and password if you're going cross-platform. What Lieberman Software does is has a tool that allows you to randomize all of those passwords so that all of them are different, so that every machine has a unique set of credentials for its local access to the administrator account. If you don't have a tool like ours and you have set your machines to the same account and password, any user at any location could run a crack on those machines, find that common administrator account, and gain peer-level administrative access to every single machine in your organization. That would be a really bad situation. So what one of our tools does called Random Password Manager is it takes care of the randomization of your Windows, Linux, Unix, AIX, HPUX, OS390, AS400, as well as your Cisco and Juniper devices, as well as applications, and randomizes all those passwords and then provides delegated access. Now, recently, one of the things that we've announced here at the show at RSA is we now also incorporate hardware encryption of that data. So if you're, for example, working with uh, Fed Funds Wire, you're, of course, familiar with the fact that you have to use a hardware encryption device in order to send wire transfers through that system. We have the ability to use any kind of hardware encryption device that you currently are using, such as Encipher and others, and we give you the ability to encrypt that data using a key management system that, in fact, would be in hardware. So, we also provide workflows so that recovery of passwords can be done by authorization of uh, uh, second parties so that users themselves might be able to get passwords if they're authorized, or they may require authorization from a manager to get that same data. So we go even further than that. We also have self-service password reset solutions, and in fact, we have an entire spectrum of solutions that are used by most financial institutions already. So we can provide you with a wide range of uh, different companies who are already using our solutions. You can actually download and try any of our products right off of our website. We have a try before you buy strategy. That is, you can try any tool. You don't even need to contact us. You can download it, try it for yourself, and we think that once you see what the products do and how they can secure your enterprise, make it easier easier to gain control over the local security system, you're really going to like it. Our website is www.leaf.com. 
Liebsoft. That's L-I-E-B-S-O-F-T dot com. Uh, we're uh, mentioned in many of the Gartner studies where you can find us there. We've been in business since 1978. Uh, recently as an ISV, uh, we've been very busy since 1994. We have certifications from Microsoft on Vista, on Server 2008. We also have RSA two-factor authentication, so if you're already using Secure ID, our products provide two-factor authentication with Secure ID. So we recommend you give us a call. We have some really amazing products available in the financial area. Now, uh, you mentioned two, two magic words I heard before, and you know many of our users are uh, aware that we just did a uh, state of information security survey uh, to all of our users. Um, got a number, hundreds of institutions responded. By far, the number one priority for uh, financial institutions was uh, regulatory compliance for 2008. Now, you just mentioned that before, regulatory compliance. Tell us a little bit more about how your products fit in with that. Great point. Well, let's talk about, for example, password management. We, with regard to, let's say, the fact is regulatory requirements say that your machines have to have different passwords or you have to have some way of managing those passwords. In one of our tools, which is Random Password Manager, not only do we randomize the passwords, but we also prepare reports for the security auditor that say, for example, on machine A, password was changed on such and such day. It was verified on this day. It was changed on this day. It was verified on this day. So we provide a complete audit log of everything that was done on that machine, and if you lose control over that machine, we can tell you and alert you when you've lost control over those systems. With regard to self-service password reset, we again audit everything that you're doing. Another tool we have called User Manager Pro is specifically used for PCI and SOX compliance. For example, you can go out and do a report of every share on every machine in the network in about 10 minutes. You can then take a look at all the permissions on all those shares, and you can actually not only report, but also remediate, so that if you do find something out of compliance, you can actually fix it immediately. But it's beyond shares. We do things for file system reporting for SOX compliant. We do things like group membership reporting. We can do things, for example, one of the financials used our tools to scan every machine to see what accounts were on those machines, prepared a report, but then had the ability through the tool to immediately remediate the problem by purging out all accounts that weren't supposed to be there, as well as at beginning to, uh, they have a report that allows them to go talk to those users and find how those machines got out of compliance. So it provides both forensics, reporting, compliance, as well as remediation capabilities. Okay, once again, uh, Philip Lieberman, Lieberman Software. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Mike. I'm speaking now with Ed Gaudet of Liquid Machines, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about uh, their company and the products and services that they have that are directed towards the financial services industry. Well, thanks, Mike, and thanks for having us here today. So uh, Liquid Machines is a software provider of solutions that help organizations protect and control their information. So sensitive information that might be uh, important uh, from a compliance perspective, we help banks actually deal with their operational risk profile, and a lot of companies that actually deploy our software will deploy it as a way to help manage against the risk of um, unauthorized disclosure of highly sensitive, um, uh, highly critical information to the business. So so you mentioned it was software. How, how is it actually implemented? Is it, um, well, why don't you tell us? Sure, sure. So, you know, we have a, there's a number of different scenarios based on what the customer is trying, you know, the problem the customer is trying 
to solve. But um, Goldman Sachs, for example, is a customer. They're a, they're a large bank in New York, and they uh, use our software on uh, on it. They put our software on every uh, lap on every laptop and every desktop, and basically it enables them to send out really highly sensitive information to people within their firm and control the access to that information and subsequent usage of that information. What people can do once they actually have access to the information, whether they can read it only or maybe read write but not print it. Um, and so there's a, uh, a piece of software that goes on every device and that device, uh, that software enforces policies that control access to the data and then subsequent usage of the data. And those policies are defined in a central server and those policies can be defined either centrally or distributed and delegated down to the business. Okay. Who would you say, uh, you know, your typical bank or credit union, who's going to be a main proponent for um, getting this type of technology installed? Sure. What we found is that anyone that cares about operational risk um, to the business, so the chief information risk officer, uh, the, the head of IT, uh, certainly for smaller banks or smaller hedge funds, uh, the, uh, the owner of the uh, institution. So people that care about protecting their information in a way that if it were to get out there, it doesn't damage their, their brand equity or damage the relationship they might have with their customers. Okay. Um, let me ask you one more question. What do you see as far as, uh, you know, trends that have been coming about, you know, the past year going into 2008, or what are some words of advice, you know, you can offer our users? Right. Well, what's really exciting here at RSA this week is everyone has been talking about information-centric security. So putting the protection with the data as opposed to to the data. So the boundaries have actually um, been, been, you know, been slowly removed throughout organizations, and information will travel anywhere. It'll travel travel on BlackBerry devices. It'll travel outside the organization, maybe on home PCs, um, on laptops, etc. So organizations really need to think about the boundary of their of their information no longer at the network level, but at the data level itself. So we hear a lot of people during the keynotes this week and and throughout the sessions talking about information-centric security and enterprise rights management. And so the advice we would obviously give to to our prospects and customers is really to, to take a different look at solving the problem of protecting and controlling access to their sensitive data. Very good. Okay, once again, uh, Ed Gaudette with Liquid Machines. Thanks, Mike. I'm speaking now with Matt Mosier of Lumension Security, and he's going to tell us a little bit about who the company is and how they deal with the financial services industry. So, Matt? Thanks, Mike. Um, Lumension Security is really focused on, you know, kind of two different product suites at this point. One is really kind of uh, vulnerability management. We're really trying to shrink the attack surfaces that hackers are trying to, to get to, and also, you know, providing a very strong compliance tool to really security configurations as well as patch management. And then we have another suite of products that is really kind of focused on, you know, what we refer to as stopping bullets. And that is really providing protection against malware. And we do this, you know, in the form of a whitelist, which is really kind of a new technology, a, a paradigm shift from kind of the antivirus model. Um, you know, using a whitelist, you're going to authorize certain applications to run, and everything else is blocked by default. A very powerful, you know, security concept. And people are looking for ways to secure themselves uh, because the antivirus is failing to provide the 
protection they were looking for. The other key area that we're, we work with financial institutions on is really data leakage prevention. And we do that through a product which is called device control. And that's really preventing people from, you know, plugging in external um, USB drives, external hard drives, writing information to removable media. You know, we manage those devices. We encrypt data that is moved on to them, and we can prevent that data from being moved out of the enterprise. Okay. Let's focus a bit on, um, you know, some of the smaller, uh, mid-sized banks and credit unions out there. What is the, uh, you know, typical product or service that they're looking for? Well, like I said, we have both of those families. We see a lot of stuff with um, data leakage prevention. I think that's kind of a universal problem, whether you're a, a small credit union or a large financial institution. We're seeing a lot of interest in that technology. Um, and then the other one is people are looking really for this vulnerability management. What's my vulnerability posture? Am I keeping up with my uh, configuration states and my patches? You know, really so that I can, you know, prove compliance. You know, you can make an argument that, you know, compliance is a big driver of best practices or is best practice a driver of compliance. I think there's a relationship between those two things. I think it depends on where you are. There's a lot of enlightened, you know, financial institutions that were doing best practices. Now they have a requirement to prove the things that they're doing. Um, and we do that very well through a lot of our reporting that we do. And yet we also help people with best practices and really introduce best practices into the environment, um, you know, if they're lacking some of that information. Okay. Um, as many of our users do know, we just uh, administered our information security survey and, um, you know, not surprisingly, regulatory compliance is one of the main priorities for financial institutions in 2008. Let's focus a little bit on that. You know, tell us how um, your products can help with regulatory compliance. Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of regulatory compliance out there. Uh, you know, uh, part of our suite, if you really look at kind of vulnerability management, um, that's nothing new kind of in the security space, but it's giving you automated tools so you can effectively do that and do that cost effectively, and then more importantly, you can prove that and document that relatively easily. Okay. It's the audit trail. It's the audit trail, and it's the continuously monitoring of your environment. If you get a lot of you know patching that goes on in the world, what what people can't account for is patch drift. So, I, hey, I went and applied all these patches. How come these machines are back out of compliance? Well, because you installed some software that had an older DLL and reintroduced that vulnerability. So, having a you know an agent-based technology that's continually monitoring that state and can produce a report at any kind of moment gives you that very comprehensive you know view that you know is really required by regulatory compliance. So that automation is a, is a key component. Okay. Uh, one more question for you. Um, can you give us any uh, trends that you've been seeing in the industry um, or any words of advice for our users? Well, you know, I think the interesting trend for us is obviously, you know, part of our strategy is that, that we think that people aren't getting the return on their investment from really kind of antivirus or traditional endpoint security. So that's obviously something that's, um, you know, kind of a, a path we're going down. So we're monitoring kind of what's the uh, market acceptance of that and, and what's the, the, the discomfort level with those, you know, traditional defenses. And we're certainly seeing that people are embracing kind of the whitelisting, you know, technology. And so we're, we're in tune to that. We see that. The other thing that you see happening is that, you know, people are moving from, from kind of a bordered environment. And now we're kind of in a borderless environment. And so people are trying to move security down to data. So we hear a lot of talk about data security. And really our device control is a great data security tool. Because one of the things that they don't have any visibility into is the endpoint. You know, if, uh, if an employee is 
going to, you know, take some data and move it onto a USB device, there's no audit trail for that. So our technology not only controls the flow of that data, it creates that audit trail, which again is important for regulatory compliance. Okay. Once again, uh, Matt Mosier with we mentioned security. All right. Thank you, Mike. I'm here speaking with Alan Elliott now of MirrorPoint, and he's going to tell us a little bit about their uh, email infrastructure product that they offer. So, Mike, thanks for taking time to visit us. I think that we look at email as the core application that drives the enterprise today. It is certainly true in banking and financial services when you look at communication across the extended enterprise, from the corporate offices all the way down to the branch offices. Email is one of the core technologies that drives business. And at MirrorPoint, we have a different way of approaching this space. And that really truly is uh, exemplified best when you look at our products in terms of form factor. So we ship products today, email security, email archiving, and email services, all in the form of an appliance. And for us, that's the key differentiator is we take the complexity out of running an infrastructure by putting all of the applications in a hardware form factor. So literally, it's um, kind of combining all of these uh, different systems and applications. You literally get one box or one server, install it, and you're done. And in fact, you probably have at least two boxes, but objectively what we've done is we've provided a service, in fact an application, that when shipped in a hardware form factor, takes all of the complexities of having to manage the infrastructure, patch the servers, update the applications, completely abstracts that out of the equation so that users can focus on their core competency instead of having to manage IT infrastructure. I know we were uh, talking before this you were telling me how, especially for some of the mid and larger size institutions, there's um, an incredible, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a cost savings, definitely a cost saving, but um, a people, you know, just uh, cut down on the number of people that you actually have to administer email. So when we look at total cost of ownership, which is one of the key factors that drives the industry today, certainly in financial services, that's probably more true than in other industries. Reducing the overhead of managing applications is a key directive, I think, in most banks. And when we look at what we do specifically in the mail arena, Point tends to look at a GCO somewhere in the order of, of 30 to 40 percent out of a traditional application because all of the management that would traditionally happen with a software-based application is completely extracted and what you're left with is a more stable hardware-based platform that actually provides the functionality you're looking for at a price point that actually drives the financial bottom line. So really what happens is by having this one device or two devices, you're cutting out all of the, um, you know, what people would usually do traditionally uh, updating, patching, everything that you would go through from an infrastructure standpoint, you're kind of eliminating that. Yeah, all of the traditional, um, I, I hate to say this, all the traditional Windows-based uh, born viruses, patches, and updates are completely eliminated because you're running on a hardened appliance. So mail, email security, and email archiving is made available to the user as an appliance. So they can get, again, they can get back to managing their core business. They can use the services that are available on the platform instead of having to continuously manage and patch the infrastructure in order to deliver the level of security that a financial institution would have to have. Okay, one last question for you. Um, are you seeing anything, uh, any interesting trends or anything as far as email goes, to, you know, specifically for financial institutions that you see, you know, I don't know, coming about in the past couple of years or something that you could predict for the coming years? Well, data retention and certainly e-discovery is probably the biggest thing driving the industry. And uh, banks have been 
been certainly at the leading edge of that trend by having very strict regulation on what is retained and how it is retained. So from that aspect, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing the rest of the industry beginning to go in the direction of the financial services in that they recognize that electronic records are critical and that retention is, in fact, a good policy. Very good. Okay, once again, uh, Alan Elliott, what's your point? Thank you. We're here at RSA with uh, Nick Nichols of Novell and Reed Harrison of Novell. You guys can uh, introduce yourselves in terms of position. Okay. So uh, I, I'm Nick Nichols. I'm uh, Vice President of Product Management for uh, Novell's Identity and Security uh, Division. Um, and this is Reed Harrison. Yep. Now Reed Harrison here, uh, Chief Technology Officer for our Identity and Security Management Solutions. That's great. Nice to meet you guys. By Pleasure the way. meeting you. What, uh, what is Novell really uh, uh, pushing in terms of issues these day with, days with identity management? Well, so one of the things that we're doing is we, we recognize that in the market today that one of the principal drivers behind identity management is really this need to demonstrate compliance. And so that, that's been really putting a lot of heat and pressure on, uh, on on trying to get more effective identity management deployments out there. And so we also view that there, there's two components to this. So also from a security standpoint, being able to validate that you're actually uh, in compliance with, with your uh, business policies and process is also a critical piece. So what, the way we look at it from uh, Novell's identity and security business is you need both identity and access management to automate your business policies and processes and drive that out to all the uh, connected systems within your enterprise environment, as well as you need uh, security event management to monitor and validate those activities across all these disparate systems and, and validate that that's in compliance with your business policies and process. So we use from our uh, Sentinel product, which is a security event management product, um, we use that as a means to, to do uh, correlate, uh, it correlates all the events of all these activities that we're tracking uh, across the, uh, um, uh, the various systems and right. applying that back and, and, and seeing whether or not this, in fact, uh, you know, constitutes any, any, uh, um, any activities that, that are, are not necessarily uh, kosher with, uh, with your specific uh, set of policies. And if they are, if there's a violation of a policy, for instance, let's say like a segregation of duties violation, then we can um, detect that understand what that is immediately and trigger an immediate remediation so you don't have to wait to, to just audit uh, um, your logs or whatever to see if that activity occurred. Right. You can actually recognize it and react to it immediately. Okay. Okay. Are there any uh, things about your uh, positioning of your product that are more particular to financial institutions? Well, I think that I mean, we're doing a number of things. I mean, first off, we do uh, have our, our PCI compliance uh, solution based on our Sentinel offering to help address those kinds of uh, needs for, for our customers that are dealing with uh, credit cards on a regular basis. Right. But also in a broader sense relative to this, this automate and validate story is really um, how, how do you line up with a, a wide variety of different controls that affect um, the financial industry as well as other industries as well. Sure, sure. Well, how, how is your product positioned uh, as opposed to your competitors out there? What, what's differentiating you guys in the marketplace? Well, most relative to the identity management uh, um, products or the identity management vendors out there, uh, one of the things by bringing in this uh, security event management as, a, as an integrated piece of this overall offering, that in itself is a differentiation. Um, when you look at the overall uh, market, 
um, you know, other vendors such as Oracle or, or Sun, for example, they're, they're principally focusing just on auditing the, uh, um, the activities, not actually providing any real-time validation. Um, so, so that's a differentiation for us. Another part of dif- that, that we uh, also have differentiation in is the fact that we, we actually deal with um, events, um, on, you know, we're in a event-driven process, if you will. Um, so that way, you know, we're, we're operating at the attribute level with, with dealing with data interactions between different systems. So we're managing the relationships of data at the attribute level across all these different systems as well. So instead of just doing it strictly through an approval workflow-based process, we actually understand how, when the data is changing over here, how that impacts the rest of the environment. Sure. And so that gives us uh, the ability to have simpler workflows, for one thing, because you can focus just on what the approval process is, um, as well as having a much more uh, complete understanding of, of um, the overall data relationships across all of these different disparate systems. And kind of to add to that is that the, the, the workflow level, right? We're now talking about systems that are detecting change in the environment and interacting at a workflow level. The Sentinel product has a workflow can detect and actually instigate or, or uh, uh, initiate a change in the identity management and deprovision a user who might be doing something that's out of policy right. or out of character, right? Based on the correlation that's happening at the event level. Right, and actually, it automatically affects... But a, but a pre-approved and pre-set up workflow in the identity management technology that we, that we offer, those, right. those, those systems are now interacting at a process level. Right, and that level of automation is a level of very unique to uh, the market space today. Fantastic. Do you have any advice for uh, FIs out there looking at uh, these type of solutions? Well, I think that, I mean, especially, um, you know, one of the things that we've been seeing a lot of is just that uh, really when it comes down to uh, the kinds of of systems and the kinds of applications that you're dealing with, having a good understanding of of what's... um, you know, what, what kind of data you need to track at an identity level and understanding how that really relates to some of these other systems really helps set the stage in many cases when we're, when we're starting to approach these kinds of solutions. Right. Um, so, you know, part of it's understanding that, that you're, you're trying to lay out a, uh, uh, a means to demonstrate compliance, but fundamentally what's going to help you along that road is understanding how to implement a much more effective governance model as part of your overall deployment. So that way, if you understand these relationships and you understand how you're going to govern this further, compliance should be a normal outcome of, of that process instead of compliance for compliance sake. Exactly. Yeah, and the FI market is normally and traditionally and should be the most mature security organizations from information security perspective out there. I and mean, that's what we've seen consistently. They're the most organized. They're the most mature. They've got the most – whenever we get a, an FI customer, they're normally pulling us along and giving us ideas on how to develop the product going forward. And that's that's traditionally been the case, and it's, it will continues to be the case. They're the ones that are talking to us about saying, hey, we also want to integrate physical security. Right, so Novell has a relationship with Honeywell to uh, you know, work with monitoring badge swipes and tying that into is the user actually accessing systems? Who's that identity? Can right. we tie those right. together? Right? And so when you start looking at all those components, they're actually drawing us into the concept of saying, hey, that computer, that database has a role in an identity of my organization. It's associated with Sarbanes-Oxley versus GLBA. Right? And being able to categorize that information and roll it up and correlate it and initiate response to our customers is really where we've seen the biggest benefit. From And, and Novell has these products out of the box. That's fantastic. Well, thanks, guys. That was uh, very helpful. Thank Reed, you. Nick, thank, thank you very much. much. 
we're speaking now with um, Larry Hamid of MXI Security, and uh, Larry's going to tell us a little bit more about what the company does and how they fit in with the financial services industry. Larry? Thanks, Mike. MXI Security is a, a company that's been in business for about uh, uh, six or seven years doing security products, portable security, that is. We started out by, by doing uh, flash drives with encryption, and today we, we develop devices that uh, are, are highly sophisticated and multi-function uh, portable security devices. They're designed to be uh, um, used for many different things. Some people actually call them super tokens uh, because they, they plug into many different systems. They'll do many things for you, uh, such as strong user authentication, um, uh, providing digital identities to systems like PKI uh, certificates or one-time passwords. They have lots of data on them with encrypted, uh, with all your information encrypted in hardware and uh, with biometric authentication, um, the user has a, has a very uh, multi-purpose device. We're looking at one right now and I see it's got a combination looks like a, uh, like you just said, a super flash drive, a USB drive, plus a fingerprint scanner yeah. in it as well. Is that what that is? Yes, yeah, so this device here is, is a flash form factor. It has flash memory in it, uh, up to 8 gigabytes. That memory is encrypted. We have a hardware encryption with a strong AES 256-bit encryption. Uh, it also has user authentication built into the device. So in hardware, um, I have, a, I have a, a fingerprint sensor on here. I can swipe my finger and the device can identify me and then unlock my device for my own use. Uh, it also has uh, crypto services for digital identities and that, that means uh, you can, it, can, it can have PKI credentials like symmetric, asymmetric cryptography for doing digital certificates and, uh, and strong authentication. It, it carries around uh, one-time password tokens like RSA Secure ID and it can generate those passcodes for you. So it can plug into different types of systems that need different types of credentials and it's all protected with the same user authentication. All the user has to do is swipe his finger and he can use the device to sign an email or he can use the device to, to uh, log into his remote access uh, Citrix desktop or he can just access his local uh, encrypted data on the flash drive itself. So I thought that was uh, very interesting that this one device could be used by one single user. I guess it's one device that the administrators would have to worry about as well, but you could use it for many different applications. That's right. One device can be used for, uh, for example, uh, many many customers are deploying laptops with uh, full disk encryption on them because in, these, in this day you don't want to have any data unencrypted. So one one of the uses of this device is as a flash drive. You can plug it in and use it as an authentication device to unlock your laptop so that your encryption key is kept in the secure hardware and your user authenticates using his finger and then your laptop can be unlocked. You can also use it to log into your workstation or your network with, for example, a Microsoft PKI login. Uh, I can use the same device to connect to my Citrix presentation server, and it can provide RSA and domain credentials um, through a web interface with a portable browser anywhere I want. So I have complete portability, and, uh, and I can use it with all kinds of applications, and it's one device. So I don't have to carry around uh, a smart card um, that I use internally for PKI logins or, or email signing or, or, yeah, or another token like one-time passwords when, I, when I'm out of the office and, and, a, and a flash drive with encryption on it. It's all in one device right. and it's managed. So my organization, my administrator can give me one device and manage it for me. Now, uh, 
uh, before we started recording, we were just about to get into, um, you know, give us some typical uses of, of what a financial institution might do with this. Well, for example, um, you know, portable storage, portable secure storage is a big issue. I mean, people, you know, data loss is a big problem, and, and you know, you, you have headlines every day about uh, um, critical information, sensitive information that's lost, and it's very, it's very costly for organizations to be exposed with any kind of data they're carrying around. So probably the most common use is simply to carry around all your data encrypted and protect it with strong user authentication. Once they pass that, they, they look at the device and say, well, I can use this also to carry the encryption key for my laptops as well. So not only do I have encrypted encryption on my flash drive and encryption on my laptop, but my laptop can be secured with the same user authentication as I use to, to secure my data on the flash drive. They also start to look at uh, remote access. Many of their employees are, are, are mobile, and they need to log in uh, and access a remote desktop. Typically, they, they deploy one-time password technology for that, and uh, they'll also have uh, users enter static credentials, and, and they have the user uh, use a, you know, an RSA secure ID token, a passcode, and then they have to also enter static credentials, my username, my domain, and my password. And that's what a user usually has to do uh, when he's out Outside the office. With this device, uh, they can do that um, because the device will generate that passcode for them and all those static credentials and provide them automatically to their login. And that's all packaged up with complete portability. So their, their Citrix clients is on the device, the portable browser is on the device, and they can do that login with RSA and static credentials from anywhere without any privileges on the local machine. It's a completely portable remote access solution. So that, those are three main uh, applications that banks today uh, are using a product for. And it's you know, for their employees. It's adding security to their internal organization and, and, and greatly increasing the security for the mobile workers. All right, very good. Uh, once again, Larry Hamid with MXI Security. Thanks, Mike. Hi, this is Tom Field with Information Security Media Group. Talking today with Rick Moy, president of NSS Labs. Rick, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, great to be here, Tom. Rick, for those of us in our audience that don't know NSS Labs that well, give us a sense of who you are, what you do, and how that affects financial institutions. Sure. NSS Labs has been around since 1991. Uh, we are an independent testing and certification lab for security products. We test and certify products such as firewalls, UTMs, web app firewalls, IPS, uh, anti-malware uh, against a standard of, of requirements, publish those reports and make them available for CISOs and other security experts uh, and compliance-minded uh, uh, professionals who are looking to make buying decisions. So it's an opportunity then for our constituency to evaluate the people that are coming to you with their products. Exactly. Uh, we're, the, we're the independent lab in the middle that provides a, a real-world sense uh, for how a product will really perform in a network uh, versus the, the data you know, the, that you might see in a marketing presentation from the vendor itself. Uh, we find that uh, the IT and security folks are generally left to fill that gap themselves. Okay. So best-case performance numbers on a data sheet are a far cry from real-world performance in my network. So we're at the RSA conference, and basically everybody here could be your customer. 
Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I joke and I say everybody who walks through the door to look at the other exhibits should then ultimately come by our booth to find out if any of the marketing uh, spiel is, uh, is for real. Now, we were talking privately, and you told me that one of the hot topics right now is PCI DSS. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in that space with customers that are coming through and products that you're certifying? Well, you know, so our customers are, uh, are the vendors, and we also work with the uh, IT security uh, and compliance people, which are you know, two very distinct uh, groups, uh, security and the compliance. And in terms of DSS, we kind of look at it from, you know, three tiers, and to, com- to achieve compliance, you have to look at policies and configurations, you have to look at the architecture, and ultimately the products that make up a, a secure and compliant network. And uh, what we focus on is really providing a, uh, an answer, a bit of a physician's desk reference to, uh, to the community so that they can quickly and easily understand the capabilities of products. Because there is a huge gap in trying to understand which products will help you with compliance. So one thing to be clear about is that no products, no single product will make you compliant. But having the wrong product or the right product that isn't configured properly can keep you from achieving compliance. So we're really striving to uh, identify the products that meet certain PCI DSS requirements from a capability standpoint and also providing guidance on how to configure them uh, so that they are uh, they are supporting compliance objectives in, in a merchant environment. Rick, what are the ways that our constituents can access the work that you do? Uh, it's as simple as going to www.nsslabs.com. All of our reports uh, are up on the website, uh, categorized by technology uh, sector. Uh, they're free to download, and uh, we're generally about 50 to 60 pages of detailed uh, technical information. Besides PCI DSS, what are some other areas that you're dealing with right now that would be of interest to banking institutions? I think PCI DSS is a pretty big one. Um, one of the things that we're, we're trying to do is you know, really focus on, on the DSS. That being said, uh, there is also the notion that uh, there are multiple compliance obligations that, that banks have. Uh, you're publicly traded, you have uh, SOX, there's the, uh, the BIS, the SPISAP. There's a number of different um, uh, regimes that have common requirements. And one of the things that we're looking at is not just providing technical reports on products for PCI DSS compliance, but also letting you know as a, as a customer of these vendors, if, if I meet these X number of requirements for DSS, how many of those translate to my other compliance obligations? We're trying to centrally unify the view of, of the compliance capabilities of the products that you have. So um, let's say PCI DSS is the beachhead for what we're doing. Based on what your customers are coming to you with right now, what are some of the trends you see unfolding as this year goes on? Well, I think uh, the the community at large has you know, bought into now becoming PCI DSS. We've seen some uh, some pushback from different different sectors in the retail front. Um, I think that that's largely subsiding, and people are getting on board with doing it, and they're committed to achieving it. It's more of a question of how how do I achieve it in a, in a cost-effective uh, manner, which doesn't mean just money, but time. How do I uh, get organized ahead of uh, an assessment? What questions do I need to ask myself and have prepared? Because 
nobody wants to have the auditor come in uh, and ask questions that you haven't thought about before. It's just going to cost you a lot more time and energy. So um, we see people looking at getting more training, uh, getting more educated on best practices for how to approach an assessment. Um, one of the things that we're recommending is uh, a risk-based product selection methodology. Uh, so trying to understand the assets you're protecting, what critical risks there are, and then really pressuring, um, pressuring the vendors that would have you buy products into telling you specifically what protection profiles exist in those, uh, in those products so that you can map that together and reduce your net effective risk. Excellent. Rick Moy, NSS Labs, appreciate your time and your insights today, and uh, good luck to you. Look forward to talking to you again. Looking forward to it as well. Thanks, Tom. We're here with uh, Atri Chatterjee, Senior Vice President of Marketing for Secure Computing. Atri, how are you today? Good, thank you. Fantastic. Listen, uh, maybe if you could give us an idea uh, of what some of the major business drivers are out there, uh, especially as they concern financial institutions for, for information security. Right. So I think uh, the, the key thing to keep in mind is uh, for financial institutions is that uh, today's uh, threat environment is uh, primarily financially motivated. So unlike, uh, say, five or ten years ago when people uh, used to hack into systems to prove that they could get into something, um, a large majority, if I would say 95 or 99 percent of the threat environment today is all about how do I financially benefit from cracking into something and uh, effectively that results in someone gaining at someone else's expense. So financial institutions are unfortunately the targets of most of today's threats, uh, either directly or through their customers. Sure, sure. Well, with them holding the money, obviously, that, that's, a, that's, that's a, a big target. Uh, most definitely we're aware of that. How are you positioning the company and its solutions to you know, address these sort right. of broad issues? Right. So one of the big trends in today's threat environment, and, and uh, in addition to just being financially motivated, is that uh, they, they evolve rapidly, right? So we call it sort of the evolving threat environment. And, and the problem there is that... Um, uh, every time one comes up with defenses, uh, these folks have been able to figure out ways to thwart those defenses. And so today's uh, predominance of today's uh, activity is um, through uh, using unsuspecting networks of people. So your PC, my PC, others being essentially taken over by uh, someone else remotely, uh, and we join something that's known as a botnet. So these evolving threats, what if ends up happening is that um, they morph uh, from, from one domain to another, from multiple machines, etc. And it's very difficult to use more traditional ways of um, securing your enterprise uh, to guard against this. Um, so you've got multiple problems going on. On the one hand, uh, you've got different attacks coming from different locations, uh, coming from innocent machines, for the most part, who have been taken over. And the other one is that sometimes inside your own organization, unknowns to yourself, you may have computers that have fallen victim to this. So it's really important that as we approach these solutions is that we look at this sort of rapidly evolving environment and figure out how best to protect against that. And um, 
what that ends up being is that, you know, in addition to um, using traditional mechanisms of protection, uh, you have to look at ways in which you can provide immediate protection even without knowing, say, that what the threat is going to look like. Mm-hmm. So um, people so often call, it, call this proactive protection, anticipatory protection, etc., zero day, etc. And that's very hard to do. Um, and uh, one of the things that we've done is that we've spent a lot of effort in technology that effectively does this, and we call that global reputation technology. Uh, and, and effectively what that does is augments existing local technology to also provide this reputation protection. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe you could just briefly expound on, on right. what that global reputation uh, protection entails. Yeah. And how is that accomplished? Right. I think the easiest way to think about global reputation is that think about it as sort of a satellite early warning system and a, a satellite defense mechanism. Um, the way it, uh, we have a product or, or a system called Trusted Source, uh, it's probably the biggest global reputation network in the market today. And really it's quite straightforward. The way it works is that it sort of has a view of all the network traffic going on on the Internet. The way it collects this is through lots of different sources. Um, traditionally, uh, ISPs provide information, different uh, uh, you know, collector information uh, uh, pools out there provide that information. But our own security appliances that are deployed in companies provide this information. And over time, what we've done is we've got we've got a real-time view of where uh, traffic is originating on the internet, particularly malicious traffic. And um, what ends up happening is that all of our security appliances that protect corporate networks refer to the global reputation system and uh, ask it, you know, have you seen bad traffic originating from this IP address or from this domain or from this URL? And depending on what the reputation system tells it, it could either block the traffic or let it go in for future analysis, right? So this global reputation system is not a substitute for localized protection, but it augments localized protection. And here's where it really comes in useful. Think about this botnet environment where, you know, you've got these armies of sort of like unknown computers basically getting shanghai by other people, sure. uh, by malicious people, and being used to launch an attack. Uh, what the global reputation system, where it comes in is that it can immediately see patterns of traffic that are suddenly changing in real time and e- inoculate all of these different uh, appliances that we have running in front of corporate networks and say, you know, we see a lot of, like, a surge in activity from these particular nodes, and uh, you should exercise caution and immediately block traffic or quarantine traffic coming from those locations. Now, you can't do this without a global reputation network, and the reason for that is that because um, more traditional approaches involve signatures. So you have to see an attack, you have to try to look at the attack, characterize it, develop an antidote for that, and that typically takes hours, days, and so on. You don't have that time now. And what you need is to be able to notice strange patterns developing, just like an early warning weather system, and inoculate immediately or quarantine immediately so that you can do future analysis uh, on that quarantine stuff before it gets into your network. So that's an example of sort of like global reputation being a unique sort of capability and, and really necessary in the way we've got these evolving threats and how to protect against these evolving threats. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you started to address my next question, which was how this solution is differentiated from 
you know, other offerings out mm-hmm. there. But is, is there anything you want to add as far as yeah. how, how it is? I think I think there are a couple of you know, if you look at the secret sauce that we have in our company, we've got sort of three things that really are our keys to um, our our success here. One is uh, the global reputation system, and that has been incorporated into all of our products. So all of our security solutions that sit on the enterprise uh, uh, network use these global the, use the global reputation system. Uh, so be they our anti-spam email uh, appliances, our uh, web security appliances, our firewalls also. We're the only company in the world that has a firewall that uses global reputation uh, to, to do connection control at the firewall level. So if mm-hmm. clearly bad traffic is coming in, uh, say from a you know known botnet in Russia or something, we'll stop that traffic without even letting it into your network. So that's one thing. Right. The other key piece is uh, in today's world of Web 2.0, which is this whole sort of interactive nature of the web, um, the concept of you know browsing the internet is quite different now. You've got live content that's actually uh, running around on the internet. Your browser effectively un- unknowns to you is actually probably executing JavaScript or small pieces of code on your desktop. And what that has done is also enabled a new type of threat to come in called malware. And typically what that is is in the form of JavaScript or ActiveX or whatever that comes into your network. One of the other key pieces of technology that we have is what we call anti-malware. The ability to detect based on behavior, behavior of the, of the content that's coming in, whether it could be potentially bad or not. Um, so in addition to global reputation, we've got this anti-malware uh, capability. And the third thing that is really key to us is that, you know, we've sort of taken this whole concept of traditional firewalling to the next level where we actually also look at application traffic. So firewalls typically just dealt with network traffic. They looked at, you know, sort of what types of bytes were coming in, but they really didn't try to see what types of applications were running on your network and to really control those applications. And our firewall is called an application-level firewall because it does that. So in today's world, once again, you've got live content, you've got applications that are running on a network. Think about all the companies that are enabling, and say in the financial world, banks that are enabling customers to get access to their accounts, enabling customers to do various things. So those are actually sophisticated applications. Back there, there's a database running inside the bank that is making this information available, etc., what that also means is that you can have all sorts of malicious things happening that could try to take advantage and, and you know, try to cripple that database or try to, you know, uh, overflow the database or extract data from that database. That involves, uh, you know, different types of, say, SQL commands and things like that that are sent over. Our system knows how to basically protect against that also. So once again, you're talking about global reputation, anti-malware, and application-level protection uh, which has gone beyond just simple network-level protection. Mm-hmm. Those are sort of the three core things that we look at as protection in today's enterprise gateway. That's fantastic. Do you have any um, advice for financial institutions in particular as far as uh, sort of grappling with these issues? Any, any parting words? On yeah. I think here's a couple of things to look at. One is clearly there's no substitute for process and procedure because no amount of technology is going to solve everything. So I think it's important for security practitioners inside financial institutions to, one, you know, keep their processes and procedures up to date and make sure that their users follow certain guidelines, etc. And user training is a very important part of that. Right. But the second one is also to keep in mind the fact that 
you know, people are going to use the latest technology that's available to them. So think about this Web 2.0 environment, right? You can't really stop people from using Web 2.0 because it's prevalent all around us. So rather than trying to, um, while I think it's important to educate people and set up processes and procedures, it's also important to make sure that you get uh, the appropriate level of protection commensurate with the types of technology people are using, right? So um, a lot of people will, uh, you know, we've done a study with Forrester Research recently that um, where people, a lot of IT um, environments thought that they didn't have a lot of Web 2.0 being used inside their environment. But when an actual audit was done, it was found that unbeknownst to them, a lot of the things that they people were using were actually utilizing Web 2.0 technologies. Things as simple as going to Yahoo or, or going to Google, right. where, you know, um, you know, there was a lot of use of Web 2.0 technologies in there and really a lot of openings for malware to come into their environment. So really what they need to do is saying, okay, let's assume that Web 2.0 types of things are being used in my environment. How do I protect against it? Because I'm not able to, like, you know, you know just uh, do so by just pe- telling people not to, not to use it. Sure. Sounds like good advice. Yeah. Atri, uh, thanks for your time. Have a good show. Great. Thanks, Nick. I'm with Orange Parachute now, speaking with Kim Sassaman, and Kim's going to tell us a little bit about who the company is and how they deal with the financial services industry. Okay. Uh, We're Orange Parachute, and we help organizations implement ISO 27001 for certification. We try to demystify regulatory compliance and trying to live with all the various acronyms of regulations that an organization has to implement. We've developed the common framework that is based on COVID, ITIL, and ISO 27001. And in this framework, we deliver services and standards and also identify controls that an organization needs to implement. Additionally, we've also developed various metrics for these various services so an organization can actually track and monitor the efficacy and the maturity of the controls that it has in place. We definitely try to make things simple and easy by implementing a very robust, flexible framework. Now, um, tell me a little bit about who the actual people are that are going to go through this certification. I know um, you were saying before that you go all the way up to the board of directors. So, We deal with board of directors. We deal with top senior management. Uh, we've worked with global organizations such as the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and we've also worked with smaller local organizations such as credit collection agencies. Uh, we've also worked with law firms on how to uh, implement ISO 27001, what is it, and kind of how to enter the world market. Uh, the EU today requires uh, conformance with EU 9556, which is a privacy regulation, and ISO definitely addresses uh, privacy within its framework. It's also recognized in the UK, and as a matter of fact, uh, there are organizations in the UK that require the certification if you wish to go global. And since we are in an emerging global economy, more and more companies are either being scrutinized by ISO or organizations are leveraging ISO, uh, which used to be called 17799, now 27002, as an audit guide. Uh, One very interesting uh, thing you guys showed me was this chart that you have. Um, Can you explain a little bit more detail about what it is for those of our users who can't see and how you arrive at this chart? Okay. Uh, Basically, what we do with the chart is we look at an organization, how it is structured. And what we try to show is actually ownership. So a little bit of the dirty word accountability we bring in by giving the information security program a view at the board of directors level by generating something similar to a charter. Basically, the board of directors 
services. We want to manage information security. Basically, we want to manage risk in the organization, risk to information assets, by developing an information security uh, program. That then empowers an information security policy, which is driven by a CISO or an information security officer, which then leads into uh, various amounts of standards that we generate. So getting away from the 45-page policy and generating something that's almost one page to two pages long, so we make it manageable, because we all know that policies do not get written overnight, and they definitely don't get approved within six months. And that is the beginning of a, a holistic framework. Very good. One more question for you. Um, have you noticed any trends coming over the last six months, coming into 2008, or do you have any words of advice for our users as far as uh, the certification goes? Uh, we're definitely seeing an upward trend in the United States as, it, as everyone is trying to look for kind of a unified framework to deal with all these various regulations, right? Uh, one day we're having to you know, be a conformant to PCR, we have to be conformant to SAT 70, and we're getting audited to death. You know, in the European sector, they're well in the tens of thousands of certifications. You know, this is a derivative of 9001 quality management. You know, as the automotive world clamped on to quality management, you know, we saw what happened in the United States. Uh, again, the United States is slow to adopt this, and early adopters are definitely being giving themselves market differentiators, and it's definitely improving the quality of information security. So no longer are we looking at, do we have the best firewall? We're looking at, are we managing risk to the asset behind the firewall with the proper control? Very good. Once again, Kim Sassaman with Orange Parachute. Thank you. All right, now I'm speaking with Jack Danahy of Ounce Labs, and he's going to tell us a little bit more for our users who aren't familiar with Ounce Labs, what they do, and how they pertain to the financial services industry. So go ahead, Jack. Excellent. Thanks a bunch, Mike. Uh, Ounce Labs' basic premise is that by understanding more about the way in which your software works, you can understand a lot more about the ways in which you're dealing with your partners and dealing with your customers and dealing with the market as a whole. What we do is we analyze software at the source code level and tell you things, like where you're using encryption, where you're using authentication, whether you have vulnerabilities like buffer overflows, etc. So if what you care about is an internal audit that's making sure that you have integrity over your financial controls, or whether you're interested from a retail side on understanding whether you're PCI compliant, or if you're trying to maintain a relationship with vendors to make sure that they're PCI compliant, this, this approach allows you to get the insight to understand all those types of questions really very straightforwardly. Um, it doesn't require an enormous amount of expertise. It simply requires access and the source code that comprises the baseline of your applications. A uh, benefit that a lot of our customers in financial services see is that they tend to be doing a lot more outsourcing than they used to five or ten years ago. And by having insight into what's going on inside the application as constructed, they can first create a set of requirements to their vendors that will help them build an application that's more secure, more relative to the security of a financial services institution. And then secondly, when the thing comes over the transom, they can analyze it again to make sure you get the value for the dollar spent. So it gives you a new lever to use in managing successful outsourcing relationships with financial services firm. So, so what are we actually talking about? Is this um, like an appliance that's installed? Is it software? How, how does it actually work? Yeah, right. It's, it's software. And it, it, installation takes a lot of different forms. Um, for some organizations which have central build source code or central gateways for acceptance of source code, they may stick it there in a couple of machines and everything sort of passes through it. It's sort of a clearinghouse. We also have organizations who have a number of distributed, sometimes federated banks, where you have a number of banks which are being managed after an acquisition where you can travel around with a laptop and check the software that way. The big thing is to 
find a way to gather the information, and then use the enterprise capacity of the tool suite to feed it all to a central place so auditors or management or actually even technologists and developers can get access to the information they need. Okay. Um, I know uh, one of the major issues, we just did our state of information security survey for 2008, and I also know, um, you know, regulations this year, really focusing on vendor management, and you touched on that before. Can you give us a little bit more insight into how uh, Ounce Labs can help you with that? Sure. I mean, if you look at some of the standards that came out around the way in which you're supposed to be managing privacy of data, as an example, or uh, according to some of the regulations, the integrity of data, uh, a lot of that happens within software that's not written by you, or that was written a long time ago, ago by you, but it's being managed by someone right now who's outside the firm. Governance says you have to maintain insight and control. You're not off the hook simply because of the fact that someone else has taken responsibility for hitting the keys to control the software. So what that tells you is you need a mechanism through which you can understand how that application is evolving over time and whether it's changing or whether it's becoming even perhaps malicious. By using this suite of tools, you can both generate the criteria that are necessary to measure and then enforce it pretty easily every time the code changes. Okay. Very good. One more question. Um, tell us about, I mean, did you see any sort of uh, trends or anything that's coming up specifically maybe with financial institutions that maybe you saw within the past six months or coming up throughout 2008 that you'd like to share? Uh, what we've seen is a real urge for people to do things in a more consistent manner, right? We've seen people documenting, particularly across centrally organized um, uh, firms, a real insight into the fact that they need to be setting standard requirements and having people adhere to them regardless of the state of the application. So while data privacy, as an example, may be something that is new and it's important for some people, they were applying that same standard for data privacy across new, old, outsourced, legacy, and open source applications. So one thing we're seeing is that a recognition that by making things more consistent, it makes them more manageable, it makes the firms more successful and more profitable. Okay, once again, Jack Danahy with Pounce Labs. Thanks, Mike. I'm speaking now with Amr Deba of Qualys, uh, and for those of our users who don't know, uh, Amr's going to tell us a little bit more about what they do and how they relate to the financial services industry. So, Amr? Thank you. Uh, so, what Qualys does, we're focused on helping customers address their security and compliance challenges, uh, and we give them a platform, a solution delivered all through software as a service, so they can uh, check the security of the network at any time and also collect information that they need to do, that they need to, to use for compliance purposes and uh, provide all of that all delivered to a web browser with the minimal uh, installation deployment uh, challenges that they face typically with enterprise software. Okay. Um, I know a common term that I, I hear is um, automated compliance and I know that many institutions spend a lot of time especially on um, you know auditing uh, log management that sort of thing. Tell us how you come into play. How, how do you sort of produce that automated compliance? All right. So what we give customers we give them a workflow and automate workflow delivered to our application that will allow them to collect compliance data from their, in, their entire infrastructure, from all their systems, all their assets worldwide, and map these compliance uh, data that they collect into regulatory reports and information that they need to present into their auditors. Uh, so part of the information that we collect, we automatically map it to the, in, in the case of uh, financials, we map it, for instance, to the GLBA uh, uh, reg regulatory uh, compliance uh, 
methodology and like that they can just use all that information to show proof of compliance with the LBA and other other uh, other regulatory requirements that they face. Okay. Now, now, who would you say in a typical bank or credit union, who's going to be the main proponent? Who's going to be the one that uh, sort of decides to implement this technology? So, of course, there's two, two constituents come to mind. First, the IT security team, because they are they are char- charged typically with collecting compliance data from the assets. And the second members of the organization would be the auditors who is using that data to build reports to show compliance internally with, with auditors ex- or externally or with with, with other regulatory uh, frameworks that they have to deal with. Okay. Um, another question I've been asking a lot of vendors is, um, what have you seen as far as uh, like trends go over the past year, coming into 2008, or any words of advice you could offer our users? Of course. So trends we've seen, of course, there's this new surge of mandates. ECI is becoming a huge on, on everybody's mind, and there's a lot of... Um, um, it, it evolved, it matured, it, it's becoming a much more... Uh, mature regulation, but I think what we see also is it's, it's a, a, a set of new attacks coming that's more focused toward the end user and the browser itself, so you can be surfing the internet and all of a sudden you're infected, and all of a sudden you're providing information, personal information or company information without knowing it, which these are pretty serious, pretty serious issues that the industry as a whole needs to address, and the good news that I'd like to tell the industry and the users in general is that there's a lot more options than a lot more solutions out there so they can really look at what best fits their needs and then put it in place to help them protect themselves from, from threats as well as achieve compliance faster and quicker and reduce costs. Okay. One more uh, one more item I want to get to. Uh, I hear you guys uh, just announced a uh, new product or a new service at the show. Tell us a little bit about that. Correct. Yeah. So we were uh, we are well known for doing vulnerability management as well as PCI compliance. At, this, at RSA we introduced our policy compliance application as part of the Qualiscard security and compliance suite. So now you can, the way you do vulnerability management and vulnerability scanning, you can do now compliance management, uh, collect compliance information from your entire infrastructure, uh, and then automate the whole process around collecting that data, mapping it to regulation, reporting on it, and then working with your auditors to facilitate that process in order to reduce costs and leverage that information across multiple regulatory mandates and initiatives that you might have in your organization. So you can use it for SOC, for GLBA, for PC for any of these initiatives and mandates that you have to deal with. Okay. Once again, uh, Amr Diva with Wallace. Thank you very much, Mike. I'm speaking now with Tom Bennett from Raytheon Oakley, and uh, Tom's going to tell us a little bit more about his company and how they fit in with the financial services industry. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Raytheon Oakley has actually been around since about 2003, and we got our start actually doing business with the federal government. We've always focused since day one on the insider threat. That's been our bread and butter. And we transitioned into the commercial market about two years ago, starting with financial services manufacturing and retail as our vertical markets. The reason being that those types of uh, commercial companies are very concerned about um, accidental loss of customer data, uh, deliberate theft of intellectual property, and things like that. So 
the idea of having a solution that would come in and monitor what was happening on user desktops, look for very specific types of policy violations, and then be able to replay that like a video, exactly as it happened on the user desktop, was very attractive to these types of organizations. And the fact that we could do this type of monitoring while still respecting all the privacy guidelines that companies have was very attractive to them. So t- tell us a little bit more about the, the actual solution. I mean, is it, um, is it an appliance? Is it software-based? How, how does it actually snap in? Well, the, the, the secret sauce is in software, but it does run on an appliance, and it is managed from a central appliance. Um, but what we're doing is we're installing some software on the desktop that monitors everything that, that, that the user is doing, but we're not Big Brother. We only look at what we're told to look for. So uh, we don't create policy. We enforce it. So what people typically do is they uh, they describe a behavior that they believe would put them at risk, and we create a policy around that. So they're not targeting individual users per se. They're just seeing they're just saying a certain type of activity would put us at risk. Someone printing out a thousand documents at three in the morning on a Saturday. Obviously, that there's something suspicious about that. So I want to record it. I want to replay it. If it turns out that it's completely legitimate, that shows up on the replay. The person's exonerated. If it shows secret documents and next year's product plans being printed out, that's trouble. And they know what happened. Okay. Uh, if you could, you know, uh, tell us a bit more about, you know, let's say a typical deployment in a uh, bank or a credit union. Excellent. Um, typically what happens is customers will deploy us in a pilot mode. So they'll do a small installation with a select group of people. Usually the people that they think would, would most have the most to, to, to be putting at risk. It might be their, the people who handle their customer data. It might be their finance department. Um, it might be their traders. They're really looking for people who can who can actually have the potential to create the most damage, whether it's accidentally or maliciously. Um, in fact, a fantastic case is the Society Generale trading fraud that just took place because so much of that was contextual. And if you had a solution that was only looking at the data moving back and forth, that never would have caught anything he was doing. What was important was the context. What were the instant messages he was sending to people that he was collaborating with? Um, what were the words he was using in his emails back and forth that indicated that the guy was in over his head and in trouble? What uh, entries was he making in the trading application that indicated he was out of bounds on his positions? We would have caught all that and, and that not just caught it, but able to play it back completely so they knew exactly what was happening. Um, one more question for you. Who, who would be the uh, sort of main proponent for getting this um, you know, installed in a financial institution? That's a great question. There's typically two people who are involved. There's the compliance officer, whoever is in charge of risking compliance, has an enormous uh, incentive to look at something like this because it's suffered, it covers so much ground, everything from really malicious stuff all the way down to just proving that you were compliant by the policies that you've set up. Um, the second is the security officer, the chief security officer. They're looking for any innovative solution that will save them time and find things faster. And the, the, the thing that's attractive to the security officer is we take the guesswork out, right? You know exactly what to fix. So you don't just get an alert that, uh, you know, a, a sensitive data document tried to leave the network. You get exactly what happened. You have the context. You have the intent of the user. And you know what to fix. Was it a broken business policy? Was it a procedure that allowed that person to get away with that? Because you can play it back like a video, you know what to fix. That's the biggest uh, advantage, biggest value. Very good. Okay. Once again, uh, Tom Bennett with uh, Raytheon Oakley. All right. Thanks, Mike.
We're here at RSA with Ananda Arasu, a product marketing manager at Tripwire. How are you? I'm doing well, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Uh, listen, we want to get a, a sense of uh, how Tripwire views the latest uh, or the uh, most important business drivers right. uh, in information security as it pertains to your product with uh, configuration, uh, audit, and control. audit, and control. Yeah. Right. Um, a lot of the things we're seeing right now um, from being heavily into the, the compliance side of things with things like PCI and Sarbanes-Oxley, moving more to um, having a lot of security focus. A lot of companies out there with the data breaches and everything are, are concerned about the security of the systems, and it's helping opening their eyes to you know what they're seeing as far as how secure their systems are, whether they can achieve a known and trusted state of their systems, and then being able to also maintain that known and trusted state of their systems. So it's one of the drivers, key drivers for com- customers coming to us and looking at Tripwire Enterprise. Sure. So how is your solution positioned to, to help, especially financial institutions, with these issues? Right. So what we do with Tripwire Enterprise is we can help you achieve, achieve your known and trusted state by providing you a way of proactively assessing your configurations across the board, whether it's through servers, databases, network devices, and so on, uh, against industry benchmarks, both internal and external benchmarks, and figure out exactly where you stand, the health of your systems. Mm-hmm. And once you've achieved that state, whether it's with um, security as a, a main driver, whether it's through some kind of compliance like PCI or Sarbanes-Oxley, once you've achieved that, moving into maintaining that state by using our change auditing capability that Tripwire has been known for for uh, close to 10 years now. Fantastic. So you're helping uh, financial institutions uh, establish a baseline according to best practices. Correct. And then uh, gaining the visibility of what's happening on a day-to-day. That's the big thing. It's just gaining visibility about what's happening in their systems. And then after that, keeping an eye on things right. just so that they know that things have, hit, things have changed, things have happened that have taken them maybe out of that policy or out of that good state. Right. So a lot of the times you've got companies who will have a huge scan done in their systems mm-hmm. and get them to a good state. But, you know, the, and maybe they may even pass an audit. But, you know, the audit is only good on that day. And the day after that audit, things start changing. Everything is in such flux. It's a very dynamic environment. It's not static. And so it starts, they start dropping off in terms of how compliant they are again. And, and next thing you know, something has happened and they're not aware of it. But what we do with Tripwire is when we get you to that state, we monitor for any changes that happen that affect your, that policy or affect that regulation. And we let you know that it has happened. And with that you can fix the problems quickly and maintain that known and trusted state. So how are these uh, policies changing? I mean, what are the different uh, ways that... Um, It could be anything from somebody going in and editing a file that they're not supposed to have, Mm -hmm. opening up a, a, a file and giving extra admin privileges or changing the access rights to a particular file. I mean, it could be anything right. like that. But it's something subtle enough that if you weren't actually watching for it, you may not know that it has happened. Right. But if the, these are the key critical files that you someone could actually get, get hold of or get access to um, that could open up a back door maybe. If, if 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 need be, and um, and someone else could get into the system, so it could be it could be se- several things, but there's key areas that that you need to keep an eye on 
PCI, for example, has ten different um, regulations that it needs you to follow, right. and all these all the different uh, data security standards uh, that they, they want you to adhere to. And a lot of them are to do with IT, and a lot of them are to do with strength, the pa- things like password strength, things like encryption of data, and so on and so forth. So just being able to keep an eye on those kinds of things is what really helps you um, maintain uh, the security of your systems. That's great. That's great. So how is your solution uh, positioned in the marketplace? I mean, do you have competition that's offering similar, or what makes your product different? A lot of the times, there, um, when you talk about from a change audit perspective and we talk about from a configuration assessment or policy perspective, we've got competitors who do one of one but not the other. Right. So in that sense, we are pretty unique in the sense that we uh, – offer both configuration assessment married together very closely with change audit and the way our tool is architected we give you a lot of flexibility too to use us as a good starting point to really implementing a good regulatory or security um, standard in your in your company sure no that's fantastic so uh, what advice in general do you have for for financial institutions sort of grappling with some of these issues or thinking that they might need to look at this solution well um well, for one thing, I would say, you know, call Tripwire. <laughs> give, us, give us a call and, and have one of our sales reps or have one of our account reps come out and, and talk to you about what we offer as a solution, the strength of our solution, and what we can do for you in terms of protecting your environment, in terms of getting you to compliance, and maintaining that level of, of compliance. Sure. That's great. All thanks right. Thanks for your time, Amanda. Th- thanks a lot, Nick. Bye-bye. Bye. Now speaking with Alan Mayer of Red Seal Systems, and he's going to tell us a little bit about uh, who Red Seal Systems is and how they fit in with the banking and finance industry. Red Seal Systems is all about security risk management, um, and how that fits in with the banking industry is that some of our banking customers use us to uh, prioritize vulnerabilities. They have scanners, like, like just as Qualys or Nessus, that give them you know, a thousand of vulnerabilities that they need to take a look at because the phone book effect of scanners our strength is to uh, look at these vulnerabilities correlate them with the network and prioritize them according to business exposure and give you the 10, 100 most important things to fix first second key um, value proposition for banks is compliance Uh, PCI as a great example here where um, um, PCI is very network-centric compliance, and so we can uh, actually pretty much validate uh, PCI requirements uh, in an automated fashion very quickly that would take a lot of manual work or consulting work for the banks to do. Okay. Tell me, who within a bank or a financial institution would uh, be responsible for deploying your product and and working with it? In most cases, uh, the chief information security officer or the chief information risk officer is our um, best proponent um, because he's really responsible for assuring the security and compliance of the bank, but he doesn't really have today a lack of visibility of what his network team is doing, his firewall team is doing, and so we bring him uh, unprecedented visibility into the environment so that he can really 
assess and assure that the security and direct these groups that typically execute a lot of changes. There's most banks will have changed their infrastructure on a daily basis, and so he can sort of supervise and get visibility into the state of the infrastructure and assess the security. Okay. And now again, is this a um, an application? Is it a uh, an actual piece of hardware? Both of those things. How does it fit in within their current systems? So we actually sell both an appliance and software. Uh, the appliance is you know plug and play. You put it in your environment. You set it up. You collect the data from your firewalls and routers and load balancers and net um, scanners and host systems. And in the morning you come in. You have a, a, a fresh analysis and a fresh picture of, uh, of your infrastructure and, and the trends of your security and risk exposure. Okay. Let me ask you one more question. What are you seeing as sort of the uh, major trends so far? You know, this year, 2008, or, or what, are, what are some of the biggest concerns that you're seeing for, for your product? I think what you're seeing is a, a, uh, an increased awareness that, you know, vulnerabilities and misconfigurations need to be treated um, with a sort of system-wide console. Today, you have vulnerability management teams dealing in their silo with the vulnerabilities. The firewall team man in, um, dealing in their, their silo with the firewall misconfigurations. And we're seeing the trend that people look at a system-wide console to understand the issues of their defects, whether they are misconfigurations or vulnerabilities. In the same way that maybe 10 years ago, people started to look at their events on a system-wide basis. Okay. Well, thank you very much again, Alan Mayer with Red Seal Systems. Thank you. Now I'm speaking with Jeffrey Denberg of Route One, and uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about their authentication device and how it works in with the finance industry. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Route One is a, uh, a company that provides uh, managed security access for uh, companies large and small around the world. Uh, primarily in the financial industry, we've had a lot of interest in, in companies really wanting to secure the network that allows their customers to come in and conduct their web transactions, so online banking. And uh, you know, over the last number of years, the incidents of in the middle, phishing, farming, malware uh, attacks have risen in banks, public and private networks uh, exponentially. And we feel that right now uh, you know, our product offers a very, very good solution to help the consumer protect their identity as well as the bank and help protect their network. And essentially what we do is, is we take a variety of different form factors. Let's say, for example, a USB token, and we actually uh, embed a browser onto that token, which then allows the consumer to have really secured, much more secured access. I should say, into their web banking session by creating a one-to-one -one peer relationship with their end banking um, portal, if you will. What it allows is that when they're traveling, when they're working uh, off-site, if they're at a, an internet cafe, if they're uh, trying to do their banking uh, from a, a hotel business center, by and large, the public internet that they're trying to go and log in on is not secure. And what we do is we assure that security by ensuring that we create a tunnel around the guest operating system, provide that direct one to one correlation back to the uh, web banking portal, ensure that there's digital signing of all the transactions, and most importantly, once they remove the token, any information that was uh, that they had conducted is not left resident as deep as the kernel level on that uh, guest PC. So it really provides extra security, not only for the consumer, but for the bank and the types of information that is both uh, coming and going into their network. Okay. Um, can this be used for... Um 
like non-customers, like employees? Absolutely, absolutely. So we offer a, another product, which is actually the, the core of our business uh, today, which is very popular out there called uh, MobiKey with TrueOffice. And what that provides, again, is a variety of different form factors that allow uh, you know, a knowledge-based worker to get access back to any type of computing resource, whether it is their office PC, a specific application, a virtualized or VDI infrastructure, and really allows them to get access and keep the data in the data center. You don't have to read very far in the newspaper to, to see the amount of data that gets stolen from laptops and people's cars, hard drives that are compromised. And we honestly believe that you know, assuring access is to really make sure that the information stays in the data center and the people that are getting access to it can, are only the people that should have access to it and not it should never be able to leave their, uh, their person. Um, we were just talking about uh, regulatory compliance as being a, a main priority for financial institutions, 2008 and beyond. Tell us a little bit about how your product can help satisfy regulatory compliance concerns. Sure. Well, we truly believe that, especially when it comes to the FFIC regulations, which are mandating that financial institutions, uh, not only in North America, but soon around the world, uh, have a, you know, a minimum of two-factor authentication to assure that their online banking customers are operating in a secure environment. You know, We believe that, that just the predominance of, of OTP is good, but it's only scratching the surface of what really security should be. It provides password security, and that's only really part of the paradigm of what we're trying to solve. The, the, the true issue around um, identity theft, around malware, around very, you know, man-in-the-middle attacks is, is access theft. And we honestly uh, truly secure the access, not only from a password perspective, but making sure that the peer-to-peer -peer relationship between the end user and the bank is truly who it should be. And so it really takes the FFIEC regulation, which is mandated, to another level. Hmm. Okay. Um, before uh, we started recording, you were telling us how um, you know a lot of people are surprised with how simple it is to get this up and going. It's not really a complicated, too technical of a product to use. Tell me a little bit more about that. So our, our device is driverless. Um, you know, there's really nothing that needs to be installed on uh, on the computer that you are uh, are using it in. Hence the simplicity to be able to go to any computer with an active internet connection around the world and use the token to get access back. Um, to set up a host in the case of someone that wanted to have access through TrueOffice to uh, some type of a, uh, of a computing device. It's as simple as adding a host and having a small utility and uh, download it to the, the computer. There's no management. It's incredibly uh, unburdensome for an IT department to manage. We also offer at the enterprise level a variety of appliances which allow an organization to manage the traffic as well as to provision out to their employees in a very simple way. Uh, one more question for you. What um, Have you been seeing like any trends coming out, you know, the past six months or going into 2008? Are there any trends or any bit of advice you can give our users? Uh, well, I think that, that, you know, perpetrators out there and, and wrongdoers, again, are getting much more sophisticated with how they are trying to, uh, to compromise uh, networks, especially financial uh, networks. Um, there was an article in the newspaper the other day about that, that um, identity thieves are actually having to discount the price of their, of their data because they're so popular out there that I can go and buy, you know, a ream of credit card data sure. from five different people. So there's actual price wars, which means they're getting more sophisticated and are having easier access. We honestly believe that we are uh, a step ahead of, uh, of where the trend is going in terms of securing that, that end network. And, you know, just at the show today, um, uh, Mike, from the people that we've talked to in the financial institution, you know, having a token-based solution that provides that direct access and that direct security uh, and that tunnel, if you will, back to the, uh, the banking portal to assure access is something 
something that they're very, very interested in. So we see that people are looking right now, especially on the banking side, for what the next trend is going to be to help to assure their networks as well as the experience of their customers. All right, once again, uh, Jeff Denberg, Group One. Thank you. I'm speaking now with Prakash Punjwani of SafeNet, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about who SafeNet is for those of our users who don't know, and um, how they approach the financial services industry. So SafeNet's a company that's been around for actually now 25 years as of April 7th this year, and a company that started off with its roots in government uh, to encrypt on the really on the perimeter side of the enterprises, and a company that's since advanced in many, many ways to many commercial markets, including finance, to not just do the network level encryption, but also application level uh, protection of data. And a company that continues to advance uh, deeper into how to protect data, whether it's in transit or at rest within the enterprise, also in use in the future. With a very key component being a centralized way to manage the policies and security around it. Especially around the financial segment, uh, some of the largest banks are our customers. Uh, either they use us for uh, encrypting traffic between the major disaster recovery sites, for example, and also using for their digital certificate deployments where they use our products to store the keys securely and also get very good performance for their security functions as well. And very recently we acquired a company called Ingrian, as of actually last week. Which is also helping us in a adjacent market to what we would call the banks, which we've been DCI compliance with, uh, especially around the credit card industry, where the level one merchants, as well as level two merchants, have to be compliant in a certain time frame to protect credit card data, which is yet another application for our data security product. Okay. Now, uh, we were talking before, I mean, is this, um, for, for those of our users, again, that don't know, is this like an appliance solution? Is it software? How is it actually deployed? How does it work? So almost everything we do is, is a hardware appliance, and that's several reasons for that. I think it's easier for application developers to integrate at that level. Um, also, it allows us to, to have better security and better performance. So be it for network-level encryption or any of the application-level encryption we talked about, almost all of our products are hardware-based products. And then we also provide key management, which obviously integrates with the existing infrastructure that some of these uh, institutions would have. Would you say at um, you know a typical financial institution that you work with, who is a main proponent for getting this technology implemented? So I think we deal with both, uh, depending on the size of the institution, both with the security architects, but also with the network engineers or the, the organization that's responsible for the backbone of the, of the institution itself. So it kind of goes both ways, and certainly at the end of the day, you're going to need buy-in from their CIO or CISO, as the case might be, um, along with the CFO buy-in, typically around compliance issues. Okay. So, so you mentioned PCI. Um, you know, it's been a major topic on BankInfoSecurity.com. We covered the TJX. Recently, uh, Hannaford, we get tremendous uh, response on that. Tell us a little bit more about you know how your solution works with PCI compliance. Sure. Um, and this is the product that I just talked about recently acquired with Ingrian. And what we do is, and if you go through PCI as a standard, there are many uh, different elements to the standard itself and what the compliance means and what the vendors have to do or merchants have to do. Uh, but at the root of it is what we at least we believe that the best way to get there is by encrypting the data itself. And as I said, we do it in hardware and we provide it as a product with centralized key management. 
So, for example, if there's a level one merchant who wants to get compliance uh, with, with the certain elements of the spec, our product allows them to get there at least for the security elements that are mentioned. We still have to implement various level of controls that uh, they would typically work with some kind of system integrator or on their own to, to also meet the compliance standard. But we help with the core security elements of it. Uh, one more question for you. Um, what, what have you noticed? Have there been any uh, trends recently, uh, just in the past you know, year, coming up in 2008, or is there any advice you can give our, our users? Sure. I mean, I think um, obviously certainly the larger banks and the CSOs are very much aware of some of these trends. But I think that one of the things that people have to think about is, you know, while compliance is a key, it's like a buzzword around here, and it should be because it, it drives a lot of security, we still believe that the institutions have to build security from within, and that would actually lead to compliance, rather than thinking about creating solutions for each standard that ever comes down. So, for example, if they start focusing on securing the data today and just implement the right policies around it, it's more likely that no matter what the compliance check comes out, they would already, already be there. So we had to kind of throw out advice to some of those folks out there. You know, we would say, we start now on not just credit card data, but start thinking about all sensitive data that you might have, all information that uh, you probably need to protect. And do it once and do it right. Okay. Once again, uh, Prakash Pantwani of SafeNet. Yep. Thank you. Now I'm with uh, John Carmichael of uh, Security Innovation, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what the company does and how it fits in with the financial services industry. So Security Innovation really focuses on application security specifically, so that's uh, the area we're in. Um, we will do a bunch of different consulting type engagements with many different types of companies, a lot of large financials as well, insurance companies, banks, credit unions, we work with all kinds. Um, we have multiple sort of avenues that we go down. The first is really our assessment business where we have um, everything from threat modeling at the beginning to really link in risk assessment and compliance down into the way the applications work, developing the security requirements that are driven by those compliance issues, as well as finding out where the applications expose the company to the risk that they're worried about from a risk perspective. Then moving in, we'll do design reviews at an architecture level, code reviews at a programming level, and then finally at the and do some security testing so that we get whatever sort of fallen through the cracks at that point, so the last checkpoint. Uh, we also have a strong PCI practice where we'll do both assessments and uh, we're also an authorized scanning vendor. So we do the quarterly scans for those who need those. We go in and do the checks to make sure people are complying with PCI, help them find you know ways to do solutions they need to get there if they're not there yet, all of that. Um, if they're only a level three or something along those lines, they don't have to do some of the, jump through the other hoops that the higher ones have to. Uh, we'll work with the self-assessment questionnaires. We'll work with them on filling those out as well. Okay. And then the third track we really have is, is training and education. It's really just the area I'm mostly in, where we'll go in and actually teach the companies uh, from a variety of perspectives about the management level, sort of management buy-in, why security matters, how security, application security really links back into risk management, uh, teach developers how to write better code, how to review code to find the types of issues that we find, and then teach the testers how to test as well. So we have the architects as well. Really, the, where we do our work, we also have training that corresponds with that as well to build that maturity within the organizations. Okay. You said uh, 
some magic words there, uh, risk assessment. Yeah. And that has got to be one of the um, main topics on our site, most research topics, I should say, on our site. Can, we, can you tell me a little bit more about that? You know, how does your company kind of work with that and financial institutions? Well, we find is a lot of companies have done the higher level risk, risk assessments where they understand what keeps them up at night as a company, but they don't necessarily have that link down into the software they're either buying or coding or outsourcing or however they're getting their software to do their, you know, execute their business processes. They don't understand how that software exposes them to some of those risks. So we're sort of that link in the middle to say, okay, let's look at the applications, let's look at your policies and your procedures and the compliance you're under and the risk assessments you've already done, and let's link those back in to say, when you're developing new apps or when you're pushing those out to vendors to develop them for you, let's develop what those requirements are so that your software is actually meeting those as well. Because software is there to enable the business process, but it needs to be informed by what are the policies and procedures in place, what are the risk assessments that we've already done, what compliance are we on there, so that we can understand, okay, you're saying that these re- we have these requirements based on the fact that we have to be PCI compliant, right. how do we create software to do that? Okay. Uh, one more question for you. It sounds like you guys have uh, your hands in a lot of different things. What are you seeing as sort of uh, some of the major trends, you know, coming up this year and, uh, you know, either it's application security, more of a focus on risk assessment. What are, what are you seeing? Uh, application security is definitely becoming a lot bigger. We're getting a lot more traffic to our groups, a lot more people interested asking us what we do, what's going on there, how do, you know, what does that mean, how does that fit in. Do you think that's because uh, a lot of people are writing their own applications, not outsourcing as much, or? No, because I think a lot of the stuff still applies. We work with a lot of companies that do a heavy amount of outsourcing, and there's still some of that assessment, that first half of the piece that you still have to do in-house that you have to understand, especially when you're building in those contracts with those vendors, making sure that they're meeting those standards as well. You know, okay. you're saying, here's what I'm I'm being held to, and you at least need to have it in the contract that if the, you know, you want to know that the vendors are, are able to meet those standards, and if they're not, that there's definitely somewhere to track that so that when you get hit, you have someone else in Right. right. You don't want to be out there on your own because you're, you're accepting that risk when you bring those applications in house. So you can either have some transference there or you just take it on. And so understanding what that is, that link in there is a key piece. Data protection is also huge. I was on a data protection panel at Secure World and everyone that fit the buzzword, that room was packed full of people and it's really data, 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 data and that's really where people are focusing now. And I think that's because of things like DCI and you know TJX getting slapped oh, yeah. and Hannaford now getting slapped. Yeah. Enough yeah. people are getting hit but nobody wants to be the next one on the list. So I think that's really where what we're seeing is that's the driver and people are starting to realize that applications are, are where people are getting in. So. Okay. Well, thank you very much again, uh, John Carmichael with uh, Security Innovation. Thank you. Okay. So I'm with Ed Chopsky of Sensage, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about who they are and how they deal with the financial services industry. Sure. So Sensage is a log management solution provider for security compliance and systems management. And our banking customers use us for a number of different things. You've probably met with PFF Bank and Trust. Yep. And they use us adjacent to Cisco Mars. They use Cisco Mars for detecting external type of attacks on their banking systems, but internally they have a lot of compliance initiatives they have to, um, to adhere to, and a lot of these are about people accessing account data and other types of things. 
And with us, we're able to collect log data from a number of different uh, sources, such as Windows servers and databases, and be able to store that online for years. In fact, at PFF, they have well over three years worth of data online. If they need to query and find out if a user has accessed something, they're able to do that uh, very easily. Zions uh, Bank, who's also here at, um, at RSA, is a large super regional bank headquartered in uh, Utah with 400 branches, and they use us for a number of different things. Uh, for their base 24 uh, application, right, their ATM uh, tr- uh, transaction, transaction system that runs on tandem nonstop platform, they, we take the application logs for that to help them detect uh, fraud. They also use this quite extensively for, to protect their online banking, uh, both for phishing attacks. <laughs> Obviously, as any bank, they get hundreds, if not thousands, of potential phishing attacks on their customers uh, every month. And the bank looks for is uh, gets the web proxies that are looking for interesting kind of unusual redirects to their sites or referrals, and that would alert them that's probably a phishing attack. That's that's the typical vector of a, of a phishing attack. They also use this to track access uh, from uh, interesting places, such as if a client typically, you know, in, in Salt Lake City accesses their online banking, and then a week later they access it from, say, Shanghai. They, they, don't, know, they don't know if that's a legitimate access, or maybe that's not a legitimate access, so they might do a little bit of investigation to find out if there's been some fraud involved there. They take something like 9 million mainframe transactions a day uh, in their banking network, and they store all that uh, those transaction logs inside of SenseAge as well. Uh, again, it's all about uh, compliance and fraud detection and security, and uh, we have a big customer base of large investment banks, as well as uh, super regional and regional banks uh, using us for that. Now, is this, a, um, is this a, uh, an appliance or software Software, a combination? That's a great question. Uh, SenseAge has been traditionally employed as software, so we fit right into whatever the bank's uh, uh, hardware you know, platform of choices. So uh, we typically run on very small commodity type servers, and we're deployed as different types of nodes, and we can use uh, local storage or we can use SAN or NAS devices. We're very open, we'll work with anything. But we have um, also gone to market with uh, HP and specifically the nonstop division that the the banking industry is pretty much familiar with in the tandem platform uh, as an appliance. So if our customers are interested in working with an appliance solution, we usually refer them to HP. Very good. Okay. Once again, uh, Ed Chofsky with Sensage. Thanks. Got it. I'm speaking now with Nancy Melby of Shavlik Technologies, and Nancy's going to tell us a little bit about um, who Shavlik is, some of the products and services that they offer, and how it fits in with the finance industry. So, Nancy? Absolutely. Thanks a lot, uh, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about Shavlik. So, Shavlik is here uh, this week at RSA with uh, really exciting information about our products. We do uh, patch management, application control, configuration management, compliance auditing, uh, really giving a lot of a lot of visibility to every part of an organization about what their security status is. So everybody from CSOs all the way down to IT administrators are drawing information from the same pool of data to really know and understand exactly what's going on with their security posture and how they have to fix it, how they have to get better. Because we know that everybody out there has got vulnerabilities. There is no perfect solution. There is no perfect company. There's nobody who is 100% patched. There's no 
nobody who's 100% compliant with any re regulations. So we understand that there are going to be gaps. We go out and look for those gaps. We, we are able to automatically fix those gaps and continue, you know, offer continuous improvement for our customers so that they're always improving their level of security and they're always ready for their next audit event. Let's talk a little bit about um, compliance. How does the product, what is a typical deployment in an institution, and how does it sort of help them monitor with and, and adhere to compliance issues? Yeah, that's a great question. So our products, uh, we have a product called NetCheck Compliance that is available, and, it, and it's really a configuration management tool. And the way that that's generally deployed in an organization is it'll either be deployed through the security part of the organization who wants to audit what's going on with operations, or it will be deployed through the operations side who wants to automatically assess and remediate what's going on with their configuration settings. And oftentimes we've even got customers who both sides, the operations side and the security side, are using the product and security is just doing it in an audit mode to make sure that the, base, the security baseline that they established is actually being adhered to. Now, I think you just touched on it a bit. Um, who at a financial institution, at your typical bank or credit union, who would be the main proponent for sort of implementing this type of technology? Yeah, where we try to target our message is really to uh, that point in the organization where both security and operations come together. So the owner of that, so oftentimes that's going to be the CFO, the CSO, if the organization has one, CIO, any one of those is going to own both security and operations. And we try to hit both of those sides. If we can't get to that message, then we take it down another level, and we try to get to the director of security and the director of operations. But we try to put this together so that they understand that what we're trying to do is put a comprehensive program so that you can continuously improve and sustain your compliance levels as well. Because, you know, you can use just about anything to get compliant, right? It might take a lot of people, might take a lot of time, might take a lot of money. You know, you can roll those things out, and you can say, on that day, yes, I'm compliant. But as soon as you turn your back, you're no longer compliant. And what we're doing is we're going out and we're continuously assessing, continuously fixing, finding those gaps and making them go away. Very good. Nancy, tell me, um, tell me a little bit, have you noticed any specific trends or, um, you know, or what's sort of happening in financial institutions from Shavlet's standpoint um, as far as compliance goes? Well, you know, there are actually a couple of things that are very interesting that are happening in uh, in the financial world. And one is, is that people are, you know, with uh, the payment card industry and all of the attention that there have been on breaches lately, you've got a lot more uh, CSOs in the organization saying, are we actually able to demonstrate that we're doing the things that we should be doing? And what we're all, what we're seeing is that people are starting to say, you know, Hannaford was probably uh, secure when their when their information was breached, or they were probably compliant with PCI when their information was breached. But were they really secure? Obviously not. And so they're starting to focus more on what I need to do is establish that security baseline, make sure that I'm secure, and then have a tool that actually allows me to report in the context of whatever regulatory. Um, uh, requirements that I may have, and it could be PCI or SOC.
It could be anything. Very good. Okay. One more question. Any words of wisdom for our, our users? Any Anything you'd like to add? You know, one of the things that we're talking about here this week is virtualization. Okay. And virtualization is a very, very hot topic for all of our customers and financial institutions included. And, and one of the things that we're talking about is the fact that you have to take the due diligence that you are using with your physical systems, your servers and your desktops, and you have to apply that to your virtual environment as well. And not just to those virtual machines that are up and running, but also to your offline virtual images, those that are at rest. And Shavlik is able to do that. We're announcing a product this week toward the end of the quarter where we're, we're going to be able to do the offline uh, VM assessment and remediation of patches so that you're secure there as well, so that you can pop up and deploy those things as fast as you need to. Okay, once again, uh, Nancy Melby with Shavlik Technologies. All right, thanks, Mike. So now I'm here with John McGuire of SigTech. They have a biometric authentication solution, and uh, John's going to tell us a little bit more about the company and how they fit in with the financial services industry. So, John, take it away. Great. Thanks a lot, Mike. Um, SigTech, a little bit about us. We're a five-year-old company. We are a uh, actually not just a biometric authentication company. We're actually an identity management software company. But in, in our solutions, one of the solutions deals with strong authentication is a biometric solution, which seems to work really well in the banking uh, industry. Um, but we are, as an identity management software company, I'll give you a little idea of a couple of our products. One of our products deals with strong authentication for remote access, which is a big thing for banking, obviously, to deal with it, uh, issues related to vendors getting into their um, getting into their sites as far as to do activities. Then we also have things that are related to the strong authentication within the environment and dealing with employee and internal mitigating risk for internal activities that might not be um, um, access to access, critical data. Right, critical data, etc. So not things that are basically making the, uh, mitigate risk related to illegal activities by your internal staff. So biometric authentications, um, physical access cards, and taking those physical access cards, putting them on the workstations for what we call logical access solutions. Addressing, again, getting two-factor, not only from an external standpoint where website's a big thing right now, doing two-factor there. Sure. Now it's ultimately taking and going, okay, what else do we need to address for our bank, for our credit union, for our financial institution? What do we need to do? We need to make sure that we're mitigating risk related to our vendors, people coming into our bank that are partners of ours. Uh, we also need to mitigate risk related to our employees and our internal staff as far as what they're having access and how they're doing it. Uh, we ultimately get rid of usernames and passwords, which some people, they first hear that, they get a little nervous, but then they start to understand that what we do is we take technologies, replace the username and passwords with a different type of technology that makes it stronger and at the same time creates a, um, a workflow improvement for a standard organization, which uh, it's, it's a great thing to be able to provide a security solution to a bank that actually can show an ROI in a year. Sure. And that's really sure. the exciting thing that we do. How many um, uh, like how many users would you say a typical bank might have using the system? Um, well, literally, we've gone into some small to some mid-sized banks is really where we've really focused so far, although we've been approached by some of the largest in the last few months. But the small banks that we've been dealing with have been anywhere from between five, uh, 100 and 500 users. Okay. And literally putting the, the uh, biometrics on the end workstations and then also working with the um, the banks as far as their external vendors and putting some sort of authentication for remote access as well. So there's some uh, insider threat issues. In, 
side arthritis uses a big thing. One of the things that we really address. Right. Yeah. Um, what would you say? Who would be the, the main proponent for um, you know integrating this type of technology within a financial institution? Well, I think uh, you know this has been a really uh, two-factor two strong authentication within an environment within a bank or a financial institution has been heavily pushed by Sarbanes-Oxley, Gramm-Leach-Bliley uh, Gram, uh, Act. Um, I mean, all of them. If you look at all of them, they, there's some degree there's a repetitiveness as far as again right. strengthening authentication for the end user and figuring out how to mitigate risk related to what's going on in the activity with, by individuals within a, a given bank or organization or a vendor external. Okay. So would you say um, someone that uh, works at a bank, say a CIO that's in charge of um, you know, auditing compliance issues, they're going to be someone that's going to Im- implement or deploy this technology? Oh, it's, yeah, it's already been proven. I mean, it's a great thing to be able to do. But also, it's a great thing as far as it's a great thing to be able to advertise to the bank as far as what they're doing to strengthen their security internally. Sure. And it also sends a great message from a marketing standpoint. But also, but also, it's about customer trust issues. The other great thing related to that, though, too, is that um, they, the, it, password management for an organization is such a huge piece for any organization. And I literally was just dealing with a bank that had um, seven locations, so a lot of small community community banks as a part of this organization. Uh, they have about 200 users, and they literally have one person dedicated from their IT staff. 80 percent of her time is dedicated to password management. Wow. And so the fact of the matter is that we came back with a solution that will easily, that her salary, the time that she's dedicating, that it's going to be reallocated, that they're no longer going to need to manage that, as well as also then she can be reallocated to do other things that they've been looking to do that they haven't had time for. So really excited about that. Very good. And now tell, tell us real quick, how, how does this, how does the technology actually work? It looks like a card system, is it? Yeah, just to give you a really feeling for it, um, number one, related to our stuff, and I've talked about the strong authentication solution. We also have a single sign-on. But we are in the, in the marketplace. We're very uh, excited to, to be the um, only company that can do this kind of thing. We're an all-software solution that exists on the current infrastructure of a bank or a credit union. We don't need to bring any appliances or hardware in. And now we able to, we're actually able to install the software remotely, an enterprise solution for literally for our clients to trial it. So they trial it. We set them up in about three hours, remotely get the stuff installed, and they literally get a chance to play with that see it working in their environment because you and I both know in the world of IT in the world of any organization software if it doesn't work it doesn't matter and it's all, if it's you know if it looks good in a demo or on a computer or whatever yeah, sure. great but the bottom line is you want to know it works with your applications and your environment and that's what we're really excited about that we really bring to the market and it's, it's probably the number one thing that drives us is that people are just excited to see something actually work <laughs> okay well once again uh, John McGuire with uh, right, thank you very much. All right, I'm with Ed Cooper now of Skybox Security, and Ed's going to tell us a little bit about who Skybox is and how they fit in with the financial services industry. So, Ed? Okay. Thank you. Well, the way we fit into the financial services market is we decided to tackle a very difficult problem that they're, they're trying to deal with, and that is the ongoing assessment of risk as it relates to their IT infrastructure. And as you know, the IT infrastructure is the gateway to the critical assets that run their business. These are organizations who cannot afford to be on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. 
These are the companies that can't afford to have a security breach. These are the companies that can't afford to get it wrong. So what they needed was an analytical approach, a way of looking at their existing environment, adding business intelligence and analytics and modeling capability so that they can get an accurate, actual, true representation of their real risk posture and be able to keep track of that risk posture over time as environments change, as they deploy new businesses, as they deploy new services, as new vulnerabilities and new threats get introduced into the environment, they have a quick, systematic, and believable way of determining which risks should be mitigated and which should be not. Now, some examples of what that would mean to a financial services company who today struggles with keeping up with this fast-paced environment. A typical company who might have a, a thousand firewalls, which might take a team of people an entire year to audit. With Skybox, we can automate that process where they can audit those firewalls in less than a few days. Hmm. All right? At the same time, they can be able to keep up with ongoing change to those firewalls. So as they make incorporate new businesses, as they deploy new services, they're going to want to change the configuration of their firewalls and routers to accommodate those new services. They need to, they need to know whether those changes are going to cause them unnecessary risk exposure that they just can't live with, or will it cause them a policy violation or compliance violation that will cause them to have a negative image in the marketplace. Because it's all about trust. Sure. Right? Their customers are trusting their data with them, trusting their finances with them, and they want to know for sure that these organizations are on top of their overall risk and compliance posture. Skybox helps them do that through automation and analytical tools. What the value is, is improved security while saving time and money. It's really that simple. We're looking at our uh, survey that we did at the end of last year, and uh, many of our users know that, um, you know, no surprises, compliance is a major priority, um, the largest priority, I should say. Tell us a little bit about how your solution um, helps with regulatory compliance. Well, compliance is all about control efficiency. If your controls are behaving the way you expected them to behave, and they meet your policies, which are driven by your regulations, right? then you are, quote-unquote, in compliance. Now, the challenge with that is a typical organization that might have a large financial services organization might have a quarter of a million controls in their environment. There's no way that a team of humans can keep up with that complexity or rapid change. So what we do is we try to simplify that problem by taking the... Um, by, by adding visibility into which controls are effective, which controls are not effective, by painting them an accurate model of how they behave. So it's like behavioral analysis, if you want to think of it that way. As a result, we can quickly map those controls to their stated policies, and we can give them an instant snapshot, not just one that's done two weeks later, but an instant snapshot of how that firewall, real time, how that is uh, in compliance in something simple like a pie chart that says you're 85% in compliance with this firewall, right? And then we'll tell you of the 15% that are not in compliance, what's the root cause of that violation? What rule is causing you to be out of violation, causing that violation? And what can you do systematically to adjust those controls to bring your firewall to 100% compliance? By doing that, they will be able to meet their regulatory requirements using far fewer resources and less time 
then they'll be able to build a higher level of security in their environment. Tell me, you know, at, at, at your typical, um, you know, uh, bank or credit union, who's going to be responsible for implementing this type of technology? It's a good question. It's typically the uh, security organization, and it's usually passed down from the chief information officer down to the security analysts or the security engineers, whose job is to assess risk and to provide guidance to the network operations people who own all the toys, as I said before. So we have two products, two main product lines. One that is sold to the security group for the, for the specific purpose of allowing them to provide good guidance to the operations people. And we have another set of products that allow the network operations people to deploy those guidance directions from the security group in a way that ensures that they don't violate any policies or they don't go out of compliance or that they don't create any additional amount of risk that they may not be aware of. Okay. One more question for you. Um, what have you seen as far as, um, let's say, trends go you know, over the past year, coming up in 2008, or what kind of words of advice can you offer our users? Um, move away from, not move away from, but enhance your reactive firefighting capability, which is what most of security is today, to something that's more proactive that helps you manage your security risk management profile. And uh, take advantage of virtualization technology because that will make your job a little easier in terms of integrating security within the overall network fabric. And take advantage of business intelligence software so that you know and have an accurate depiction of where you really are in terms of your state of security so that you can make fact-based decisions rather than subjective decisions. Okay. Once again, uh, Ed Cooper with Skybox Security. Thank you very much. Thanks. Now I'm speaking with William McKinney of Sterling Commerce, and they deal with secure file transfer. And William's going to tell us a little bit more about uh, Sterling Commerce, who they are, and how their product uh, pertains to the financial services industry. So, William, take it away. Thanks. Sterling Commerce has been uh, providing for the secure file transfer inside the financial services uh, vertical for over 20 years. As a matter of fact, we're in 10 of the top 10 banks worldwide, 30 in the top 30 banks in the United States. Wow. Uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, we move some three, like $32 trillion a year in the U.S. economy through our products in a given year. Okay. What we're here today about at RSA is a, is a new series of security products around file transfer that takes what we've learned in the banking industry and applies it not only to our own Connect Direct protocol, which a lot of your listeners would be familiar with, but now also the industry standard protocols. So not only just encryption, but things like access control, uh, things like uh, perimeter security uh, so that uh, companies can leverage the public internet to do file transfer not just dedicated circuits. Okay. Tell me, um, you know, for our users, who is the usually the typical proponent for your technology if it was going to be implemented at a financial institution? Typically there's going to be two. One on the line of business side that's worried about the security of the brand of the financial institution. Uh, so that would be in client services, somebody who's trying to set up new services to existing clients increase that share of wallet, as it were, by selling in more services. Second audience is going to be IT, somebody in the data transmission department who's responsible for setting up new connections and making sure that they're secure and online and file transfers are moving. Okay. So this is um, not only useful for, um, let's say, within the organization, within the bank, but also pertains to their customers? Absolutely to their customers. Uh, typically,
typically file transfer starts to get to be an issue inside the data center, moving from you know mainframe A to mainframe B as the processes take place. It then quickly moves to those customers outside, who, for instance, uh, smaller banks that I might want to do uh, image printing of their checks for them because I've invested a lot of money in a, you know large printers that are sitting there, and so all of a sudden now I have to start worrying about transferring data with a bunch of partners that are outside or customers are outside of my four walls. Very good. And that's where security comes in. Okay. I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, what do you see as far as, if there are any, any kinds of uh, trends or anything that you can, uh, I don't know, predict or foresee in the next, you know, year, 18 months? What's what's happening in file transfer? Two major ones, I would say. The obvious one I'm not even going to mention is security. Everybody, that's top of mind. That's the reason you're at the show. So that would be too obvious. The next the next tier, or the next two that I would mention is growth. We've uh, we've talked to banks all over, and you know, one major U.S. bank has had an initiative come down that says no physical media leaves the bank unless it's handcuffed to somebody in a briefcase. Wow. Uh, that means you know, USB drives, DVDs, CDs, all of that's being locked down. What that means is put a large amount of growth on the electronic transfer of information. Mm. So everybody's seeing their volumes go up, but they're not getting additional staff. Mm to deal with that. So that means they've got to leverage technology, right? The second thing uh, is uh, the increased focus on manageability. Uh, uh, Tighter service level agreements with my customers that I have to sign up for means I need to know when a file transfer is late, not only when it's failed, so that I can meet those processing windows and deadlines. And that means they need greater visibility into what's happening in the file transfers across the organization. And those are the two things that customers talk to us most behind security about. Okay. Well, once again, uh, William McKinney with Sterling Commerce. Thanks. Speaking now with Ellen Libinson of Symark Software, and Ellen's going to tell us, for our users who don't know, a little bit more about what Symark does and how they focus on the financial services industry. So, Ellen? Hi. Um, Symark Software is an identity and access management vendor, and we really focus on access control, and primarily in the area of privileged users, or what we call privileged accounts. It's largely access control at the systems level. And where this comes in handy is, uh, if you think about the privileged accounts, like the systems administrator accounts, the accounts that people use to keep their systems running and free of malware and free of intrusions, um, unauthorized intrusions and so forth, uh, those are very high-level access rights. And if those rights are violated, the potential for fraud and sabotage is very, very great. So you really need to keep those accounts monitored and track exactly what activity is taking place in that area. So that's largely what we do with a focus on the privileged user. And we have four products. Uh, Power Broker is our flagship product, and that controls access to the, the authorized accounts of the root account in Unix and Linux environment. That's a super user account where if someone has access to that account, they can do virtually anything in that environment. There's another product called Power Password, which complements Power Broker, which manages users and user access 
access and user passwords in that same environment. And now both these products log, they'll log keystrokes, they'll log events. They can be configured very granularly to prevent people from doing certain things. You can have forbidden keystrokes. You can have forbidden access during certain times of day, forbidden access to applications and so forth. So it's really kind of a front line of defense. Now we also have a product called Power Keeper, which is a hardened appliance. And Power Keeper, again, is controlling privileged access, but in a larger way. It's a multi-platform product. It controls access to databases, systems, routers, switches, uh, virtually any, any platform. AS400, Unix, Windows, uh, Cisco routers, etc. Again, the same, same issue is you're controlling and monitoring what those privileged users are doing with those passwords. And in the case of Power Keeper, the password is dynamically created by the device itself. It manages the, the passwords and distributes the passwords upon request and approval of those requests to people. It's very good if you have you know, contractors from the outside coming to work in your environment. You don't know them very well. They're temporary employees. And also if you have highly um, sensitive information on particular systems that you want to know at all times who's accessing those systems. For instance, you may not want to have programmers that have access to production servers that contain the Oracle Financials program. Um, that might be in violation of, um, of SOPS requirements and so forth. So a lot of what the products do really is control the access and create a secure uh, access control infrastructure to meet compliance like SOPS, uh, like Basel II, like PCI. Sure. Powerkeeper is basically, it, it just controls that access, resets its passwords on those systems. We have a, a very large financial services client uh, who is managing about 30,000 Unix and Linux servers with that device across four continents. So again, it's all about controlling access. Because one of the, and then one of the problems that we see largely with people is the fact that um, is, you know, that yes, malware is certainly a, a, a present danger and always present danger, but the unauthorized access or unauthorized behavior of employees is certainly very, very great as well. In a financial institution, that's a, 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 a sincere risk because you have access to customer data, sensitive company data, and hackers and identity theft uh, people often cooperate with someone on the inside. It's, it's a well-known fact, and your, your insiders have intimate knowledge about what your systems do and don't do and how they're protected and how they aren't protected. They know exactly what you've deployed, what your, your policies are, what your security policies are, what your password policies are. If you haven't changed your passwords and don't monitor that access on, on a regular basis, they're going to know that. And if for some reason something pushes them in the wrong direction, they have a reason or given a motive to harm the organization or to steal from the organization or to commit fraud, they already have the access and they know how easy it is and they can share that knowledge with someone on the outside, which would enable a hacker to be far more successful. So you really do have to pay attention to your inside security. Um, our, our latest product we have just announced at this show is called Power Advantage. And Power Advantage is simply a Unix-Linux integration product where it integrates Unix and Linux systems into Microsoft Active Directory. Microsoft Active Directory is one of the most popular directories and most widely deployed directories 
boundaries to monitor, uh, to, to manage users, resources, and services throughout your organization. Now, because it's a Microsoft product, it does not work with Unix or Linux systems directly. You need to take, uh, do a lot of programming to get them to work together. So we've come out with this product, which does that work for you. It's a very non-intrusive product like the rest of our products does. It does a lot of logging of user activity like our other products do. And it basically enables you to bring uh, your Unix and Linux users in through the organization to Active Directory. So they'll have one password and user ID to log on to access all the different uh, hosts that they need to access. Typically in a Unix environment, especially in a large financial institution, you might find because of mergers and acquisitions over time, you've had a lot of people come in with different versions. You've acquired a company that had maybe Solaris machines, another company that had HP machines, another company that had IBM AIX machines, and different machines brought in over time with different applications. What you end up with is your typical user has five or more passwords and user IDs that they need to use to log on to various applications and various systems throughout your IT portfolio. It's a lot of passwords to remember, a lot of passwords to maintain, a lot of systems to administer. Because of that environment, you find that people do not choose safe passwords. They don't create uh, strong passwords. They also don't change their passwords frequently. They write them down. They share them. Systems administrators are often doing a lot of manual work going from system to system to set people up with accounts and deactivate accounts. Because it's so manually intensive and time-consuming, the things don't get done. So these, these lax uh, systems administration practices can actually lead to security gaps. It can invite security problems because you're not, you don't have the time to do what it takes to, to basically shore up your inside network. So with this product, it will reduce the amount of time it takes to administer your systems because you're going to administer them from just one product. You don't need multiple pro products to administer them. And so you're integrating them into that one product so it's a lot easier for a systems administrator to create an account for a new employee or a contractor and to also disable an account quickly when someone leaves the organization. If you have to fire an employee, um, you don't want to leave their account active in case they decide to retaliate against the organization. You want to quickly disable that account. Well, that person had access to 15 different servers, Unix, Linux, and Windows, a lot of servers to go around to and disable their access to. Sys administrators are very, very busy people, always putting out fires, tech support internally. Sometimes they don't get to that task, and that creates a security risk. So this product eliminates that. And uh, it, it, it also does a lot to demonstrate compliance and support compliance. It gives auditors also a better peace of mind knowing that you've consolidated all these users into one Active Directory user ID and password. Very important for financial yes. institutions. Yes, yeah. extremely important. Because honestly and truly, if, if I as an employee at a large uh, trading uh, firm um, have 15 passwords to use to get onto all the, the applications I need to use to do my job, yeah. would an auditor really have confidence that those 15 accounts are being tracked, the activities mm -hmm. being monitored? And, it's, and, and you, you can't. You really can't. It's, it's an unmanageable situation. So you really need to consolidate. And we don't ask anybody to move off of a Unix or Linux system. You do not have to give up those systems. They're still good systems. They run strategic applications and can set it up strategic to your organization. So you're not giving up those systems and those Unix and Linux talented programmers and administrators aren't giving anything up. What we're doing is relieving them of the headaches of some systems administration issues. So everyone, you can still do some things in the Unix fashion. Uh, we have a long history 
history of Unix and Linux product development, so we really developed this product with that environment in mind and did nothing uh, that was intrusive or made any irreversible hooks into any system uh, at all. We don't extend, extend the scheme on the Microsoft products, and we don't do anything um, unorthodox in the Unix and Linux environment. So every, it's a win-win situation for everybody. Once again, Alan Livingston of Cymark. Thank you very much, Mike. Okay, so I'm here with uh, Rourke Pollock of Tipping Point, and he's going to give us a quick intro on who Tipping Point is, uh, a little bit about what their main product is, and I believe also some highlights on a new product that they're announcing. So, Absolutely, Greg. Take it away. Thank you. Well, let me introduce Tipping Point first. Tipping Point is a company based out of Austin. We're about $125 million in revenue. Uh, we have been serving the financial services sector for five to six years now. Um, we have customers all over the world, and we provide what's called an intrusion prevention service or intrusion prevention system. It's a hardware network appliance. It's a network security appliance that sits in line in customers' networks and provides protection against a variety of network attacks such as worms, trojans, and other types of web application attacks and application attacks in people's networks. To a little bit more, tell us about uh, you know what, what differentiates you and Tipping Point from the competition and your product from the competition. Right, right, absolutely. Well, the biggest thing with an intrusion prevention system is because it sits in line in the network. There are a couple things you have to be concerned about. One is that it doesn't impact the availability of the network. Two, that it doesn't impact the performance of the network or the applications that are running on that network. And three, that because it's automatically blocking malicious traffic, it doesn't block any valid traffic on the network. So those are three things that we really need to be concerned about. Tipping point, we feel like, is, as we created the intrusion prevention uh, space, we have a box that's really designed from the ground up to provide both high availability and redundancy, critical in the financial services industry. Also provides performance all the way up to 10 gigabit per second bi-directional inspection and provides vulnerability filters that don't, don't create any false positives. So what I mean by that is it blocks 100% of malicious attacks or code that's inbound to the network, but doesn't block any valid traffic bound for the network or flowing through the network. But, um, I know before we started reporting, um, you were telling us about how the system was um, you know, very well suited towards the community banks and credit unions. Absolutely. So people, uh, institutions that might be running their own software or creating their own applications. Yes, one of the things we do is we actually monitor the threat landscape or attack landscape worldwide. We've found that two-thirds of all new vulnerabilities that are being discovered are attacks on web applications. And so much of the financial industry, the financial services industry, is driven through web applications that there are an increasing number, an increasing trend of attacks on those web applications. And it's even more critical if people are designing their own web applications or their own custom applications to have an IPS protecting their network from those particular attacks. It is very easy today to hijack a website, to steal customer data, or to steal proprietary data from the company that can be sold on the 
financial impact for our financial services organization and much worse for reputation again. So much of this uh, uh, data loss, if you will, is occurring undetected and much of it might be um, maybe not something that you could use immediately such as a credit card number but perhaps other personal information or um, someone's username and password if it's not encrypted, something like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Historically, an IPS is thought of as something that blocks worms and trojans and other malicious code. And these were attacks on the network where people were looking for notoriety. They wanted to be known for attacking the network, taking someone's network down. Today, what we see is people that are financially motivated, and these attacks are financially motivated. So they're trying to steal data. They're trying to steal proprietary information that they can use to blackmail or sell on the black market. And so those types of attacks, they just rather not know you. They, they'd rather you not know that they've done anything at all. Right. So they're, they're attacks that they're trying to get into the back door and steal data without anybody even knowing it's happening. And it happens, and unfortunately, too many companies find out about it after the fact, and then they are then trying to fix the problem after the fact. The nice thing about an intrusion prevention system is it sits in line and actually blocks those attacks before they ever occur. We like to compare ourselves to the CSI world. If you think about that, you know, you always start the movie off with or the show off with a dead body. <laughs> Our goal is to prevent the dead body from ever occurring. Understood, understood. Um, that takes me to uh, another question. Uh, you guys have a new product I saw that was being announced or that had just come out recently. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. We have a new product called the Core Controller. And one of the things that we're seeing is a trend for our customers to install intrusion prevention systems in the core of their network in front of their data centers or in their DMZ protecting their web applications. And in a lot of cases, these are very, very high volume traffic areas in their network. And so the core controller is designed to go up to 10 gigabit worth of inspection so it can fit almost anywhere in the network and provide intrusion prevention systems. It's also designed to be very, very redundant so that you can put it into high volume places in the network that are very sensitive to availability. You don't want any downtime. You don't want any performance impact. And you can put this in line in your network without causing any significant performance impact at all. And the availability is designed to be 100% available. Very good. Okay. Well, any final parting thoughts for our, our audience? Or? No, I would say one of the big things that people in the financial services industry need to be aware of is they need to be very concerned about their web applications and the security sitting in front of those web applications. Okay. That's where a lot of their customers' data goes through and a lot of their own data goes through as well. Very good. Okay, well, thank you very much. I work Pollock again from Tipping Point, Absolutely. and I uh, hope you have a good show. All right, okay. thank you very much. I'm speaking with Bill Bartow from uh, Tizor Systems, and Bill's going to tell us a little bit more about his company and uh, how they, uh, uh, products and services they have that pertain to the financial services industry. Bill, take sure. it away. Thanks. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Tizor. Tizor is a uh, database uh, monitoring and protection company, and what we do is we provide really an information risk management platform for banks, um, and one of the key issues facing banks is compliance, but more importantly, is getting a handle on where your most critical data is, who's accessing it, and should they be accessing that data. So uh, what Tizer does is we provide a platform
platform for managing risk. Right? And how we do that is uh, we monitor with an appliance all the users accessing your data and what they're doing with the data. Um, here's how it works. It's very simple. You, uh, you put this appliance in, in place in front of all your key data stores, uh, and the first thing it does, and it's, it's done off of the network, by the way, so that you don't have to change your database, change your network, or change your application. It's literally plug it in, and it starts to work, and it starts to address risks such as discovery. Where are all your critical databases? One, uh, where are all your sensitive data, like PCI, credit card data, or social security numbers, or employee-related data, or privacy-related data? It will find that data for you and give you an inventory of that data. Next, it will tell you who's accessing that data. Is it privileged users? Is it end users? It will tell you if there's suspicious activity around that data. For example, it will tell you, did somebody access a large amount of credit card data that they've never accessed before, or did they come from a strange location like uh, you know, an Internet den somewhere in a foreign country when they've never accessed the data from that location before? Um, so that's two. It will give you complete visibility through reporting to, to all this activity to tell you who's doing what and when. And then it allows you to alert and protect the data. So if something is happening that shouldn't be happening, you know immediately and you can take corrective action. Okay. Um, um, I know we touched on it a bit before. Um, and once again, as everybody knows, you know, regulatory compliance was the number one driving factor for um, you know, information security initiatives at financial institutions this year, as indicated by our survey. Tell me a little bit more about regulatory compliance. I know you mentioned SOX. I think you mentioned PCI. Right. How does sort of your or a solution fit in with all that? Sure. So um, we fit in in two ways. One, for uh, things like SOX and PCI, we provide a, a control infrastructure around protecting the data. And two is we help reduce the cost of, of compliance in a fairly significant way. And actually, there's a third, which is our product really is a multi-compliance platform. And although we, we support SOX, PCI, GLBA, and FFIEC, um, you can use a single appliance to address pretty much any regulatory requirement as it relates to data security. So what we do for SOX, for example, is we give you a uh, automated way to monitor all your privileged users. What are the DBAs doing? What are the developers doing? We give you a tamper-proof audit trail of all that activity. Uh, for PCI, we can tell you where all your credit card data is. For PCI 3, we're a compensating control for encryption. Encryption is a sometimes challenging project. If you want to get something up in a day, you can bring in our appliance, and it will uh, give you a compensating control for encryption. It would also address PCI 10 and give you a complete audit trail of all the uh, credit card activity. For FFIEC, it gives you a risk assessment and a control infrastructure around data activity. Very good. Okay, one more question for you. Who would you say at a financial institution would be most likely to um, sort of be a main proponent for your, your systems? It's largely the security teams, um, the data teams, get the security and compliance teams. So we typically find ourselves working with the CISOs and the VPs of security in charge of uh, overall security strategy. The compliance and auditing folks also can get involved in terms of um, validating the approach and validating the strategy. And the data team, the database team, the data security teams also validate it. But really, at the end of the day, it's the security team. Okay. Well, thanks again. Uh, once again, uh, Bill Bartow with Pizor Systems. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Tom Field with Information Security Media Group, talking today with John Brody, Vice President of Marketing with uh, TriCypher. John, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Tom. Hey, John, question for you. It, it, what are your financial services customers most challenged by today? They're concerned with uh, protecting the identity of their users, protecting information that could be used by uh, malicious actors to uh, use the assets of users in a way that the users really wouldn't appreciate. Uh, 
kind of solutions do you see your customers employing to uh, face these challenges? They, um, you know, they're interested in improving the, their ability to ensure that the users are what they say they are. They are interested in, in uh, trying to ensure that this capability is available for wherever the user happens to be, whether he's at home, at work, at, uh, at a kiosk at an airport. Um, those are generally the concerns. They're also concerned with providing convenience, not inconvenience to the users, so minimizing the consequence of uh, increased uh, identity protection as well as a big priority for them. So, John, you've got a new solution. Tell us a little bit about that and how it's helping your customers to overcome some of these challenges we talked about. Well, the new solution is, is uh, perhaps the first security solution that comes packaged in a uh, convenience offering. Uh, our solution is a service. It's on the Internet. Uh, you log on to it, and it logs you onto all your web-based applications. Um, if you're a business user, there are web-based applications that are on the Internet, or they could be even web-based applications behind your firewall. We give you a single user ID, or you create a single user ID of your own choice, a password that you can tell anybody because it is never sufficient for a, uh, a hacker to uh, compromise your account, and then we'll in turn log you on with a strong credential to uh, all the other applications you use like WebEx, Salesforce, Google Apps, Concur, you name it, uh, will support it. So it's convenient for you, one login, one user ID, and it's secure because uh, unlike other uh, authentication mechanisms, ours can't be compromised uh, by, uh, you know, fishers or other kinds of fees. Now, of course, you can choose the strength of authentication you use with our solutions, some less, some more, but at the highest levels, we provide you with uh, the best phishing protection in the industry. So what kind of response do you get from your customers in terms of the business results that they're starting to get from employing your solution? Well, one of the things that uh, we're beginning to find is that when young people enter the business, they bring the tools with them that they've learned to use over time. Um, tools such as social networking, tools such as web-based collaboration solutions that may be more convenient and other things that they've used in the past that are installed on their computers, convenient because well, they're more advanced in terms of their functionality or because they're more accessible. And so in order for enterprises to be able to say yes to those tools, they need to be um, have a heightened level of assurance that the information that's in those tools can't be used to compromise the institution or the individual in some cases. So our single sign-on service called My One Login um, it provides them with that, a point of control in the Internet itself where those applications are to help ensure that information that's provided there that might be uh, protected information or uh, sensitive information is, is, has uh, the protected capabilities of the enterprise extended to them, even in a place the enterprise has never extended protection before. Yeah, so this sounds like something that plays well beyond financial services. What are some of the other industries you find that are facing some of the same challenges and are able to, to leverage the same solutions? Uh, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, at this point, we've seen it as a fairly horizontal um, uh, solution, but I can tell you that many different verticals are, are, are creating frustration for the users by trying to deliver them more and more functionality but asking them to learn more and more user IDs and passwords. The result is that the user says, it's too hard, I want to use the same user ID and if I can, the same password for as many of these things as I can, or I'm going to develop some scheme to figure out what passwords I should use for the things I'm more concerned about. All these things tend to fall apart um, and users do the thing that they, they remember the most, which is to either use the same user ID and password or to write them down. And so in any industry where you're beleaguered with, you know, applications uh, provided by your, uh, your, your providers, um, this is a great solution for them. For example, uh, in healthcare, a ton of people used in healthcare have tons of applications that are offered to them to online to help make their day easier. 
but it really creates a lot of confusion and a lot of overhead. You have to log into each one, log out of each one, and remember the passwords. So we're finding adoption in the healthcare business as well as the financial services business. But we, accept, you know, this is a, a motherhood and apple pie kind of issue, not another password. Um, so we expect strong adoption across industries. Well said, John Brody. Appreciate your time and your insight today. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate the opportunity. I'm here with Steve Vincic of Unisys, and he's going to tell us a little bit about who they are and uh, some products and services that they offer uh, that deal with the convergence of IT and physical security. Great. Uh, Mike, a couple things that we work on at Unisys uh, with with banks and financial institutions is the integration of physical and IT security to protect uh, critical bank processes, whether it be a back-end process or a a check clearinghouse uh, where they have... uh, have to have uh, increased security or heightened security for that environment over just a regular bank environment. So we'll integrate in physical and IT security where you have uh, a single credential that might provide access to the physical building, and then that credential can also then be used for access into your your logical system, so access into applications or transaction processing, uh, using a smart card and maybe a biometric to control that authentication. Uh, so the systems we do then tie those two together so you provide not only the access and authentication to that, but also the, the back-end monitoring of those solutions. So if you have a person who is attempting to log into a, a workstation terminal, but they haven't authenticated in through the building at the physical security mm. side. That's a red flag. It's a red flag. We won't let them do it. We'll send an alert out, and we can go investigate that solution, what's going on. Okay. Um, you know, we have many users on our site that would be from the uh, uh, community banking credit union space, maybe they don't have the budgets that some of the larger institutions do. Tell me a little bit about how your your products and services can kind of fit into those and you know, help them out. Sure, a number of them. So uh, a lot of these these local banks and credit unions have ATM machines, obviously, in their facilities. So something we do is uh, transaction processing and monitoring of ATM transactions. So with using video surveillance as, as part of that process. So if there's a, a fraudulent transaction, we can tie that transaction back to the video surveillance around that facility and quickly come up with, okay, who actually performed that transaction? Can you get a picture of that person? And then push that information out to other branches because maybe they're going around from ATM to ATM to, to you know, attempt to break into their businesses. Uh, another thing is also for using video surveillance and, and facial recognition biometrics for uh, keeping track of your high profile or high net worth clients. So when they come and enter the bank, uh, the facial recognition can detect them right away, and so, you know, maybe the bank manager, branch manager, wants to come on and greet them, uh, because that, they're a good customer. Wow, okay. So using those types of technologies, not to only uh, protect the bank, but also to enable processes within the bank. Okay. Um, I had another question for you. Um, does, do people have, do institutions have to have these other services, like you mentioned, video surveillance, do they already have to have that system in place, or is that something that you kind of offer as a package? Well, we do it both ways, really. Our overall process and approach is to take a vendor agnostic basically approach to technology. And we, so we don't really manufacture a lot of our own products. We look for the best degree based on the situation. We also look for an open standards approach. So if you have legacy equipment in place already, we look to integrate that to protect that investment you have already. Uh, or 
if it's a, a new facility or you want to upgrade, we can bring in a new solution for as well. Okay. So you're kind of um, uh, best of all breeds. You're gonna you're gonna take uh, if there's existing systems in place, you can work with it. If it's a brand new start from scratch, you can also bring in you know video surveillance systems and other systems too. Right. Put well, into place. The first thing we really do is to try to understand what the what the user's requirements are. So we don't we want to go in and force down a solution. We're gonna come back and say, okay, let's understand what your business process is. What are the requirements? What are you really trying to do? And then we look at the best way to meet those requirements. Okay. Very good. Again, we're with, here with Steve uh, Vincic of Unisys, and uh, thanks for the interview. Sure, absolutely. So I'm here with Dave Thompson of Voltage Security. Uh, they have an encryption solution, and he's going to tell us a little bit about how their uh, product and service fits in with the financial services industry. Okay. Thank you. So, Voltage Security offers a product called Secure Data. The purpose of that product is to protect structured information within databases and applications. So, we use an innovative new approach to cryptography called Format Preserving Encryption to ensure that when you protect something like a social security number or a credit card number with our encryption technology, what you get out the other end still has the same format the nine digits or the 16 digits. What that means is you don't need to re-architect all of the databases and applications that touch that data. It means that you can deploy this encryption technology to protect your sensitive information much more quickly, much more easily, with much less overhead than any other previous approach. Two, um, two issues that came up in our State of Information Security Survey that we did uh, this year, um, which I know you guys touch on. Number one is regulatory compliance as being uh, the major issue for financial institutions this year, and the other being um, encryption as far as a major technology that's going to be looked at in 2008. I know before we started recording, we were going over uh, PCI as a major compliance driver. Tell me a little bit more about that and how your product plays into that. Sure. So the payment card industry data security standards essentially state that you need to protect or encrypt credit card information as it's stored in applications and databases. Uh, or you can layer on sort of a complex set of compensating controls and try to get kind of approval for those controls. Um, the problems with you know, previous encryption approaches have been that they've been so complex people have avoided using them. We're seeing a, a great interest in using our technology to encrypt these credit card numbers in place uh, you know, in, in a much easier to deploy fashion and then not have to go through the, the sort of morass of compensating controls. Very good. And um, if you can kind of tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what are you seeing as far as trends, um, let's say necessarily in the financial services industry, as far as encryption goes? You know, you guys are kind of on the forefront of this. What do you think is going on? What do you, what do you foresee in the next year or so? Yeah, I mean, the, the financial services organizations that we work with are definitely on the leading edge of encryption, encrypting information in, in all applications. So, you know, we have a secure email offering uh, and we have a very large take-up in, in financial services for encrypting, you know, both internal email between employees and then external emails out to, you know, partners and customers. Um, similarly, we're seeing, uh, you know, an, you know, the adoption of this encryption technology for the critical data, so security numbers, credit card numbers, the things that are really the target of a lot of the hackers out there when, when they're looking to kind of exploit systems and, and perform identity theft. So by encrypting that information, they're better protecting their customers' information. Would you say when, um, you know, you're approached by, um, you know, banks or credit unions or financial services organizations, is it usually because um, a breach has occurred or something has happened, or is it more of, um, you know, a preemptive measure to sort of get involved with this type of encryption? 
There's certainly some cases where we've kind of met customers after they've had a breach or an issue. More often than not, those cases that we're working with, they're trying to get ahead of that problem. So they have internal audit staff or maybe an external audit where they found something they weren't comfortable with, wanted to make sure they could address it. Um, so protecting information you know, kind of in transit, uh, in storage, is one of the first approaches that they then take. Very good. Okay. Once again, with uh, Dave Thompson of Voltage Security. Thank you very much. Hi, once again, this is Tom Field from Information Security Media Group. I want to thank you for taking time to listen to our vendor podcast series to hear the exclusive insights from today's security solutions leaders. And I want to ask you to take a look, please, at some of our other coverage of the recent RSA conference. You can check out the links for articles and podcasts from the event's keynote speeches and conference sessions. Those are of particular interest to banking and security leaders. Well, thank you very much for checking out our coverage. For Information Security Media Group, this is Tom Field. Thank you.